Yeah, yep, it's episode four of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, Kate Call, your host, aka Roboclip, aka God's gift to gaming, interview people you've never heard of but are actually really interesting in regards to their favorite gaming memories growing up. On this episode of the podcast, I have a dear friend of mine, John Jimenez. John Jimenez is absolutely insane, and I mean that in the best way possible. He has something like seven PhD or master degrees. I don't even know. He has more college. He's like a stack of college degrees, and from what I understand, he's going back to get a couple more. He has backpacked across Europe. He's gotten into fine art painting and sold fancy paintings to fancy people, and speaking of fancy, he's also the creative art director for a bunch of fancy high-end businesses. We get into John growing up in Mexico, being into gaming, and how that differs from your typical American upbringing. We talk about the infamous rise and fall of the fabled Sega Dreamcast. And we get deep in the weeds trying to connect JRPGs, creativity, and the great and only Yeezus, Mr. Kanye West. I had a fantastic time, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, and that was good. And for some reason, the those synthetic sweeteners that they put in these drinks it it masks the the alcohol. It's just great. It's truly good. So yeah, we're talking about uh, white claws. White claws. White claws. I just introduced. This is John Jimenez. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hi. Uh, I just introduced him to white claws. I know a lot of people make fun of white claws and call it a bitch drink. I don't care. You can call me a bitch all day. <laughs> I think they're delicious. They have no carbs. They're 100 calories. You can't really taste the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's basically sparkling flavored water with alcohol. And I was just saying, if you mix it with um, vodka, it's pretty good. This is a great drink. Thank you. I, I uh, This is my new go-to now. Thank you, Kate. So this is John Jimenez. I've known John for, hmm, that's a good question, a long time. And this will this will kick it off right. It's one of my uh, favorite gaming memories. Is I was living in a house with a bunch of friends who are mutual friends of John. We did not know each other, but back in the day, I had I would say top tier world class PS One collection. Oh, it was gorgeous. Unfortunately, I got rid of it in a time of need and sold it all, which was really dumb. Don't ever sell your games; it's not worth it. But for a period of like fifteen years. I had one of the best PS1 collections of all time, and um, I had a, I never played them because I had emulators, but I always like kept it out in my room because I was proud of it. I liked seeing the games, and John came over to my house where I lived with some mutual friends. I wasn't there, but somehow you got to my room. Some they were giving you a tour of the house or something, and you made a comment like, "Oh, this guy's got a legit PS1 collection," <laughs> and I came home from wherever I was. And our mutual friend was like, hey, my buddy John came over. He's a big gamer. Everyone knew me as a big gamer. And he said, you have a, you have a legit PS1 collection, yeah, I thought. Yeah. And I had a really, really like nerdy JRPG collection, which is very niche. I'm like, okay, whoever this motherfucker <laughs> is, if he recognizes these games, I need to meet him. <laughs> and then we ended up meeting and just would nerd out about games for, for years, years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the game in the collection that really sold me on your taste in video games was that you had a copy of Sakoden 2. Greatest JRPG ever. Greatest JRPG my ever. Opinion, my opinion. 
And that I, I just could not believe someone had that game in, in, in as a physical copy. Shocking. I think I think you mentioned that earlier, which is probably why we can because I've. I will fight people to the death about I get a lot of shit for thinking that's the greatest JRPG ever. Luckily, like, uh, what's that guy that writes for Kotaku? I think his name's Jason uh, Jason Schreier. Yeah, he thinks that's – he's a big Sakotan 2 fan. There are other like-minded individuals out there. There are. There and, are. and when someone says Final Fantasy VII is the greatest JRPG, I just want to kick him in the balls. It's a great <laughs> RPG, but it is not the GOAT of JRPGs. But anyway, what's your earliest video game memory? The first – video game you have you, you know, ever saw whether you played it or not that's a that's a great question um and as i was thinking about it I, I i do i think my earliest video game memory is actually uh so there was a time uh when i was younger where my family moved to mexico city for a few years and uh when we were there there was just nothing to do i didn't have any friends and my dad had brought home a a nintendo an NES, and there was a copy of Mega Man, and we interesting. Yes, I thought you were going to say Mario, like most people, but Mega Man. It was Mega Man. It was Mega Man, and I remember just being so fascinated by that game. Now, see, my mom was into Mario, so she would take Mario, and that was her thing. But we had purchased Mega Man for the kids, and we we would play that for hours on end every day, and that actually was how I made friends down in Mexico is all the kids would come over and play Mega Man with us. So that I would say that's probably my earliest memory and I was I mean quite frankly I was too young to really play that game efficiently. If you ever played Mega Man, you'll understand just how archaic that game plays. It's not easy to play. No. It's very unforgiving and I I don't think we ever made it past the first level. Not even one boss? I, you know, I was thinking about it. I think we may have been able to finish the first boss. Well, you could pick bosses, right? Do you remember which one? I, 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 I want to say it was a frog or something. I think I, there's a frog guy. Yeah. I think there's Top Man is one of the top guys. Yeah. Mega Man 1, 2, 1 and 2 kind of mixed together. It's a long time ago. Yeah. But I do remember the box art. He didn't have a built-in buster sword. Do you remember that? I do remember he that. He was holding a pistol yeah. in the box art. Yeah. And he looked like a regular dude with like a suit. And when I found out he was supposed to be a robot with a built-in arm, I'm like, well, <laughs> why? The box art doesn't look anything like that. I remember getting really confused as a kid because I think Mega Man 3 or I don't know. I think 1, 2, and 3 were NES and then it went to X. And S. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, that box art still is probably some of the ugliest artwork it's I have so seen. Ugly. It's terrible. <laughs> I I can't believe someone passed that off and they went to print with that. There has to be a story behind that. But In an I, era I of some not. pretty cool box art, absolutely, that's a terrible box art. It's horrible, horrible. So Mega Man, you're the first person. So most people, this is episode uh, eight. I don't know if it's going to be uploaded as episode eight, but technically it's episode eight. Everybody. But so, so far, six people have all said Mario for NES is number one. One person, Todd from Kuma Films, said Lemmings on PC. And then um, someone else said something different. Mm, I can't lemmings. remember. But you're the first person to not – it's very rare not to say Mario. And you're the first person to say Mega Man. Yeah. 
That's interesting because Mega Man, you know, Mega Man was so popular. And, 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 and you know what's interesting about that is I wonder if it was because I was in Mexico because the, the, the kids down there, I don't think I ever remember anybody playing Super Mario. I remember it being Mega Man was like the game that everyone mm. played. Uh, it's and a cultural thing. They went it, into – It may have been cultural. Yeah. I, I wonder how Do that – you guys hate but... Italians and plumbers? <laughs> I don't know. Are you guys racist against I don't Italians? Know. I don't know. But but Mega Man was the thing. Mega Man was uh, – that's my first gaming memory. So obviously your mom was playing Mar- – is Mario the next one because your mom was playing it? You remember yeah, Mar- time with? Uh, yeah. Mario was the next one. My mom played the hell out of that. In fact, she she loved playing that. Uh, to the degree that when uh, my dad was out and she was, you know, watching over the kids, she would plug in a player two, but it wasn't actually all the way plugged in, and so we could play along with you her. Could pretend like we you could were pretend, yeah, yeah. And that was such a genius idea. I do that with my kids right yeah. now. Sometimes I feel like I'm deceiving them, but <laughs> I don't want them to actually play. It's a pain in the ass. Right, right. I just give them because they have. Why, they're used to wireless controllers. Yeah. So I can just give them like a Wii. I might be playing PC. I'll just give them like a Wii controller or something. They have no idea. And yeah. They just think, oh, yes, yeah, controller. They're controlling it. <laughs> My oldest is starting to wise up though. Like, what? Why does it not move when I push the thing? I'm like, ah, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a smart well, what, one. What happens when they? Because I'm thinking of a PS4 controller, and if you press the PS logo button, then the controller will turn well, on. I'm so usually, how do you usually stop using that? the PS4 controller for? either emulator or on the PS4. So I always played the PS4 controller. I see. I'll give them – I have like a – don't ever buy fucking Steel Series. by the way. If you're bought a SteelSeries anything – I really? bought SteelSeries headphones, suck dick. I bought a SteelSeries like their, their expensive flagship model for PC gaming. It's like an XL Stratus controller. Literally never worked. It will work sometimes wired on some games. I never got the wireless to work. It – so I just have that as kind of like <laughs> give to the kids. I know it doesn't work. Or I'll give them uh, – I have a Wii – not a Wii U. Is it a Wii U? Yeah, Wii U Pro Controller, mm. it, which doesn't work for the Switch also. Mm. Bullshit. Mm. Um, I'll give them one of those too. Mm. You know, my only experience with SteelSeries is I purchased the SteelSeries Nimbus, which is like one of the only M5 – uh, licensed controllers out there. It's for Apple products for iOS. Mm. Uh, now Apple's being better with this. They're allowing for PS4 and Xbox controllers with this new iOS 13. But before you had to buy these controllers that were M5 certified. And the Steel Series Nimbus is still considered one of the best M5 controllers. And I thought it was great. But well, but then again, it's iOS. So I don't really know if you're looking for you know cutting yeah, edge so response rate. I spent a lot of times on Reddit and forums trying to figure out why the Stratus XL doesn't work. I'm not the only one. It seems to be mainly a Windows 10 issues. Mm, so software level. So it's a software, it's a software okay. thing. Okay. And I updated the firmware and a bunch of stuff. I still couldn't get it to work. Cause, and now I'm thinking about – we're getting off track. But I'm thinking about either getting an Xbox One Elite – I've heard that's the best PC gaming controller. That's a great I controller. I don't have any plans to get an Xbox, so it's like, eh. But Astro Gaming just released their Pro Controller that has module. You can swap different um, buttons out. For like if you want Xbox ABCD or PlayStation Square X, you can also swap the left uh, thumbstick to be Xbox above. Or if you like the PS4 uh, par- or parallel, is that word? Mm-hmm. Parallel straight across from each other. However you like the joystick can you can move it up and down. They have uh, different 
triggers. It's a bunch of cool shit, but it's three hundred and something dollars. The Xbox One Elite, I think, is one ninety nine or two fifty. Yeah, I, I think th- it's a little bit cheaper. Yeah, and they're coming out with another version, right? That they just announced at E three. Yes, um, and I think that's a little more more expensive. Yeah. I think it is one ninety nine. So I don't know the PS four controller. By the way, the PS four Pro controller. Do you have a Pro? I do. Yeah. PS4 Pro. Did you have a PS4 native before the Pro? I did. Yeah, I got a launch The Pro console. controller is different slightly. Because I had it? both at the same time. And I, I bought upgraded to a Pro semi-recently because I wanted to play God of War on the Pro. It's like, ah, this game is worth getting a Pro. And, um, Agreed. The Pro controller has a little bit different matte grip textures. The rear uh, R2 and R, or R1, no, R2 and L2 have a little bit more of a lip. On the trigger, it's a better controller. They're slightly different. So I thought they were the same, but the PS4 Pro controller is a little bit different than the PS4 regular controller. That's interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I I didn't know that there was a redesign on that level. I do know that the first launch PS4 controllers, and I had an issue with this, was that the rubber on the joysticks would wear off. Mm. And you would have to go and buy another one after like 12 months just because the rubber grip wasn't there anymore and you kind of get that that sh- that hmm. uh slick plastic that's underneath it yeah i don't i don't know i might i got a launch ps4 and i gave it to my brother and i think you're right i think one of my left thumbstick was starting to wear mm. yeah, it, yeah it was a it was a common problem dang yeah well what was the next game after mario um after mario it, it's interesting because i i we we didn't have a uh, Nintendo in the house after we moved back to the states. So you left it in Mexico, or yeah, just sold we left it, it in Mexico. I, you know, I think my dad sold it to somebody. So what's interesting about uh, video games in foreign countries is that they're very expensive, and so a lot of places, especially in Latin America. Uh, piracy is the norm. You yeah. often can't find legitimate games, and if you can, they're just too expensive for the average consumer uh, to to purchase. And so piracy is everywhere and then what will happen too is that it's cheaper for somebody in the United States to purchase the console there and then bring it down to those countries and so you can resell ah, those consoles make money for a lot yeah yeah because just and I don't know what it is I think it's something to do with trade uh, and you hear about this these outcries in Brazil people complain that the PS4 is like $800 or but uh, yeah, so I think I think my dad may have sold it for for, for profit. I mean, I so can't blame. Those him. are the only games you remember before you lost it. Was Mario, Mega Mario, Man. and Mega Man? I you think those Zelda. Are, we d- no. Ah, that's another no. interesting. Almost everyone says Zelda. Yeah, I never played Zelda on the NES uh, up until I would say, gosh, when the Nintendo Switch Online service launched. So you retroactively years it. later, went back years later, it. went back and played through uh, the first Zelda. Now I never finished it, obviously, because it's, it's a grind. It's a grind. Yeah, and you know some games age well, and typically platforms age really yes. well. Uh, everything else, though, it, it just the systems are too archaic. There's just it's really difficult to get through them, and the game isn't difficult. Just the systems that they're built around is just ridiculous. I mean, I did not know <laughs> that Super Mario does not have a save system that when you die, you just restart the game. On, I was shocked on by NES. that. On NES. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I had no idea. And I, I just thought, wow, I cannot believe people beat these games. A lot of NES games didn't have save system. Obviously, Zelda did. 
Um, some games would use like a code system. You get to a certain point, and when you die, it would give you like a code. Mm-hmm. You'd write it down, and if you put that code in the beginning, you could jump back kind of to where you were. I think Punch Out used that. I, I think, think Mega Man had a similar system. I think Mega actually. Man had a similar thing too. Yeah. Yeah, because we had there was a space in the back of the instruction booklets to put codes that in. you could put codes yeah. and notes and things like that, and it was actually used. I remember seeing that as a teenager and just not understanding why anyone would use their instruction manual as a notepad. That made no sense to me. But that's true. Sometimes you'd rent games, yeah, and there'd be stuff scribbled in the, in the instruction booklet. Yeah, yeah, it's a long while. Say it's going to Blockbuster, yeah, running games. Yeah, I Blockbuster. Forgot about that. So you only are those the only NS, NES games, or did you play more NES when you got back to America? So when when that NES disappeared, uh, I would say the next console that I remember having was the Super Nintendo. Okay, any PC games at friends or anything in between that you can remember? No. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, no PC games. Uh, I remember. I remember a friend of mine had a PC and he was older. He was a neighbor of ours and I would say he was probably in his mid-teens and he had Ultima. He played Ooh. Ultima and Ooh. I was I was just – I could not understand the concept of a game where all you did was just read text yes. boxes. That just – that had no appeal to me. I thought the first Ultima had like a rudimentary first-person view. Where you saw that – was it pure text? I can't remember. Uh, you know, and that that is to say I don't know which Ultima it was that he was okay. playing. But I remember it was Ultima because he was all about it. And, um, you know, he explained to me the concept of it and it's this story-driven game and you read, you know, it's it's like a book. But I just – I that just did not appeal to me. So it sounds like up to this point, you played a little games, but you hadn't been quite hooked by anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it was more of a communal activity. I mean Mega Man going back then, it was a, a way for me to make friends in a, in a yeah. country that I was unfamiliar with and a neighborhood and a culture. So what's the first was... game on SNES that – Got you by the balls. Oh, yeah. So this is going to be really <laughs> embarrassing, but it was it was a Looney Tunes game. Oh, which one? Um, I can't remember which one it was, but you would play as – it was – do you remember that period of time in the 90s where there was this big thing around creating these baby versions? Yes, Tiny Tunes. Tiny Tunes. Tiny Tunes. Tiny Tunes. Yes. yes. So there was a Tiny Tunes on Sega and Super. I had Sega. I don't know if they were exactly the same, but I got balls deep into Tiny Tunes. Tiny Tunes, yeah, that grabbed me by the balls. That was that was the first game that I ever became obsessed with. And I would play that all the time. I loved it. So Tiny Tunes and then – you know, it's all platformers thinking about it. And I think that's probably because my parents – Knew that that's what I could understand yeah. and play. I mean, I was still quite young at the time. Uh, so Aladdin, you know, you get all those Disney games that come through. Um, Were you getting into the Sega versus SNES arguments with homies at school? <laughs> you know, I wasn't to that point. Okay. I wasn't to that point. Because Aladdin was one of the few, few that Genesis had the upper hand. <laughs> that's right. That's yes. right. Yeah. I, I was Genesis kid. I admit SNES was better. But I, at the time... 
I had spent I, – I talked about this on a previous episode, but I saved up money for a Genesis for like a year and a half. I saved up $60. I don't even know if it was half the price. But once I hit $60, my parents got me a Genesis, and I actually earned it, and I had to buy all the games. And when kids started talking shit on Genesis, and I would see the SNES, and it was kind of cooler, but I didn't want to admit it was cooler because I spent so much time. Uh, Aladdin was one of the few that I could point to and be like, yeah, bitches, Aladdin is better. But the SNES version was pretty good. It was a platformer as well. Yeah, and why why was that? Why why was the version on the Genesis better? So that was weird because sometimes during that generation, a lot of games were exactly the same. They just have like slight color differences or frame rate, like Earthworm Jim or something. But Aladdin, so there's a two like uh, Jurassic Park on the SNES and Jurassic Park on the Genesis, completely different. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park on the SNES was top down view, and when you went into the buildings, it was like old school Wolfenstein 3D first person. But on Genesis, it was a traditional platformer. Yeah. And Aladdin, they were both platformers, but they were completely different assets. Aladdin, I believe, don't quote me, but it was more of a Prince of Persia. They did rotoscoping for the animation, so it had a lot better graphics. Mm-hmm. Whereas Aladdin on the SNES was like traditional pixel art. I see. So they just animated it. I see. Yeah, I uh, I remember the Aladdin game. And, and you know, and, and thinking about it now, that game was so difficult. Um, but what, so I love the tiny tunes, but the game that shook me and I saw it at a friend's house was Donkey Kong country. Woo. That's towards the end of the life. That is towards the end. And, and here's the thing. I wasn't, I wasn't really into video games. I enjoyed them and they were a pastime. Oh, I didn't realize that. But but I really wasn't. They were just kind of there if I didn't have anyone to hang out with. Or so you go became out with. a core gamer during PS One. Did uh, you say PC? PC before before. Okay. So but Donkey Kong Country blew it was me kind away. Kind of the beginning. Yeah, it was the yeah. beginning because I remember being shocked by how good that game looked. I mean, it looked three dimensional. Yeah, that was. Uh, there's a really good. I talked about this before in other episodes. There's a really good. I can't a documentary on, on YouTube about the graphics tech behind that game and how they were using Silicon Knights, I think. Silicon Knights. Silicon Knights, uh, before it was Rare. Or Rare, Rar. yeah. They were using some sort of 3D tech for movies, and, and they would obviously, like, they would render the game in 3D, take those 3D renderings from the side, convert them into sprites, and then they had a take the color from like whatever 32 million colors down to 16 or whatever the, the limitations and the whole documentary is how it was basically impossible to get that game to run on a super but they found a way to do it and when that game came out people were saying super nintendo still has better graphics than ps1 because that, that overlap ps1 was out when donkey kong, donkey kong country came out is that right or maybe donkey kong country 2 Okay. It might have been Donkey Kong Country 2, but I remember thinking, because I, I had a PS1, like, what is, and I never had a Super until much later in my life. I had a Genesis, and I was like, why does the Super <laughs> Nintendo look better than my PS1? But it, that game was amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, I actually had an opportunity. I purchased the SNES Classic when that came out and was able to play through a lot of those old games. How to hold up? Uh, it, it was great. It, it's still a fantastic game. The music, I forgot how good the music was in that game. Um, and the graphics are still, you know... They age well. They age well. It's and, and I think that's where the SNES really excels and the Sega Genesis and to a certain extent the Sega Saturn is that there were... That, that was the height of pixel 
animation. Yeah. And you go back in those games, it's it's not like the early days of 3D game on well, you Saturn and PS1. It. It's yeah. terrible. Um, but man, those those last years of that those 2D games were just uh, remarkable, and th- and they hold up. I mean, Donkey Kong Country still plays like a modern day platform. Did you I, beat it when it I first did. came out? I okay. did. Yeah. In fact, one of my best memories uh, was actually beating King K. Cruel in Donkey Kong Country Two, and I remember that was the first time I ever felt getting in the zone with the game. Mm. I remember just replaying him over and over and over and over again until I finally beat him. And it was the music. It was the tension. I mean, I was so enthralled with that last boss. And it was, it was, a. I mean, I experienced something close to sublimity when I beat that guy. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I loved Donkey Kong. Is that the first game you can remember beating, beating? Um, yeah, I would say so. Oh, yeah. I would say so. I think Donkey Kong nice. and Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong's Quest, I think is yes, what it Diddy was called. Kong's Diddy Kong's Quest. It just, it, those games just blew me away. I mean, the music, the graphics, the way it played, everything just felt right. And I loved them. Did you play the, uh, the one after where you played, you had the baby Kong? The baby Kong. Is that Dixie? I think it's, well, yeah, Dixie was the girl. There was a new character that was like the big dumb baby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I played that too. Um, or Trixie or Dixie. Maybe it's Trixie. I think it may be Trixie. Might she be had tr- the ponytails the ponytail. that she could yeah, kind of yeah. have. Yeah. I, I think I played that a little bit, but I think at that time I had moved on. You had moved on. To other gaming okay, systems so after and the platforms. SNES, what'd you move on to? Was it PC? Uh, yeah. So it was PC. So what had happened was I, my mom was able to get these high end PCs. She was a a designer and she worked for these engineering firms and she was also doing like 3d animation. And so she would always have the top of the line computers. And so I had access to any game that I wanted to play, but the PC games were still a little bit, I felt too advanced Mm-hmm. Um, just with the systems. I mean, you, you would pull up and I think, I think it was Boulder's gate, a friend of mine, he had an older brother who's really into PC gaming and I was over at his house and his, and his brother was playing Boulder's gate. And I remember thinking it looks cool, but then he would pull up the menu and, and there'd be, be numbers and yeah. yeah. And I was just like, I, I can't, I can't do that. That is just too much information. And so I kind of just stayed out of PC gaming. I remember we played some Descent. Do you remember Descent? Yes. Yeah. What do they call that? Like 40 space movie? Like a free? Yeah, it has a term for that. There is. Yeah, I don't remember what it's um, called. Something for, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Because you can go any direction up. Yeah. That game was hard. Descent was hard. And but was nice about Descent uh, in comparison with the other options that you had out there is Descent was very restricted in your space. Because you were basically moving around in these caverns. And it was so like a room-based game. It was a room-based yeah. game. And I remember really liking the gameplay mechanics in Descent. It was fun. Um, I think a friend of mine also had a PC game. Oh, what was it called? It, it was also another – a similar style game to that. Gosh, the name slips me now. But we, was it a flight game? It was a flight game. It was kind of science fiction and you would you would fly you weren't in space, you would actually fly above this planet and you would go and destroy these different bases. 
gosh, I cannot remember what it was called. Um, terminal velocity. Oh, I would terminal have never thought of that. Velocity. But now that you say it, yes, yes. Wow, that's deep in the deep that's in the depths. Deep, deep. Terminal velocity. Terminal velocity. That was an excellent game. Yes, it was. I played that out of Chuck Seavers. Was the only kid I knew that had his dad. Same thing. His dad was a programmer. They always had the best PCs around. Yeah, and he had yeah. terminal velocity. Okay, awesome. Yeah, terminal velocity uh, was great. And then you know, I mean, there was a lot of versions of that. And then you had the Star Wars games, which were awesome. Uh, Tie Fighter, Tie Fighter versus X Wing. Yeah, um, and those were fantastic. Um, but even then, video games were still for me just kind of. They're, they they were the equivalent of movies. It was just a pastime that mm. would you, you didn't know. identify as a gamer in no. any way. No, you had beaten Donkey Kong, but you weren't a gamer, sort of right. speak. Yeah, right. What's the first? If it's during this era or later, we can come back. But what's the first game that you felt made you start going toward like, hey, I'm into games. <laughs> yeah, I'm into games, baby. And that, and that, yeah, no, that's a great question and one that I can tell you. Uh, with so much joy because even thinking about it now just makes me so happy. My friend, the same one who had the older brother that played Baldur's Gate, uh, told us about this game that had just come out for PC and it was originally on the PlayStation, but they had ported it. And the game was a Japanese game and it was similar to Baldur's Gate, but it was different. And he told my friend that this is a game that we could play. There wasn't all these systems and mm. menus, and it would really appeal I'm to trying us. Trying to guess, and so I uh, went to my mom and I said, "Can you go buy me this game?" And uh, she said, "Okay, yeah, I'll go pick it up." And so my mom went to the store and she came back and she handed me this box that was it it wasn't it wasn't a regular rectangular PC box, right? Cuz you would go to the game store and you would have the boxes looked all the same. Yeah. Right? And you could you could detach that little velcro Were PC dot. games the size of a CD disc? Usually or were they cuz the original PS1 games were tall. And then yes. they moved to like the regular CD case. Yes, like a music CD. And what were PC games? Were they usually music CDs? PC games typically came in boxes. So oh, yeah. they, could... they, they came in these boxes and they were really nice looking, right? And you would – I mean Warcraft, Warcraft uh, yeah. 1, Warcraft 2, Diablo all came in these really nice – cardboard boxes that you could always like detach the front mm. and a little velcro dot yes and it would just have the best art and and screenshots of the game and you know some kind of copy that really sold you on this immersive world that they're yeah, yeah. building um but this box that she brought home was so different i'd never seen a box this shape and it, it what shape was it it, it was like, trying to guess yeah it was shaped like um it was like a it was like a triangle with the top cut off. And I don't know what shape that is. Uh, okay. But but it was a triangle and it looked like the top had been shaved off. And so it was just this really unique shape. And I remember thinking like, man, this game, there's something with this Already game. Already something different. There's something different. Yeah. And the game that she brought back it's for a me. PS1 port. Was a PS1 port. 
on PC, and that game was Final Fantasy VII. I thought it was. I was going to guess seven, but I don't remember seven being in an odd. But how long was seven out before it was ported? I don't know, but it was very early on because that game, when it was first launched, it was in that really irregular uh, PC box that was unlike all the other PC boxes. Now, that said, I think that uh, because the – I want to say the publisher that ported it was IDOS. I think you're right. So – Yes. Right? And they also did Tomb Raider. And I remember Tomb Raider being ported over PC had a very similar box. box. Yeah. So it probably was just an IDOS thing. But that game, I – that was the turning point for me. That was the first game where I remember vividly being out with my family and thinking, I need to get home <laughs> as soon as possible so I can play Final Fantasy VII. I am having VII. anxiety because I, I cannot play this game. anxiety. Wow. That's a, you're the first. So obviously I'm super into JRPGs. You're the first guest that's in it. No one has been into JRPGs. I used to think that was pretty common because they're obviously a, it's a big type of game. A, and I, I'm constantly reading about it on forums. So I, I think I misjudged about how many people are into JRPGs. Not a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that, so that's I can see why you got into them because that's the first type of game. Before then, you were more of a casual gamer. Yeah. Other, other than beating Donkey Kong and then 7. What about it? We could talk about 7 all day. But what about <laughs> we it? We can. What about it caught you? Like, Let's go through the top three moments from seven that stick out to you the most and why. So top three moments. So one of the things that I think was so inviting uh, as a as a younger kid with JRPGs is PC gaming as far what, – what the games that Western Studios were bringing out to PC in the RPG world were – they were too difficult for a young yeah, kid Baldur's to really Gate, get into. You had Baldur's Icewind Gate, Dale. Icewind Dale. Yeah. Exactly. And so they were just too complex uh, for someone like that. But JRPGs presented similar systems but in much more simplified ways. Um, with Final Fantasy VII, I mean, let's be honest. That beginning where you're we were flying over Midgard – this the giant, cut this cutscene. You had never seen anything like that. This cyberpunk world looked massive, and you go all the way down, and the camera stops. It pauses, and then you go. Yeah, in. it zooms out. It zooms you out. See the whole city one shot. It zooms in, and then you go to the train, and y'all. And oh, you have yeah, the train, baby. and Woo! you just zoom up on this singular character, which I think is Eris, 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 mm -hmm. whatever. You zoom up on her and just the scope hits you immediately. And I knew from that point – You were in. I was in for something that I had never experienced before. And then the second moment in that game was when you finally exit Midgard. And you realize – And you're presented with a world map. Yes. Blew my mind. <laughs> I could not believe that what I had just experienced – was just a small fraction. Small fr is essentially a tutorial. A essentially a tutorial. Yeah, and I remember when I'm playing that game, the same thing. Like, it took me a long time to get out of Midgar. 
I might have been 20. This is dumb, right? You're young. You don't know how these games work. Yeah. It took me a long time to get out of Midgar. And when you finally get out, yeah, I had a similar experience. Like, well, wait. What do I do now? Like, oh, that was just one city. There's other cities. Are all these cities going to be? And with the remake, apparently, they're just doing Midgar for that reason. Oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, that in itself could be a 40-hour game. Yeah, they, they're saying that it's going to be episodic. It, they, they, did, they did release the release date, which I think is March of next year on PS4, and it's only going to be Midgar, but they said it's 60 hours, just Midgar portion of the game. Wow. So that wow. makes sense. So That's exciting. That's yeah, exciting. I'm really interested to see I how they flesh know. out Midgar. Square Enix is... I have, I have, I have little faith. Yeah. But we'll yeah. I'm going to buy it anyway. Oh, I have it pre-ordered, man. Final Fantasy VII Remake? Are you kidding me? You and I, I remember, would have conversations... About this. About the remake. Going all the way back when I was still in high school and junior high, I would have conversations very similar to ours. Yeah. Just, will they ever remake Final Fantasy VII? We need VII? a remake, yeah. And I'll never forget that reveal trailer at uh, E3 2017. 17? Might have been 2017. I think it was 2017. You're right. Where they where they uh, unveiled Last Guardian, which was thought of as a completely dead dead project. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, and then of course a game which hardly anyone played, Shenmue on the Dreamcast. But that Shenmue three announcement, it's was still not out. Shocking. No, it's not. But it is coming out soon. It is coming out soon, and I am a backer on the Kickstarter, so I will receive a PS four copy of that. Nice. But uh, we'll see. the 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 trailers definitely don't. It uh, looks like a inspire confidence. It looks like a cleaned up Dreamcast game. It does. Yeah, the animations Which I think are pretty stiff. They probably took the root of instead of trying to reinvent the wheel because this is mainly a Kickstarter backed game for people who love the first two on Dreamcast. I think they took – which I would – make sense. Like let's not stray from the feel and the formula of the original. But the problem is is I don't know how that will hold up compared to modern day conveniences and gameplay. Yeah. No, we'll I'm sim- – yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be really interesting to see how they pull that – how Yu Suzuki goes about getting that game to a new, a new age new of audiences. gaming, a new audience. What's the yeah. third memory from 7 that blew your mind? 7, I mean – and, and it has to be uh, Eris dying. I was going to say, I, it's got to be the death. It, it's the death. I could not believe that. And and to be fair, I was young. I think that I had only read a handful of books by that at time. This point, at yeah. this point. And in all books, you knew that the hero was always going to survive. All, this, all the surrounding cast was going to live to the very end. And even though some of their situations seemed insurmountable, they were going to make it through. But in Final Fantasy VII, when that scene where Sephiroth glides from the top, he drops down. He just drops down, and that sword goes through Eris. And I was shocked. shocked. I could not believe that she was dead. And then when you moved on from that point of the game and you realize, oh no, she's dead. Yeah, because you had a thought like, eh, this happens. They might bring yeah. her, resurrect. This is a mystical fantasy game. They yeah. could bring her back. And you realize, oh no, she she's not coming back. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny about that is talking about Final Fantasy VII, I think that was the first time that I ever started to visit online forums for games because I 
wanted to know if there was a way that to you could her bring her back. And I remember there stumbling. There were rumors. There were, there were rumors. There was rumors. There was rumors that the Japanese version was a little different and yes. that if you went to this particular like small hut, I, I can't even remember what it was called, but that she would be in there and if you had some materious set that you could, you know, she would appear back into the game, yeah. back into the narrative. I mean, obviously that's all bunk. Did you but- get thrown off? So I had another guest – I don't remember this from the game, but I had another guest bring it up. Is if after she dies, and you remember, so you're in, I think, the Temple of Ancients or the Land of Ancients where the she Temple dies. Of the Ancients, and there's yeah. that one of the, the backgrounds, the pre under background screens is like the weird, like seashell looking building, and then there's like a lake. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah, advent yeah. children as well. And if you go in the lake where her body, where Cloud lays her body down, there's a prompt. He said, one of the other guests said, there's a prompt that says, like, you can click on something and it says pick a materia. I don't know if you remember that, but it made him think, hey, there, I can come back later, later in the game and revive her. So he played the whole game thinking at some point I'm going to be able to come back and get her for the final battle, which never materialized. Did you remember that? Because I don't remember that. I don't. I don't. But, man, that is a real letdown because he played that whole game only to thinking, realize there was no way. Yeah, he's a little bit older. He played more games. He's like, oh, this is just foreshadowing. Like, I know, I know how RPGs work. Backtracking, get an item, and she's going to come back for the final battle, and which would make sense. That would be a trope yeah. in anime, but no, yeah. she's gone. I got mad That's because I had used her a lot because she had healing. I used her as a healer, right? And her limit wasn't her limit break like a healing wind. Healing wind, yes. And I had decked her out with yeah. badass materia that I had leveled up and like. Whatever the best bangle, you know, armor accessory was, you don't get that shit back. Yeah, you don't. You just lose. I lost however many materials she had. She was decked out. All her slots were full. I had leveled up material, and nope. See ya. Yeah, it dies with her. I didn't know that. I I, I think they I, patched it later. I think you get it like the Steam version of the game. You'll get your your stuff okay. back. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and all the many different. Uh, re-releases they've done for that. Well, we could talk about seven forever, but let's move on. So, the seven, which is a lot of we talked about this already. A lot of people think is the greatest JRPG. I'm okay with that. I know I bitch about it, but it is one of the greatest, and it is for a lot of people. It is the introductory JRPG for our generation. For a lot of people, I'll give it that. Yeah. So, did you play? So you, but you played it on PC. You didn't have a PS One yet. I did not have a PS One. I only had a PC and a Super Nintendo at that time. At okay. that time, what was the next game chronologically? So now you're kind of like, okay, I'm into games. This Final Fantasy VII shit is awesome. <laughs> what did you play next? Uh, yeah, so that that's a great. Uh, and now I'm trying to think. I so with with Final Fantasy VII. When I finished that game, I wanted to find a similar experience. I wanted a game that had a story that I could lose myself into, just like a book. And then I wanted that turn-based style mm. gameplay, right? I really love that, and I love the experience points. I loved going out, and every fight, you're leveling up your characters, you're leveling up your materia. And I remember I purchased... What did I buy? I bought a game. I remember it was what uh, Secrets of Evermore. 
That's a that's a Super game. Nintendo yes. game. So that's where you had the little dog, the little dog. Yes, and I bought that game and just hated it. I hated everything about it. It just did not feel like Final Fantasy VII. So you had missed all the SNES RPGs, Chrono Trigger, yes. Final Fantasies. Yes, I never played Chrono Trigger at that time. I didn't play any of the Final Fantasies. I didn't play, um, you know, any of the other okay. RPG games on Super Nintendo. I will edit this out. I gotta go to the bathroom. Me too. Me too. Okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, let yeah. it run, but we'll edit it out. Okay. All right, so where were we? We had to take a little back bathroom break. S- Secrets of Evermore, or Secret of Evermore. I'm not quite sure. It was Secret of Evermore. Secret of Evermore. With a little dog, and you hated it. I hated it, because it didn't feel like Final Fantasy VII. And the problem was, the tech was old, right? It wasn't three-dimensional, sprawling yeah. world. And, I mean, unfortunately, I missed probably one of the best RPGs during that generation, which was Chrono Trigger. And going back now, I realized, oh, there was a comparable game out there. I just had no idea about it. So you bought Secret of Evermore, wasn't into it. I wasn't into that game, and I realized that I just wasn't interested in games that weren't three-dimensional RPGs. I had no interest. And I also realized and i don't know how i came to this conclusion because i wasn't visiting gaming forums at the time i wasn't even really reading gaming publications at that time i was just sort of word of mouth and games people had i was still playing nintendo 64 with friends mario kart and those kinds of things but my real passion was final fantasy 7 and there just wasn't a there wasn't a, an analogous game to that at the time that I knew of. Yeah. Um, and I also knew that PlayStation was going to be the home of all of the new role-playing games. So I convinced my parents to buy me a PlayStation and I just waited. I just waited. I remember purchasing. There was a few out by that there, time. There were a few. There was um, Legend of Dragoon? Of Dragoon. Woo-hoo! That's Legend one of my of favorite. Yeah. Yes. And I remember really liking that. The battle system was fun. But it just didn't click with me. Hmm. And didn't beat it? I didn't beat it. Um, I, I play. I think – was that game four discs? It was four discs. Okay. That was a long game. It was a very long yeah. game. I remember someone telling me that later on. Um, I don't think I even made it past the first disc. So I got that game, didn't like it, and then I just sat and I played other video games. That's interesting because that game is really similar to 7 in a lot of ways. It what is, about it didn't catch you? I think what it was is it didn't have – it didn't feel <laughs> – I know this is going to sound ridiculous. It didn't feel Japanese. It, it was. I think that was actually developed by a Western studio. I, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was, and there was just something about the the aesthetic of Final the Fantasy VII yeah. that I loved. I loved the the animation, um, the way that they crafted the worlds felt almost like anime. And I wasn't really watching anime at the time, but I just loved how well it that felt. Japanese aesthetic. What people. I mean, people may realize now anime and that Japanese aesthetic is a lot easier to get a hold of. But when we were kids, 
I remember all we had was Pokemon, which I kind of liked. But I would wake up early every Sunday morning at like 4.30, 5.30 a.m. to watch Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z. Because that yeah. was the only – and I remember Japanese at the time, there was a way that they stylized action and animation that you couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah. And yeah. I do – I can see that with Legend of Dra- Le Dragoon. It wasn't – it didn't have that same visual flair. It didn't. It reminded me of Baldur's Gate and those Western RPGs that I had seen on, you know, other platforms like PC. Yeah. Um, actually, I think that's probably the only other platform I saw those Western RPGs on. But it just didn't click with me. I just didn't enjoy it. So you were casually playing some 64, it sounds like, some PC, but nothing other than 7 had really gotten you. Yeah, nothing other than 7 really gotten me. And I remember purchasing – well, I say I purchased. My parents purchased it for me. The, the Zelda. 64. Ocarina, yes, Ocarina of Time. And I, I distinctly remember that I got the gold version of Ocarina of Time, which was like the collector's edition of the game. and So it had been out for a while, obviously. Uh, There's a no, collector. no, it wasn't out yet. No. I had pre-ordered it. You pre-ordered it. I had pre-ordered it. Um, but that really didn't grab me. Ocarina of it Time. Didn't. No, it did That's not. That's another – you've been an interesting interesting guest so yeah, far today. Yeah, I, I, I liked it, but it wasn't, it wasn't Final Fantasy. It wasn't Final Fantasy VII. It was a great game. I enjoyed it. It just wasn't that. Did game. you beat it? I did. I did. So you did play it to completion. I did play it to completion. I, I took me a while though because I remember I was stuck on the Forest Temple for quite a long time. Uh, that's the first temple when that you're that is an adult. the very first temple as an adult. Yeah, okay. and that stuff. And it has me. that like maze mechanic where you you go through like the each log and it like rearranges the room yes yes and i was completely confounded by that i i could not figure out how to beat some of those puzzles did you have a problem with the water temple because that's a really common one i had a problem with the water temple as well yeah but but it wasn't the forest temple for some reason the forest temple that was the hardest threw me through a loop yeah and i don't know if it's because i got used to the kinds of puzzles that the game was creating for you and designing uh around for for the player but i just the Forest Temple just was terrible. Was terrible. Hmm. But but I, I like that game. So you beat it, but you felt wanting. It wasn't seven. It wasn't seven. It the world wasn't as big. I mean, in Zelda: Ocarina of Time, you have the central hub area, and then Hyrule all Field, Hyrule yeah. Fields, and then you have. I mean, you have the the stables. I think where you. Meet Epona. Epona, yeah. And then, but then everything was just kind of connected into the hub. It wasn't Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII was a world. It was a world. It was a living, breathing world With that you could fly around. Much more in history. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and Ocarina of Time just did not hit that high mark for me. And and I mean, speaking of Final Fantasy VII, I didn't play it on PlayStation. I played it later on PC. And so there were other games that had come out by then that I had gone back to and played. Um, so a lot of my gaming was not chronological in yeah. terms of release dates. Um, I was kind of all over the place because I really – I wasn't committed to a particular console. I wasn't committed to a particular publisher. I was just kind of being recommended games 
and Final Fantasy VII was just there was the a one lot because if click. Legend, so you bought a PS One after that, I did because you knew there were going to be more RPGs on it. There was a lot because if Legend of Dragoon was already out, I think Final Fantasy VIII might have been out at that time, or. I, I'd have to go back and check release dates. Yeah, I would go back and check release dates because I don't remember when Legend of Dragoon came out. Uh, I do remember Final Fantasy VIII, though. Coming out, and you got it on PS1. Coming out, and I remember at the time, game, not GameStop, it was called something else. So you had EB Games... Babbage's. 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 I don't even know if Babbage's was a nationwide chain. That might have been a West Coast. I think it was a West Coast because you had Electronics Boutique, which was the competing one with Babbage's in the Western United States. Before FYE, I think it was called Media Play. Media Play. Was a big one. Was a big one. Um, Then you had Funko Land. Yeah, and Toys R Us. And Toys R Us. But Babbage's just had the most passionate employees and it was a place that I could go to and I could find other people that liked Final Fantasy. Mm. And I'll never forget, do you remember uh, in Babbage's, I don't know if they still do this. I don't think they do because now they just sell toys and you know little trinkets. But they always had like a television that was playing uh, like the upcoming games. So when you would walk in, they would have the television screen and it would show the upcoming games like cinematics from PlayStation 2 and the current PlayStation games that were still, um, you know, uh, to be released. And they had playing on that screen. I'll never forget this. They had the Final Fantasy VIII cinematic. The The intro cinematic? No, not the intro. The one with Squall. And, and uh, what's his face? This blonde hair dude. Seifer? Seifer. Fighting. Fighting. Yes. And then they also had interposed with that the scene, the dance scene. Oh. Between Squall and who, Riona. And Riona. Yeah. And that blew me away. Because the cinematics in Final Fantasy VII were impressive, but they didn't look like Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy yeah. VIII looked like people. Like people. Realistic proportions. Yes. Yeah. That blew me away, and I was so excited for Final Fantasy VIII. And I remember every time we would go to the mall, I would always go to Babbage's, and I would always just watch, watch that TV that. screen that they had set up so I could see that Final Fantasy VIII cinematic. And, you know, thinking about it now, new gaming generations, the thing that always excited me most was what new things can they do to make these worlds feel even more real and like just imagine what the towns are going to look like when they have more tech and more graphic fidelity like these are going to feel like real places and Final Fantasy 8 the cinematics were great now I'm going to be honest the gameplay didn't look too much different than Final Fantasy 7 I think really? I think the models looked the more the models were way they were better but the backdrop still looked the same. They still looked like that. It was that about the same still, level. Yeah. Right? I remember looking at the models. The two things that stuck out to me about 8, I don't know if I saw it during some sort of pre-release footage or when I actually played it. But I remember thinking, I loved Final Fantasy VII. The backgrounds looked amazing, amazing and the battle characters looked awesome. But the world map characters were these little like chibi, blocky guys. And I remember thinking, even I loved Seven. 
but even when I was playing it for the first time as a kid, like, why can't the world map characters look as cool? Because aesthetics, again, like you mentioned, were a big deal. The anime, the Japanese yeah. aesthetic. Why can't the world characters look as dope as the battle screen characters? Yeah. I yeah. didn't get why. And when 8 came out, not only did it use the same character model in the world as the battle, but you could actually see your two companions following you around oh, instead of like yeah. them appearing yeah. out of your body to say a line and then disappearing <laughs> back into your body i forget about that so they had realistic proportions and it was the same model for both the world screen and the battle screen and that's was like oh this is cooler yeah i'm looking up i'm lo- i'm looking up when uh legend of dragoon was released wait what legend of dragoon was released in 2000 in north america when was Final Fantasy? And then Final Fantasy VIII. That's what we should have been doing. It's just looking shit up on our phones. 1999. So it February was 11th. So Final Fantasy VIII was out. Was out. Yeah. But did you play eight before Dragoon? No, no, no. I played Dragoon. So that, that makes me wonder. I must have gotten Final Fantasy VIII later. Mm. Scoot back closer to your mic, by the way. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm seeing here. So you definitely played things sort of out of like you said, out of chronological order. Yeah, because I wasn't I wasn't following uh like a publication or right? It was just kind of what I would see. I mean, I remember when I saw Final Fantasy Nine, I had just gone to there was a mall that had just opened up, a brand new mall, Provo Town Center yep. Mall. Do you remember this when yes. it opened up? And then you had this new – they had electronic boutiques in that mall. Yeah. And that mall, I remember going in there one time and they had Final Fantasy IX on the shelf and I was shocked. I had no idea that there was a Final so Fantasy IX. Yeah, yeah. You weren't following. No. I had a subscription to – I think EGM, Electronic Gaming Monthly. Okay, okay. Since I was like a little kid. So I always knew when things were coming out. That's interesting. When you played 8, so you got 8, did it scratch the itch for you like 7 did or were you disappointed? I was disappointed. And Uh, and, yeah, and here's uh, the reason. No, here's the reason is that it did not feel like it had the same RPG mechanics that 7 had. It didn't. And this is the reason. The junction system. The junction system. I was I, rough. It was rough. It was un, it was difficult to understand as a young kid. Mm-hmm. I and and it felt to me as though the game was pushing you to have these like fifteen minute long battles where you would just sit there and draw, draw the magic same magic out of the creatures. Over I hated over. that. It wasn't simple. It wasn't it wasn't Final Fantasy 7 where all you needed to do was equip the material that you wanted to level up in an accessory or a weapon and then you would just go out and fight monsters. And then you get experience and, and you would get experience. Yeah. It was very straightforward. 8 felt convoluted and I I hated it. Now, that being said, I did go back to 8 several years later and I liked 8. I we thought had 8 was really good. Almost the exact same experience. The first time I played it, I got it launch because I was following it. Public, I had a subscription to EGM. And I got all the way to almost the end of the game where you get the, the ship, the Ragnarok ship. Yes. The oh, red that's ship. Late. And I didn't – like I had kind of figured out the junction system. This like – again, I was probably 14. It was too confusing. But I didn't know that you had to draw and, and attach the spell to a stat – 
and then it mattered what kind of spell, like a, a fire spell would be better for attack, a heal spell would be better for HP. I didn't understand all that, and I got to the point of the game where I would grind and I would level up, but I couldn't beat anybody. Yeah. And I was like, why? I don't – like I'm, I'm level 70. I've been grinding and getting levels, but I can't even kill these regular enemies. I don't get it. Years later, as like almost graduating high school, like 17 or 18, I went back and played it. Do you remember the GX TVs? The I, GX TVs. I do not. It was the gaming TV with the speakers that folded over the front, and you un. I okay. got one of those. Okay, yeah, I do remember. I had seeing that. It was those. like the gaming CRT TV, and I played through that whole game, and they were so small. I played through that whole game on a GX TV at eighteen, and it became one of my favorite Final Fantasies. But it was way too confusing as a kid. That junction system. The junction system was over my head. I yeah. didn't understand it. And even the political situations that they were trying to build into that game from from a story perspective were also over my head. I mean, let's be honest. The whole like Jehovah and Shinra Corporation and how Sephiroth fits into that. I mean, even that was kind of over my head as a kid. Yeah. I didn't realize there was all this stuff built into that. But – uh, and then the thing I absolutely hated about eight, and this is where I stopped playing it as a kid, was changing the characters. So you didn't play as Squall. You played as this guy called Laguna. Laguna, oh, at the time, who, yes. And I was so I'm like, I don't want to play this other and and to me, leveling up and fighting monsters was so critical to that experience that having another character that I had to also dedicate time to and build up his stats. And you didn't really know why. It was so confusing. It was so confusing. And I just said, you know what? I don't like this game. This isn't Final Fantasy VII. I'm out. I've tapped out. Did you not beat it? I did not beat it. Okay. No. I think I may have stopped after the second disc i want to say so at this point there's still really only one game that has really sucked you in final fantasy 7 were you playing any 64 games at this time i was i played i mean like i was saying earlier ocarina of time which was fun it just didn't really capture me i was also playing some weird this is when i started to to really appreciate japanese games more than western developed games and so i was trying out um let's see what else did i play i mean of course mario kart 64 i played obviously super mario 64 and let's be honest seeing that game for the first time was was mind-blowing was mind-blowing yes and i i played a game Jet Force Gemini. Jet Force Gemini. Jet Force Gemini. That's been brought up a few times. Uh, Mischief Makers. Mischief Makers. You're the first one to bring that up. Which was a treasure game. Yes. A publisher that later I would come to absolutely adore. By the time I had no idea who Treasure was. Yeah. Uh, and then Quest. Quest 64. Oh, I never played that. Quest 64 was a game that a friend of mine purchased and it was it was an rpg and what's so funny is this is why okay this this is this is a a little bit tangential but quest 64 was such an incredible game because it felt similar to final fantasy 7 and that you had this large world presented that you could go explore and it felt like you were really uh, meeting these new people in these towns and you would collect food and items to to heal yourself and uh, battle these different monsters in the field. But going back as an adult, that game was panned. 
I mean, critics hated that game. It was yeah, like it wasn't a hit. five point out of ten. Yeah. This is the this is terrible. This is clunky. But as a kid, I gotta tell you, man, that game was so goddamn good. There's if ever some poor Quest sixty four developer, it's like the one <laughs> game you worked on thinks he's a failure, stumbles across this podcast. <laughs> hey, man, there's someone out there that has magical memories. About Quest 64. Quest 64 convinced me that the Nintendo 64 was a place that I could play RPG games on. Yes. And then, unfortunately, there wasn't any other game like that. Oh, yeah. 64, as far as JRPG goes, man, is there any? I can't so, for the Nintendo the 64, no, I don't think there were many. However, there is like a cult classic on Nintendo 64, but it's not. I would say it's an SRPG, Tactics Ogre. Yes. For the Nintendo 64, is raved about by Tactic Ogre fans. And I never played it. I did play Tactic, uh, Tactics Ogre on PSP, Let Us Cling Together, which I th- was not a remake of the Nintendo 64 version, but I think another beloved uh, version of that game for PlayStation, I think. That was only released in Japan, maybe? Maybe. So you haven't. At this point, you really haven't gotten into gaming yet. There's I no, haven't. No, because how old are you at this point? Like this Final Fantasy VII, you tried eight, didn't like it. I am just leaving elementary school. Yeah, forget you're a little bit younger than me. Yeah. So because the, the prime time for games, what I've noticed is twelve to sixteen, seventeen. That's mm-hmm. when people have their most cherished. Memories. Yes, absolutely. So you're about to enter your prime time. I'm about to enter, and and like I said, Final Fantasy VII captured my heart, and at the same time, StarCraft oh. was another one of my favorite games, and that was bolstered mainly because my friends played the hell out of StarCraft. Their older siblings played StarCraft, and so we were all into it. But as far as on a personal level, Final Fantasy VII okay. was just... So you had a PS1... You had a SNES, but you were kind of like Legend, Legend of Dragoon is already out. A lot of these games are already out. Yes. What do you move on to PS2 and have? Because we've talked a lot about a PS1 game, so I know you played PS1 games. Did you play them retroactively when you got older? Yeah, a lot of them I did. A lot of them I went back and played, and th- and that was m- primarily because the PlayStation Two, when it came out, it was backwards compatible. It was backwards compatible, and so I went back and bought all these PS One games that people raved about. This was also PlayStation Two era was when I went back and started to revisit a lot of these games, primarily because of online forums, mm. where people would talk about these RPG games I had never heard about, and so I thought. Damn, that sounds like a great game. But People you're in, are raving because about of seven. It. You're in. You know you like them. Yeah, you're looking for more. Yeah. So do you? Is the next step you get a PS2, or did you play anything before you get a PS2 on PS1 that captured you? Yeah. So uh, going back to Babbage's and their television screen that they would set up in the front of the store, I was walking by and I saw on the screen a three-dimensional Sonic the Hedgehog game and it was sonic running across this wooden bridge as a killer whale jumped back and forth destroying this bridge while he was speeding across is that dreamcast it was dreamcast 
and oh. it was a demo for Dreamcast, this this system, and I had never been a Sega person. And the graphics blew me away. They had Sonic the Hedgehog. They had Soul Calibur. Mm. They had – I can't remember some of the other games, but I remember specifically Sonic the Hedgehog and Soul Calibur just thinking, oh, my god. those That looks real. Those people look yes. real. Right? I remember Dreamcast. So did you get a Dreamcast? I did. Ooh. I so you went from PS1, Dreamcast, then PS2? Yes. So I went all in on Dreamcast and what was weird about that time period – and as a kid, I wasn't really aware of it. But going back, this time period kind of blends together because I was still playing PlayStation. I was still playing PC games. Uh, I mean and when I say PC games, really it comes down to StarCraft, Age of Empires yep. and WarCraft 2. RTS. RTS. Yeah. I was all in RTS. So Dreamcast comes around and it was – Dreamcast was launched September 9th, 1999. I Should still we look remember it up? that day. It was. Swear to you, September okay, 9th, you keep 1999. That day will live in infamy for me because the Sega Dreamcast <laughs> was the first time I had felt loyalty to a brand, to a publisher. Because Sega Dreamcast was the first time that I ever looked at graphics Holy shit, you're and right. thought September 9th. I'm telling you. Wow, dude, that's impressive. <laughs> that's impressive. The Dreamcast was my life. For two years, the Dreamcast was my life. I mean, that summer, so obviously September 9th, right? So you uh, leave school in May, uh, early June, and then you have that summer. And there's like nothing. There's a dearth of games during the summer, yeah. right? And I was like, I, the Dreamcast is going to change my life. It was the first time I felt an emotional connection to a console or even a game. I loved Final Fantasy VII. It was a great game. It was a great experience. But Sega Dreamcast was the first time I felt pulled. Pulled like my soul needed the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast <laughs> was going to give me the peak experience of gaming <laughs> And those videos at Babbage's convinced me that that's exactly what was going to happen. So September 9th rolls around. My mom goes and picks up the console because I think I just started seventh grade at the time. And she brings it home and I put in Sonic the Hedgehog and I'm blown away. I'm blown away and it is everything that I have been anticipating for five you, long wow. months. You're the first person who's brought up Dreamcast. The Dreamcast was played by hardly anyone. Yes. <laughs> but what's what's so fascinating to me about the Dreamcast is that everyone who played that system loves it, it to this day. It does have a really – when I'm on forums and Reddit reading about it, Dreamcast fans are fans. To them, it's the golden era. Like I think PS1 is the golden era. The golden era. Yeah. It, and it really was. And um, do you mind if I share something about the Dreamcast real quick? Uh, is that to do with pornography? No. No, oh, because that's my <laughs> Dreamcast story. Now I sound like an idiot. But I bought a Dreamcast retroactively much later because it had an internet connection. It did. And I never bought a single game for it. All it did was to look up 56K modem <laughs> load from the top down like, oh, my gosh, I can see your oh, I see titties. And I remember my mom asking me, why do you have any games? Like, I don't see any Dreamcast games, but you have that Dreamcast hooked up to your TV in your room. 
And it's like, oh, it has like some built-in games on it. So that's yeah. my one Dreamcast story. That's it's a fond memory for me because it's my only access to boobs. Yeah, as like a starving, raised Orthodox Mormon. Probably like, it was later because I bought it when it was like fifty bucks. Like yeah, probably like eighteen or something, seventeen. It had been out for a long time. Okay, okay. Yeah, you were finding these things for fifty bucks at the local at used the, game yeah, shop, KSL right? Or game, yeah, or yeah, GameStop. Yeah. See, at the time, the fact that that system had internet was a huge deal. Was huge. Yeah. And I, I remember this is how spoiled I was. My mom purchased an extra phone line to give you to wow. give me a connection for my system that wouldn't be interrupted. And and that that whole experience, you know, if I was a little bit older, I definitely would have probably used it for the, your the same purposes. But you were you seventh grade, so that's I was young, twelve, eleven. Yeah, I was I was young, and I got to tell you that internet access was unbelievable. And a friend of mine, a close friend, uh, purchased the Dreamcast as well, and he bought Soul Calibur, and I purchased uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. So you guys would swap. So we would swap and Soul Calibur just blew us away. You know, and it's interesting looking back at that period of time because the PlayStation 2 was always on the horizon. And so everyone was talking about the PS2. Hardly anyone was talking about the Dreamcast, right? Because everyone was waiting for Madden 2001 or 2000, whatever it was. Yeah. And how great the graphics looked and it was going to blow away the Dreamcast and – during that time, it felt like – and I wonder now looking back if this is not the reason why I'm such a hardcore gamer because that was the first time I had to fight for my belief <laughs> in a console. Yeah. I had to fight for that firm belief that the Sega Dreamcast was the chosen one. It was going to be the end all and it was going to bring us the best games and the PS2 could not compete. With the Sega Dreamcast. Speaking of Madden, the pre-sale. So I remember Sega Dreamcast coming out, and I wanted one. My parents wouldn't get me one, um, but it was in. I'm pretty sure it was Electronic Gaming Monthly, and they had a comparison of Madden on the Dreamcast, or it might not have been Madden. It might have been another football game. That's basically the only football game. So it had to have been Madden versus the PlayStation One Madden. And I remember specifically trying to convince my mom, like, look, mom, there are more polygons in the single foot of a player on the Dreamcast than the entire character model on the PlayStation 1. This is some next level shit. Yeah. And my mom was just not having it. Like, eh, I, we don't, you don't need another console. You yeah. already have, I'm already spending who knows how much time playing PlayStation 1 because that's my golden era console. They wouldn't get me one. But I do remember, there was talks about PS2, but the Dreamcast came out first. So that was the first time I saw that next-gen leap. Yeah. And they, they were talking a lot about, you know, Sonic was another big one. The character, the polygon count, like you said, when you go back and play old PS1 3D games, they're almost unbearable. Yeah. They don't age well. They don't. But I think Dreamcast PS2 games, you can still play them. Yeah, they, they, they hit a level where it wasn't so awful so janky so janky i have to pee again dude i think i have prostate problems dude, isn't that what playing? happens when you have prostate problems i don't know i've been noticing i how often do you get up to pee in the middle of the night zero damn i pee like three times a night and this has only been like the last year 
two years. Have you gone to the doctor? No. I would go to the doctor and ask him. I mean, with this white claw is going through me like a demon. One I second. mean, the white claw is going through me. Yeah. yeah. One <laughs> I really do. Like, lately I've noticed I get up two to three times a night to go pee, and that did not happen until maybe a year or two years ago. Mm. So that's so, what I have to look forward to. So what? That's what I have to look forward to in a couple of years. I guess. Then, I mean, right? I'm only three years older than you, but you've gone pee once. I've gone pee four times now. There's a definite. There's a definite. <laughs> there's a definite dis- difference. Yeah, I don't think I've ever gotten up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Ever. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. I guess I should go. I don't know if it, it might just be because I've gotten up to go to the bathroom at least once during my life quite a bit, but only multiple times recently. I, but I just barely went pee. It wasn't like I had to pee a tiny bit. It was like a full bladder's worth of pee. So maybe, maybe it's not a process issue. Maybe it's like you are more efficient with absorbing water or something. Maybe. I don't know. That doesn't – the thing, the thing, the problem with that though is I don't – I'm drinking the, about the same amount as you, right? Yeah. We work out about the same amount. I would say you're a pretty active yeah. guy. You're pretty healthy. Same with me. I don't know why that's the case. I don't know what would be contributing to that unless it's just a purely physiological difference between you and I. I have no idea. That's that. That's yeah, interesting. I've, I've just heard that isn't like a bad prostate in frequent urination linked. Isn't that one of the – Yes. Yes. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. Well, I guess that's but, – but, but it may also be that you have almost like incontinence where you can't hold your pee either as long yeah yeah i think that's the problem with prostate is that it actually puts pressure on that so like if you have are so like, it feels like there's more pressure exactly yeah, yeah. so it's very difficult for you that if you do feel like you need to urinate that you can't hold it like you got to go right then so i think that's what prostate is i, I don't think that. it's you go pee a lot i think it's that you can't hold your pee I'll have to Google it. So anyway, newsflash, maybe I have some prostate problems. <laughs> but you know what? Dreamcast didn't have problems with polygons because there was more polygons in the foot of a football player. Yeah. Dreamcast versus – so you got the Dreamcast. You played Sonic. You played Soul Calibur. Did you get Shamu at that time? Yeah. So this this leads into what I would say is the beginning of becoming the hardcore gamer. gamer. Okay. Uh, so there was a used music shop in Utah, Grey Whale. Yes, Grey Whale. Remember Grey Whale? Yes. So Grey Whale, there was uh, – Grey Whale was this used record shop. I think they had movies too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was up by the, the university and what I found out about Grey Whale was that they could import – Japanese games for you. I was beside myself because I don't know if this is still a thing. I think they're getting a lot better with localization now, but at the time, Japanese games would come out a year way earlier. Way yeah. earlier, right? And so you would see press coverage. This was also when I started getting into reading publications. Oh, didn't you tell me you played a game with like a paper printed translation? Yes. This is where we're headed. This is it. Yeah. This okay. is it. So 
the Dreamcast, obviously, right after – I mean, and like most new consoles, there is a period of time at the beginning where they're just – Not a lot of games. There aren't a lot yeah. of games. You have those release games. Some of them are good. Most of them are awful. And But the Japanese, the thing is the Dreamcast came out, I believe, a year before. It yeah, came out in 1998. December, September, night. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. year before. Okay, it was a year before. Yeah. So they had these games that were coming out that were blowing my mind. Specifically, Shenmue. Shenmue. Shenmue at the time was, honest to God, the most revolutionary thing I had ever seen. The fact that you could open up a drawer in a house and pull out items and hold them in your hand and look at the and 3D at models yeah. was insane. Yeah. They had this whole 24-hour cycle where the characters within the town would move about. It was like a real-life city. Do you remember – so I didn't play Shenmue all the way through. I played it in hindsight, like down. But there was – I was watching a tech demo of they were going through old games and how they pulled certain things off. And it might have been Shenmue 1 or Shenmue 2. And I'm curious if you remember this. But there's some tower or hotel that you climb and every room you can go into, every single room is like you can open – because a lot of games, there would be doors but you can't open them. There's only certain doors. Where this – tower i guess apartment building or hotel every room would open but they didn't actually code that they didn't actually build every single room every time you went in the room they had like a basically like a roguelite like a random generated room (laughs) based on rules and apparently back in the day that blew people's mind that every single door was openable and you could go basically everywhere and the way they got around it memory restrictions they didn't actually model these rooms they had an algorithm that would randomly generate rooms and that's how they pulled it off. I love that you know that bit of trivia because, yeah, that's Shenmue 2. That's Shenmue 2? That okay. is Shenmue 2. And, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see the kind of tech that they were utilizing in order to build those cities. Uh, now, in Shenmue, they were dealing with a really small town. So Shenmue takes place in the 1980s. It's a small little town. And then I think... I think the only other location you ever go to, other than the very end, and I won't spoil it, you know, just in case anyone hasn't played Shenmue and they want to go back and play it. It's a twenty-year-old game. It's a twenty-year-old game, but you know, Shenmue Three is coming out. Yeah, Maybe there's true. people that want to go out and some... enjoy it. But in there's and there's also a dock. Like you go and work at a dock, which was mind-numbing. I mean, the the game literally forced you to have a job, and you would go and write a. Uh, forklift for what amounted to I think about like 30 minutes of real time and you were just moving boxes and that's how you would get that's your income. That's a long time to move boxes for a game. It was. I mean looking back now it's – Was that a day of work in the game? That was a day of work. Okay. So you would actually go down to the bus stop. You would go to your job. You would do the forklift job and I mean obviously they would break it up with little scenes where you'd get yeah. into a fight with somebody and right and you would it was like kind of a virtue of fighter. Yuzuzuki, the creator of Shenmue, um, and I believe also Virtue of Fighter he helped on. Uh he put a similar fighting system in Shenmue from Virtua Fighter. So that kind of broke up the monotony of the job is you kind of have a Virtua Fighter experience within yeah. this, you know, banal existence. And looking back now, I was so young playing this game where I was had a job, but the game was so realistic that I just didn't care. Yeah. Now, the thing I haven't said about Shenmue is that that was the first game that I ever imported from Japan. 
So I went up to Grey Whale and I paid like $85 to import this game. So you were somehow aware of it from online or a magazine? Online. Okay. So this was the first experience I had with online publication, um, IGN.com was they had a great Dreamcast section and they were the ones who were raving about Shenmue. And so I immediately went and imported it and it was all in Japanese. Did you realize it was going to all be in Japanese? I did. I did. And I, and so I was, what was your plan. I was, I was a pretentious kid. <laughs> I, I believed that I could somehow teach myself Japanese wow. while playing this game. Uh, that didn't really work. <laughs> But I did find a translated version of the game on a website called Game FAQs. Game Facts, yeah. Game Facts. And, I mean, they had all these translation guides on there. And I remember. So you printed it, right? I printed it. I went and purchased a three ring binder. (laughs) And I had it all, I had it all ready. I had it all ready, and I was so involved in that game, and I actually beat that game in Japanese. So I have no idea how I did that because I would, I was honest to God playing it, looking up at the screen, and then every five seconds looking down looking at the down translation. At yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. But I can see that would be a fond memory because you put a lot of work into beating that game. I put so much work into beating that game. And then there were only two other games that I ever imported for the Dreamcast because, unfortunately, as everyone knows now, the Dreamcast only lasted two years. It was in 2001. Two years after that game, that game console came out. The promised console. This game was going to change everything, (laughs) and it gets canceled. Sega says... It We're was done only, with the Dreamcast. I thought it was four years, but it was only two, two years. years. Two years. They, they stopped ceased. making games two years. They didn't stop making games. They stopped They stopped supporting oh. the Dreamcast. So Sega at that point said, we're not supporting the Dreamcast anymore. We still have games in the pipeline, and we still have Sega.net, which was their online system that they used to support games like NFL 2K yeah. and all those 2K games and like Choo Choo Rocket and – the best game on the Dreamcast, Fantasy Star Online. Did you play Fantasy Star? I played the hell out of I that I have never game. played Fantasy Star. Online. Oh, my God, but I dude. I have met two people in my video game nerd days that are as, are as passionate about Fantasy Star Online as I am Sakodin. Yes. Fantasy Star Online – now, Sonic Hed- the Hedgehog was great. The graphics yeah. blew my mind. Fantasy Star Online – was the next iteration of what was possible. So Final Fantasy VII opened my eyes up to a world that I didn't think was possible. These huge, sprawling worlds with people and storylines and lore and and this battle system that was so fun and just a world that I could sink in literally 100 hours and still not see everything. Fantasy Star Online was my first experience with online gaming, and that changed everything. And that was all on the Dreamcast. And I bought the keyboard for the Dreamcast and you would plug it into one of the controller ports. Yeah. And that just blew me away. And so when the when and what's really sad about that is Fantasy Star Online came out uh shortly before the announcement that Sega was abandoning the Dreamcast as a platform. And that was a huge blow. But Fantasy Star Online was great, and they still released Fantasy Star Online version 2 
in Japan and Europe. So I actually had to import Fantasy Star Online okay. version 2 from Europe. At least it's in English at that at point. At least it was in English. And then the two other games I imported was from Japan. Was there not like a, the PAL NTSC sort of region lock on the Dreamcast? So Dreamcast did not have that. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it it didn't have it for – okay, so I lie. I lie. This is how this is how it worked. Dreamcast was easily hackable. And if you remember, Dreamcast did not run CD-ROMs. It ran this proprietary CD called a GD-ROM. I did Sega. not know this. Yeah. So Sega, in an attempt to limit the amount of piracy on the Dreamcast, printed all their games on GD-ROMs, which supposedly had – like an extra layer of data so they could put larger games on a single disc. On a single disc, right? okay. So they were GD-ROMs. Well, that system is so easy to hack. Even to this day, and this is what blows me away, to this day, you can go on your PC and just go find an ISO file, burn it onto a CD-ROM, and just stick it in your Dreamcast, and it'll, it'll work. Wow. It'll work. It's insane. So the, the so the system is incredibly easy to hack, uh, even with Sega's attempt to to stop piracy. But and and I'm wrong. Now that I think about it, you could not play international games. You can't. You couldn't play PAL, and you couldn't play what is it? NTSJ, NT NTSJ for Japanese. NTSJ. You couldn't play those games. However, you could purchase a Game Shark. Which came with, and if you remember, the Dreamcast memory cards went into the controller. Into the controller, yeah. And so you would buy a Game Shark. It came with a CD, and then it came with a memory card that you would plug into your controller. And through the Game Shark, you could bootload international games. Is that how you played Shenmue? Or- yes. yes. Okay. So every time I played a Japanese game, I would have to stick in my Game Shark. I would have to boot that up. Then take out the Game Shark CD and put in the Japanese disc, close the lid, and start it up. And mm. that's the way I could play Japanese and PAL games. Damn, that's a lot of work. You were dedicated. So I was you dedicated. became a gamer. I became Dreamcast a, yeah. made you a gamer and a, kind of a Japanese aficionado, whatever that word is. Yes, it yeah. did. It did because I had to put in so much effort and I, I had put so much effort into daydreaming and envisioning this future of gaming through the Dreamcast that I felt so emotionally connected to that system that I couldn't let it go. And so I imported uh if you th- this game also has a cult following, but Jet Set Radio. Yep. Uh Jet Set Radio blew my mind. The graphics were great and I got to say that game's soundtrack to this day is still awesome. In fact, they have a website that is still going, that is still hosted, where all they do is play Jet Set Radio music. Wow. Wasn't Jet Set Radio – was it like Tony Hawk and it licensed other songs or was it all original music? I might be getting it mixed up. So Jet Set Radio Jet – Set Radio, so Jet Set Radio, which is what it was called in Japan, Jet Grind Radio is what it was called in the United States. And I think there was a follow-up game, Jet – like – Jet De La Jet Set Radio it had some funny name, but it was basically the American version that they re-released in Japan because I think the American version had like additional songs. 
they actually had like Japanese musicians, electronic oh. artists, and DJs that went on and created that soundtrack for Jet Set Radio. So it was all original music uh, made for for the game. Though. For the game, it wasn't licensed music. Like there is, there must, there was a newer Jet Set Radio. I must have played a newer version where like there's like a DJ that runs a radio station that's telling you what to do. Jet Set Radio Future, Future okay. for the Xbox. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And that one had licensed songs on it. I, I, think. I think that one had yeah. licensed songs. I think you're right. Um, yeah, so Jet Set Radio Future uh, was great. But, man, that that was a real sore So two sore short, beautiful, glorious years. Two short, beautiful, glorious years. And did you go to PS2 after that? Reluctantly. Reluctantly, I did not go to PS2 just yet. I purchased a Nintendo GameCube. Really? I did. I did not – because we have nerded out on so many PS1 games over the years. You didn't play them until way later. I didn't play them until a lot later. Yeah. Yeah. So – You went to GameCube. What – What? Uh, what so at that time, you had both options. What convinced you to go to GameCube? Smash Brothers Melee. Okay. That game – It's fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That game was uh, – Damn, that game was good. That game was good. And as a kid, and, and I mean, that was a time period where we were still gaming in living rooms. We were still going yep. over to each other's houses and sitting down on the couch and playing co-op and looking at our little small quadrant of the television and, you know, getting mad at each other that yeah. <laughs> we were looking at our screens, right, with GoldenEye on 64 and then... With GameCube, you had Melee, which was nice because you could have the whole screen. Had the whole screen, yeah. Which was actually really cool. Like if you think about it, up until that point, it was really hard to find multiplayer games that didn't set, split you up. Split you up into four screens. Um, and and Melee just blew my mind. I mean, it just felt so uh, robust. There were these trophies that you could earn, and there's these mini games, and you had all these different Nintendo characters, and then. Then this is what sold me on the GameCube. So Melee was the first time I thought GameCube's great. And then there was a magazine. And this is when I started reading EGM. You mentioned EGM earlier. This is when I started picking up EGM. And they had a whole spread about the upcoming GameCube games. And they showed Super Mario Sunshine, which is the first time I had seen another 3D Mario game since the glory days of 64. Zelda Wind Waker, and those graphics were so strange and cell shaded. But see, I was already used to cell shading, and I loved so it. Then a, b- a lot of people hated that reveal, and and the reason why Jet Set Radio, yes, because oh, Jet makes Set Radio sense. had beautiful cell shaded graphics, and I thought, well, that's cool. I'm into this. Yeah. Right, I'm into a lot that. of people hated that because there was like a a tech demo for six in between sixty four and GameCube. That they used Zelda and it was a realistic looking Zelda. So everybody thought so – when I saw Wind Waker, it was like, what the fuck? This looks <laughs> nothing like the tech demo. But I ended up loving the game later. But I see you were primed for that art style. I was primed for that art style and I loved it. And it was so original. And speaking of that tech demo, is that the tech demo – is that what Twilight Princess ended up looking like? Yes. OK. Well, I, I don't know if it looked exactly the same but – 
they after Wind Waker, they made Twilight Princess, and that was part of the marketing material. It's like now you can get the realistic Zelda that you've been waiting for. I see, yeah. I see, and you know what's funny too? Another th- and this is just another tangential piece of information, but because I was primed for importing Japanese games, I imported Zelda Wind Waker when it released in Japan. I actually decided to take Japanese uh, in high school. Because you guys had Japanese. That's why I went to Timpanogos. Yeah. We never met, but yeah. yeah. And so I studied Japanese and I had a Japanese to English dictionary and I played through Zelda Wind Waker How did you get in the Japanese, Japanese to play on GameCube? What was the process? I then? think I also – I think Game Shark, Game Shark also did it thing? again. Yeah. 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 Or – I can't remember how I played those Japanese games because I did have uh, – I think Zelda was the only one I imported actually. And what was funny is the Japanese games – do you remember how the GameCube had this really like toy-like quality to it? Yes. So in the United States, GameCube games came in regular DVD cases. They were the regular size but the games were teeny. But you had those little mini-disc yeah. looking things. In Japan, they actually f- put those mini discs into mini cases, so all the Japanese GameCube games tiny. are in these little yeah. tiny cases. And I remember that Japanese, and I gotta say, the cover art for Japanese, the Japanese Wind Waker, it's better, was so good because the American release, I think, was just the the is this uh, the ship on the water? It was just the ship with yeah, with just the logo type. Of Zelda, and then you had the the ship, and then it was gold or something like that. The Japanese version had this beautiful illustration with Zelda and the uh, Link and the whole cast behind him. What are those like? What are the? What's that type of word when they have like the All Star artwork where it's like you have a fighting game and you have all the characters and you have the few in the middle and they're coming out the sides and the yeah. top. There's a word for that type of. I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that and that was the Japanese cover yeah. for Wind Waker. So I imported that. And honestly, now that you're asking me, I don't know how I I did that. Um, it may have been – It may that, have not been region locked. I know there's been a handful of consoles that haven't been region locked over the years. Maybe that was it. I don't know because I think that was the only game I ever imported for the GameCube. Everything else I bought stateside. Smash Brothers, uh, Sunshine, and then, of course, Metroid Prime, which blew my mind. Uh, that was another really turning point in So you're starting to get do. more into games at this point. You're importing. After Dreamcast, I was, I was on board. But I was obsessed. But you haven't done a lot of JRPGs. You but haven't... I haven't done a lot of JRPGs. Yeah. yeah, because Final Fantasy VIII disappointed me. Final Fantasy IX was really good but i didn't really get into it until i was i was older um and so yeah i think final fantasy 7 and up until the dreamcast days and even into gamecube i really didn't play jrpg when did you go back and start playing the classics chrono trigger final fantasies all the ps1s ones we've talked about is this shortly after gamecube era it's shortly after gamecube era so unfortunately dreamcast because it only lasted for two years only had a handful of JRPGs. Besides they, Fantasy Star, what was there? I there can't think was, of any. Yeah, so – and I don't blame you. So there was Grandia 2. Oh, uh, yes. And they're releasing a HD remaster of that soon. It's been announced. Are they? Yes. Grandia 2? There's the Steam version, which I thought about buying. 
but they're doing it's not a remake but like a true hd remaster where they've We've done the textures, some localization, some quality of life improvements, widescreen support. It's might be out. It was announced a while, but that's one that I've never played. But I know a lot of people consider it really good. Grandia Two was a good RPG, and I also imported that one in Japanese too. And I I love that game. Um, there, <laughs> the other game I purchased, and this one I actually bought in the states was. And I know you're not going to know this game, but it's called Egg. E-G-G. It's actually uh, a acronym for Elemental Gimmick Gear. It's just That sounds Japanese as shit. It's very Japanese, yeah. And, and it was produced... Is it a mech game? Yeah, so it's really interesting. It, and honestly, the art style wasn't that great. It, it looked like one of those... It's It's... Almost looked like one of those Japanese takes on steampunk. Hmm. Have you ever seen that? A lot of anime is trying to toy with that aesthetic. Yeah. But it was called EGG. It was like Elemental Gimmick Gear. If anyone had a Dreamcast, they're going to know this game. I got to look this up. Because this, it sounds cool. Yeah. When you said gear. I'm like, that's got to be a, be a it, mech type. Yeah, it was interesting. It was top down and it was two dimensional. Except- I type in egg. Autofill goes straight to Dreamcast. So apparently That's great. Yeah. It was uh oh, this looks cool. Yeah, it was a top down two dimensional game, but then when you got into the battles, the battles were fully rendered three D. And it was the thing that disappointed me is that it was two dimensional out in the field. And I remember hating that. I remember thinking that was just ridiculous that I was playing a Dreamcast game. And it reminded me of a Super Nintendo game. So those two games, Grandia 2 and Egg, and I think there were a few other ones. But there was one RPG on the Dreamcast, which is definitely like its Final Fantasy VII. And it was called Skies of Arcadia. Yes. You remember this game? I never played it, but that series. The- they, re- they re-released it on GameCube, actually. And Which one is that? Because there's there's tales. There's all. I'm getting confused with the tales game. Yeah. So Skies of Arcadia was a Sega game that Sega actually published, and they tried to make it their flagship role playing game, and it was all done internally, and it was great. The art style was fantastic. You played as these kind of space pirates. And so it had this giant overworld and you could fly around in this ship. And it was actually, you know, looking back now, it was pretty progressive in its game design because it had your typical turn-based battle system, but then also had the the ship battles. So there were these much large, larger scale battles that you would have with other ships. You would have it with like giant monsters. And so it was almost a different... Um, battle system built into the game in addition to the The regular turn-based. Yeah. yeah. So that game was great. However, that game did not age well. 
Uh, but but that was a great Dreamcast game. So you did you play did you beat and play both Grandia and Skies? Yes. So you had done some JRPGs, I, but they I, didn't impact you like Final Fantasy. VII. No, 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 no. Nothing, yeah. nothing hit Final Fantasy VII up until that point. And then I got the GameCube. And if you're you know if you're familiar with the GameCube, not a lot of JRPGs on that system. Yeah. I think there was Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, Chronicles yep. which was really kind of a multiplayer it, game it, i don't even know what to equate it to but it just wasn't it felt more like an arpg than a jrpg it, it, if yeah. i rem- right did you yeah. ever play it i played i didn't beat it but i played it okay so would you would you would you call yeah, it, it was more, more of an, an ARPG? arpg yeah so there just wasn't I don't even know if there was a, a flagship like a traditional JRPG. JRPG on Nintendo GameCube. I can't think of unless I mean you did have the Skies of Arcadia re-release. Let's see what we got here. Tales of Symphonia. Oh yes, Tales of Symphonia. That's a classic. That one. I never classic. played. I played it on PC later, and then I've heard about this one. Apparently, it has a cult following. I've never played any of them. There's two of them. Botan Kato's. Kato's. The card-based game. The card-based game. I which hated I that. wasn't into card-based games. Yeah, it wasn't Then you have the that. Fire Emblem, which I never played any of those. And that's basically it. Okay. Crystal Chronicles. Something called Lost Kingdoms. That was another... 6.2 on IGN. I want to say that was another card game. Or a card-based game. I remember getting that. Yes, there's cards. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I never – anything card-based wasn't – that makes sense. Yeah, I wasn't into that. But but I do remember Tales of Symphonia. I remember really uh, enjoying that game, but not to the level of Final Fantasy VII. I mean – and we're jumping so far ahead in time. For me, like as a kid, that felt like such a from, – from Dreamcast – to GameCube, I mean, there were so many games that I played, and yet, really, Final Fantasy VII was the one that still made the most impact on me. Yeah, um, and I could never cre- recreate that feeling. Recreate that, yeah. yeah. And even Tales of Symphonia, I remember liking that game. It just didn't feel as epic as Final Fantasy VII. Um, so I I got the GameCube. I loved that system, but I loved it primarily because I could play it with friends. We played Smash Brothers yeah. a lot, and then I played Metroid Prime. It was Prime. one of the first consoles, maybe the first, that had four native – doesn't it have four controller ports? It native? does. It does. Yes. Natively, it has four controller ports. No adapter needed. No adapter needed. And, of course, the best wireless controller, the first wireless controller to come out that I felt was actually a viable option, uh, the, game, the Nintendo WaveBird. Do you remember the WaveBird? No. So the WaveBird was the first wireless controller that came out for console that just blew my mind. In fact, I remember having a friend of mine go outside of the house and see, see if he how... could still control yeah, the yeah, GameCube. Yeah. It was flawless. The thing was amazing. It had this big old dongle that you had to plug into one of the ports. And then it had – if you remember the GameCube, it kind of had that weird – it kind of had this weird organic shape to it. The yeah. buttons were kind of different. They weren't, you know, all all uh, 
what what game what controllers are now but then it had this like fat part that sat underneath it and then you put like double a batteries in tons it of batteries yeah. yeah but that thing was incredible i mean wireless controller on the gamecube is fantastic but then but then this was the this this is what happened uh final fantasy 10 10 yes. i was wondering if 10 is what was going to bring you back to the fold yes that's what brought me back to the fold. Final Fantasy X for the PlayStation 2 came out. And if I was stunned by the CGI in Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy X? The CGI was insane. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. That opening – so I I remember going – that was one that I somehow – I was aware of it, but I had somehow missed that it launched. Because I remember going to Toys R Us. The Toys R Us in Orem had like just re – Modeled and all the game stuff was now like closer on the east side. And I walked in and they had Final Fantasy X like sitting on the shelf. I'm like, that's not out yet. Is that out? Oh my gosh, it's out. I need to get it right now. And that opening scene, the Blitzball scene. Oh my when god. He's, and there's the crowd all around. I just like, I, and at this time on TV, people have to remember like, what did we have for CG? We had Reboot, which was like this old cg cartoon mm. where he flew around on a hoverboard and it looks like w- so terrible <laughs> there was uh beast wars transformers beast wars yes. was cg there wasn't a lot of like cg cartoons as far as movies go like pixar the, yep yeah pixar pixar that come out there was like the abyss had some cg remember mm-hmm. the alien mm-hmm. and the, the abyss alien. there was a little bit but there wasn't much and for a long time, the best CG was generally Japanese video games. And when Final Fantasy X came out, that was the best CG I had seen hands down anything. Easily. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Those those graphics and, yeah, that Blitzball scene in the stadium. I mean, that was the first time that I actually I, – I vividly remember asking my parents to look – at Final Fantasy X because of how – You wanted to amid- show it off. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to show this off to them because I just could not believe the fidelity of these graphics in a game. And that brought me back into the fold of JRPGs because nothing – I mean if you really look at that time period, you had Final Fantasy VII – and most of the other RPG games, like, yeah, they felt a little – I mean, Grandia 2 and Skies of Arcadia had that 128-bit Dreamcast yeah. coding to them. And so they looked nicer. But nothing felt like it really pushed next-gen. Next yeah. Final Fantasy X uh, felt like that next leap. And I was I was enthralled. I, I mean, I – and you know what's funny is I have a memory – where I was sitting and watching Lord of the Rings, the first Lord of the Rings when it came out to theaters, and I, Final Fantasy X came out like around, around same that time. same time. And I remember sitting in Lord of the Rings, watching Lord of the Rings, and thinking to myself, Ten's better. Ten's better. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go home and play Final Fantasy X because that's a better experience than Lord yeah. of the Rings. And 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 then I was back in. And then I was PlayStation 2. I kind of forgot about the GameCube. I played Resident Evil 4, which was great. That was originally a GameCube exclusive. And then what you know is interesting about Resident Evil 4 
it was a big deal when that was announced as a GameCube exclusive because Resident Evil had been a, a PlayStation essentially. I think they ported the first ones to Saturn. Maybe maybe Saturn got a port. I think Saturn got okay. a port of Resident Evil okay. One. It was a big, big deal, and everyone was like, "What the hell?" And I remember some pre-release stuff showing the first troll boss in EGM. I'm like, "Well, it looks pretty cool." The GameCube was was marketed as more of a f- underpowered, family friendly, but it was getting Resident Evil Four. <laughs> what the hell is this? And now that might be the most ported game of all time. I mean, other than that game Skyrim, is on everything. <laughs> yeah, that game is on everything, I That's think. That's on now. everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh the only other game that I've seen ported that many times is Skyrim. Skyrim might be up there. Maybe Borderlands 2? I don't know. Yeah. There but yeah, Resident Evil is on everything. In fact, I think it's coming to Switch or maybe it's on Switch. I think it's now. already on Switch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that game that game was great. That game, and then of course, the game that has stuck with me for years, and I'm actually awaiting the release of this in March of next year. Animal Crossing. <laughs> I've never played any of those, but people love them. They're it's great. It's great. Animal Crossing, and it's it's one of those games where it's so difficult to explain. It, it's similar to. How when Isn't Minecraft it like a came out, sim game. It's not farming. It's it's actually even simpler than farming. You basically just live in a village and pay off your mortgage and make friends with the animals in the village. And you can fish and you can uh, hunt for bugs and collect fruit <laughs> and cut down trees and decorate your house. It it sounds so stupid on paper. But it has that Nintendo magic. There's a magic to it. There's a yeah. magic to it. And Animal Crossing is definitely my guilty pleasure. I mean, that game just captured my heart when it came out on the GameCube. I had no idea what I was expecting. Even my brother, who at that time was someone who only played sports games. He would only play Madden and uh, MLB 2K, NBA 2K he loved Animal Crossing. And I think because Animal Crossing, especially at that time, was such a simple proposition as a video game. It's you just live in a village. There are no timers. There is no experience points. There is no online community. It's just you in a village and you can take it in day by day. And you check your mailbox when you log on and you see if someone sent you a present <laughs> and you can just walk around and just and just log off. Now, here's the thing about Animal Crossing that was later brought in, this mechanic, which is Animal Crossing on the GameCube ran off of the GameCube's internal clock. So the game would match real time. Real time. Yes. So okay. if you log on at night, it would be night would in the be village. Yeah, if yeah. it was Halloween, the village would be celebrating Halloween. Now, obviously, it runs That's off. pretty cool. It is cool. And obviously, I mean, if it runs off the internal clock in the GameCube, you can manually change that. So people would cheat. They would go in and change the date so that they could get the specific gifts for Christmas. Yeah. And, yeah right? Yeah. So the system was abused. But um, – Animal Crossing is probably the only Nintendo GameCube game series that I still follow religiously to this day. 
Um, everything else, I mean, as we all know, Resident kinda Evil. Kind of fell by the wayside. Kind of. The PlayStation 2 era is your favorite era. Well, no, PlayStation, we're back. We had to take some pee breaks. I know we're going to be talking about PlayStation 2, which you're going to, as you, seems like you're getting more into JRPGs, which is, for me, the golden era is PlayStation 1, kind of PlayStation 2. JRPGs, but it sounds like you retroactively played some of those besides seven. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be really, really fun. I thought about actually doing the same podcast idea, talking about memories, but only JRPGs. But I was like, man, that's going to be too narrow of a focus. It would be impossible to find yeah. 100p, you know? Yeah. So, but well, I'm really stoked a, because of that. Yeah. And a lot of the consoles, I mean, Dreamcast and GameCube. I mean, if those were your consoles of choice, you're gonna have nothing. You're gonna have nothing. Yeah. yeah. So, so you do Final Fantasy X. I'm, I'm assuming you beat it. Let's talk about that because I was super. I had played all the Final Fantasies, and I had played essentially almost every single, in my opinion, worthwhile RPG, and some not so worthwhile on PS1. Like I was knee deep. And I had the opposite experience. The graphics were amazing. I don't know if it's because I was getting a little bit older. I'm three, four years older than you. Yeah. And so JRPGs, like, you have to be in that sweet spot, 11, 12 to, like, 17. Then they get kind of cheesy and they just – and I was starting to come out of the JRPG magic world and I hated the voice acting. <laughs> I hated the voice acting. In 10. And Titus could suck my – dick straight up i thought it was like no offense if you like to suck dick but i was like he probably does but there he, he just his outfit one fucking <laughs> who wears an opera overalls undoes one of the straps and he had like just the aesthetic the only character really what it came down to is the only thing that i thought was cool was oran that's the reason I beat that game. Yeah, Oran was cool. The guy cool. with the glasses and the Oran big. Oran was cool, yeah. He, he was, was like, like the drunk. Okay. He was like the drunkard, like, martial artist yes. guy with the big-ass sword. Yeah. And the he, cool sunglasses. And he was the adult, and he was, like, leading you. And he, you could tell he knew more than he was telling you. Now, on the flip side, I thought the story and the idea behind Ten. I have a love-hate relationship. I thought all the characters are lame and cheesy and annoying, except for Oren. The black mage chick, I hated her goth belt thing. Lulu. But she was kind of hot, so I gave it a pass. <laughs> and uh, But the story of sin in the cycle and that they have to sacrifice somebody and then it only lasts for a thousand years or whatever. And then they have to keep doing this. And you have this whole culture and tradition behind the cycle of sacrificing a summoner who goes on this journey and that you want to break the cycle. As I was – had maybe – there was those type of themes in Final Fantasy, like you said, with Jehovah, but I was too young. I was old enough to start to kind of clue into the more meta, religious, mm. sort of, maybe you could say light philosophical, philosophical. themes that they peppered yeah. into those games. I, I loved all of that, and I liked, spoiler alert, that like you ended up not being real. You're like a memory, and once you faded, like that whole concept and the ending was really cool and mystical. But the characters, I just didn't think the characters were cool. Yeah, that's fair. And I was too young to be that critical of the characters. Yeah. Looking back now, yes, the characters Baca, were awful. Like the weird hair that sticks straight up in the middle. It was just – Yeah. It was the first time I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm into Japanese style anymore. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, no, it's interesting you say that because that that's how I felt about it years later. At the time though, it, Final Fantasy Ten, baby. Yeah, Final Fantasy Ten could do no wrong. It was yeah. so good. It was so good. And the graphics were great. So good. They were amazing. They were the great. The scenes. Oh my god. I did like the uh Sphere system was kind of an interesting take on leveling up. Yes. I like the sphere system and Final Fantasy X just did it for me. It was I was I was back in the game and Square Enix had knocked it out of the park. Final Fantasy X to me was the successor to Final Fantasy Seven and I had it on PlayStation. There's too. another uh guest, Adam Scott, who's uh works for does some video game stuff for work. He thinks Final Fantasy X is probably the GOAT, and he loves it, and we always argue about it. So he would agree. If he was here, he would be cheering. Give him a <laughs> shout-out because I know he's coming on, I think, next week. Did you go straight? Now, did you get it at launch? It sounds like you got it at launch, right? I got it at launch. Yeah, Final so Fantasy X. So what came X, after that? What was launch. available? Um, you know, I don't remember any other game besides Final Fantasy X until I played Grand Theft Auto Three. So that was a big deal. I think for not just nerds, but that's a game that brought people who didn't play games to get a PS2. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the thing is, and you know, looking back at Final Fantasy VII, even going back to these older RPG games that I was on and on, on and off again, kind of relationship with, like Secret of Evermore that we talked about, and uh, Legend of Dragoon, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX. The the worlds felt large, but when you played Grand Theft Auto Three, you realized just how limited those worlds were. Yes, because the way those I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because those worlds worked with they would scale out. You could say not the resolution, but the resolution of depth. So when you're in like the town and in the room, there'd be a lot of depth. When you get to the world map. It's way more sparse. And it wasn't really like they had fleshed out a world to scale. Yeah. The only, there was nothing really to scale. Everything was kind of fantasy in the sense of, yeah, it was. But when you played Grand Theft Auto 3, it's, it was to the scale what felt like when you walked around outside. Yes. Like, oh, this is a city city. This isn't like a town has a shop and an inn and a cool castle. That's not a real town. That's just like it was built around gameplay. This was like this is a city like the city I live in. It's a completely, completely different thing. A, a completely different thing. A comp- completely different experience. Because when you look at Final Fantasy, even Final Fantasy X, as much as I love that game, it still is based off this. You have the the models of the characters, these three D models, but then really you're moving on what's essentially a two D backdrop. Yes. Even Final Fantasy X, they did better with the backdrops the because they weren't. 3D, the camera's fixed. You know, they're kind of just setting up like. A painting, a scene in 3D. There isn't really a world around you. Right. It's a series of like angles that they've just set up. Right. Yes. Right. And at the time, you didn't really notice that because everything was beautiful. And you were like, no, this is great. This is the next evolution of Square Enix. Uh, Was it Square Enix by the time or was it still Squaresoft? When did they merge? I don't think it was – I think 10 was released as Squaresoft. Okay. Okay. So Squaresoft RPG, the emergence of that, this is – it. they're coming back into their, you know, Final Fantasy VII glory days. We're back. But then Grand Theft Auto 3 came out and I thought, 
oh my god what is this sorcery? what is this or exactly yeah. because i just could not believe that there was a game where you could walk down every alleyway and you could go into the buildings and you could drive around in this car and there were street lights i mean obviously you don't have to obey them but there were pedestrians walking around yes. and people and that just showed me an entirely different perspective of what video games could what achieve. games could do yeah, yeah. and that was grand theft auto 3 and i remember just loving the hell out of that game and um just being in awe in awe i i don't think i i felt that way since i had played final fantasy 7 and final fantasy 10 blew me away but grand theft auto 3 showed me something but yeah but 10 was still a formula you were exposed to yeah three was a new formula you had never experienced yeah 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 did you have any issues with your mom letting you play that game because i remember there being news stories that game was on the local and national news mainly because i mentioned this in other podcasts at least what i remember killing like running over pedestrians but the big one is that you could get a prostitute and you could Humper in the car, and it would reward you with life, yeah, life points, and that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Uh, she didn't know that. She didn't know. She didn't realize that you could pick up hookers and then, <laughs> and then you could kill them. You after, could also kill them, right, the and money. get the money back. Yeah, that's so. She, she, yeah, she did. She did not know that that was that was happening in the game that I was playing there as a you know yeah. teen. Lucky. Um, yeah, I had. I was old enough at that point. I was older than you. I think I was towards the end of high school, and I like, had my own job, and I was buying games with my own money. So I remember my parents bringing it up. Like th They had seen me play, and they thought it was cool. It was like a city sim, and I was never rarely doing – especially if they were watching. I wouldn't get up to no good. I would make sure we didn't get to a cut scene because they would be swearing. And they came down and like, I've seen you play that game, and I heard you can do this and this and this. And I, my, my defense was you don't have to. It's not part of the story. This is just an open game where you can choose. You, you can be evil if you want, but I choose to be good. I don't play it that way. <laughs> and uh, that pacified That's them. That's smart. That pacified them. Yeah, that they was still a were smart happy with tactic. It, but they let me keep it. That was a smart tactic. I, well, I was going to bring that. up – I told this before. I wanted to tell you because um, I think you'll enjoy it. Final Fantasy X, the way I got around hating Titus is I got the Incubus CD, Morning View, for Christmas. Oh. That's where I got. I didn't go to Final – I saw Final Fantasy X in Toys R Us, didn't realize it was out. That prompted me to ask for it for Christmas. I got it for Christmas and I got Incubus Morning View. And I, re I remember my dad speaking of strict parents. He didn't want me to become a rock, like a failed rock star like him. I think he has some self-loathing with that and obviously he was wild and he was always kind of like – I was into drumming. I was into music. But he was always supportive of the discipline but very unsupportive. Like, you don't do this. Like, this is a hobby and nothing else but a hobby. I don't ever want you to think it. And so he was very so – he didn't like me idolizing bands. Mm. And it mm. makes sense because, you know, you, I hate to admit it. But he's right in the sense of how many kids do you know that, like, let <laughs> – you, you, you associate – like, what would you say if your average insane clown posse fan? <laughs> right? ICP, baby. Is it, does ICP make people or just attract sort of a certain type of person that a lot of people like to make fun of? Or I have a theory that if you listen, if you idolize and listen to ICP 
as a developing teenager. <laughs> I think it stunts your development. I think there's some truth. Not because there's like some weird way that music makes your brain not grow. But I think what you, you end up idolizing something that isn't really moving society in a way that people are going to respect. Mm. So it changes your goalposts. Mm. You align your goalposts. But luckily, Incubus... My dad read the, the lyrics and just said, well, it doesn't swear or swear a couple of times maybe, but he's just complaining about girls and breaking up with girls. Yeah. Like, this is sad boy shit. Like, yeah, it's, it's, he, he mocked it like there's no depth to this. This is, but you can listen to it. And so I played Final Fantasy X on mute all the way through in the Christmas break. It was like a week and a half, two weeks, whatever it was. With Incubus with playing. Incubus on repeat. And uh, that's just a really fond memory, those two together. Yeah. And then I played it more later. And, well, also because I hated it. I think I tried the music, but I hated the voice acting. And um, the, I just the characters were cool. So that kind of massaged it. Yeah. And I could get into the war. Anyway, I wanted to bring it up because I know you like Incubus, right? Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah, yeah, we have. I don't, they're not really good now. But there's a few years, a few albums that were... I thought about actually also doing media memories, going through and talking about movies and music as people grow up. Yeah. But it would be too much. It's like sometimes I – so right now I'd love to talk about music. I'd love to get off track. But Yeah, I would too. I mean we're bringing up music now. You could do the same now. idea. You yeah. could walk through yeah. and compare what albums. Yeah. Especially in the era of albums. Kids these days, they don't have – it's not the same thing. Yeah. And that, it's actually sad that's kind of dead. I think kids will still grow up and have like monumental – Video games, because there's still such a limited supply in the formats. But kids growing up with the album that shaped them, I don't think that happens anymore. I don't think so either. I, yeah. I don't think so either. I mean, I was talking to my sister, and, and she's really into hip-hop. She's into hip-hop and rap, and she definitely follows certain artists. She's younger, right? Yeah, she's younger. She's 20. Okay. Right now, and uh, she, you know, she tells me about these rappers that I've never heard about, right? And she follows them religiously and listens to their albums. And so I think there is a segment that's going to follow these okay. artists and listen to their albums, but I don't think it's a it's as popular as it once was because because she likes rock music. But if I asked her, okay, what rock album have you listened to lately? Yeah. Okay, she but she's still have like going front to back. That's actually good. That makes me happier. Yeah. At least because it just seems like now my, I, I was really just extrapolating my current listening habits. I don't listen to albums now. I have like tightly curated playlists on Spotify. I'm like, oh, that's really good for my deep chill playlist. Oh, that's really good for my – you know what I mean? There's, yeah. I, I know what I want and – the playlists are awesome. It is a better listening experience. I don't ever hear music I don't like because I can – whatever mood I want, I have a really good playlist curated. But most of the new music I'm adding, I don't know the artist's name or the song name. I just recognize like, oh, that's on this playlist. And uh, I just – I'm glad to hear that your sister's following someone. Yeah. I don't know if a new rapper is yeah. a good person to follow. <laughs> No, but I the mean the experience of idolizing in the yeah. She idolizes this this rapper yeah. and I mean she's all about him and she loves his albums and she Who is it? Do you remember? Uh it's probably like Little Nas. It's like Little no, Skies. no, no, it's like Saint something. I I've, I've never heard of him. He he's definitely in the vein of 
like Ty Dollar Sign okay. and those rappers. Did you like it? Was it ca- – I'm sure it was catchy. Uh, yeah, it's catchy. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely – and I mean, you know, I love Kanye West and uh, Chance the Rapper and uh, I mean any, 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 any of these guys who are trying to – they're trying to be these – like even like Tyler the Creator, right? Like they're trying to be more than just a hip hop artist. They're trying yeah. to be fashion designers and uh artists like fine artists or they're trying to develop these like communities of artists that aren't just in and the And the rap's like a game. springboard into like a, springboard. a grander vision. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you can see this with some of what some of the Kanye stuff. You can see it with Tyler the Creator's new album Igor, which is just this almost like orchestral, really interesting album that's not necessarily what you would expect from a hip-hop artist. I haven't been following that. I mean, I guess we can keep going on the tangent for a second. How are Kanye, because I know you like Kanye a lot, and yeah. Tyler, how, how are the new stuff? Do they still hold, do, do you still idolize them the same, or do you feel like your view of them is diminished? Are they losing people, or the, the hardcores that get it? That are into Kanye, are they becoming even more devoted? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Kanye, unfortunately, has been he's been too divisive. Okay, and he because of his his political views, his social views, it it's definitely uh, taken him away from the general hip hop community. I would say, but I feel as though people like. Um, uh, Gosh, I even hate to put him in here, but but Drake and Childish Gambino and um, Tyler the Creator, even though he's like on a completely different trajectory, and he he's really interesting in what he wants to do with him. I want to talk about him too, but yeah, but but they're 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 trying to do these really interesting artistic turns in hip hop, like with Kanye West. I mean, you listen to an album like 808 and the Heartbreaks, and that thing is fucking crazy at the time. And then you realize all of hip hop is incorporating a lot of the things musically that Kanye West was yes. doing in 808 and Heartbreaks. It's ahead of its time. It's ahead of its time, right? But it seemed crazy. So the question is, is what's crazy right now? Is that what's going to be dope in 10 years, five years? Yes. You think he's still on point? I, I think Kanye isn't the innovator that he used to be. I okay. think that he's getting older and I think how he sees himself is more of a mentor for future rappers okay. that will carry on this innovative hip-hop look mm. on the music industry as a whole. And I think someone like Tyler, the creator – is doing something really interesting. Um, have you listened to his newest one? No, so Igor? I'll tell you, I don't know anything about him. Music. I've never listened to his music, but I have. What's interesting, he's an artist that none of his music caught me, but his story and his image and what he was doing in the media caught me. So I've been following him not as a rap artist, but as like a PR artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the in the angle. And I'm, I know he had like some really. Sounds like abrasive, like hate speech against gays, but then he became gay, and he's like, what? How he appears to me is he's like, hey, I'm gonna grow up and be a ultra raw with you as who I am, and let you guys watch me grow as a human. Mm-hmm. 
That's mm-hmm. what it's not listening to any music and not really knowing his lyrics, but just from a bird's eye view. That's how he appears to me, which has always made him like he's been like maybe his angle is I'm going to be ultra honest about what I'm really even the most fucked up shit that we think and we feel and people pretend like they don't. It's not only am I going to be open about it, I'm going to rap about it for the world to see. Yeah, that's how he uh, comes across to me. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, I I think that's absolutely accurate, and and I th- I think that's good. I mean, if you haven't even listened to his music, and that's what you've taken from from his uh, persona, his musical persona, I think that's that's accurate for Tyler the Creator. And you know, it even goes back to Ada and the Heartbreaks. I mean, musically, Ada and the Heartbreaks is really interesting. How it influenced yeah. others, yeah. But going back to what you're saying about Tyler and this kind of open, raw, uh, I'm going to express these emotions through my music. Uh, Kanye West basically started this whole emo trend in That's rap, a really right? Good point. So it's all like That's a really I'm, good point. right. So it, it's interesting to see. And Drake is Drake, um, The Weeknd. There's these artists that really took that from Kanye and sort of made a thing. Especially Drake. I mean, Drake is a product of 808 and the Heartbreaks. If you really think about it, and that's true. I didn't realize so because trap and 808s became has been. It's not. It's still in. Yeah. Like the whole – that thing has not played itself out yet. Yeah. It's been going on which seems like – because in the EDM we're like DJ world, trap came and it's already kind of gone. But it lives on in hip-hop and there's still all these sub – I didn't realize 808 came. What year did that come out? That was before all of that. Yeah. I would say it was 2000 – gosh, we'd have to look that up. I want to say 2000 – 808 and Heartbreaks release. Four? 2006? Mm, overview 2008 2008 yeah 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 okay no that's still yeah earlier because i didn't really get into into edm and start getting into like electronic music until 2010 2000 and then the trapping came later after that so this was significantly ahead of time it was it it really was 808 was and and see i loved 808 because i i've been a nerd for electronic music i mean back in when i was in elementary and junior high school i was listening listening (laughs) to craft work you know know (laughs) work. i mean that that was like where i was i was into this weird ahead yeah when it comes to that yeah Yeah. and and no one listened to that i mean all my friends were listening to at the drive-in and uh no thursday great bands yeah uh and taking back sunday i mean that that was like the the anthem of every kid's uh room car when we were driving but I loved electronic music and nobody listened to that. And I just was obsessed with it. It was just – it was melodic and I could I could kind of groove to it. But Kraftwerk and Brian Eno um, and – That is a – that's a really heady thing. Ye- Even people who are into music aren't going to know who Brian Eno is because he's out there. He's, he's also there, a legend, I, but I love his. I loved yeah. his stuff. It it created this soundscape that I couldn't find in popular music, and I couldn't find it in the rock music that uh, my friends were listening to. And so I found that in 
uh, uh, Brian Eno, and I can't remember something. Oh, what was that? There, there's a there's an album he did with somebody else, and it was so good. But I the the name is slipping me right now. Um, but yeah, electronic music it, it changed my life. I mean, I loved electronic music, so I was primed for when when that became popular. I mean, when when Kid A came out. That was yes. fucking brilliant. I didn't – I caught that later, but that is – I know that's one of the most legendary albums. My god, dude, because it had electronic in it. a lot of it. people. Yeah, it had electronic and I was like, hold on. You're telling me that this Brit Rock that did OK Computer, which was kind of cool. I liked that album. Yeah. But then Kid A came out and I was like, oh my god. People are doing electronic music on a popular level and I – my god, dude. I, I mean everything just kind of came together and – once Kid A came out, I felt like more bands at that time were putting that kind of stuff into their music, sort of that more of electronic yeah. feel. That's not to say that when you go back to the 1970s and 80s and look at like – You can't even, find some of that. Yeah, I mean it's there, yeah. right? But it kind of – because everyone was listening to like emo and punk, that was not in those songs. It was pure the, instrumental and vocal. The first and electronic that was mix of like rock and punk that I remember was the Refused, Shape of Punk to Come. Okay. Okay. I never listened to that album. Oh, yeah. Because they did a lot of like breaks before – because then you get, in, you get into like the, the height and tail end of emo. There was a lot of electronic. They started meshing that. But this was – Yes. Which is legendary about this album for those who don't know the Refused, Shape of Punk to Come – it basically – they called out, this is where punk is headed. And there was a mix of kind of like emo, electronic, punk. The pro- even the way it was produced in the sound and then that's what things turned into. And so they weren't popular. They were like a very small band. They became popular later because of that. I see. At least in my case. I'm sure there's people out there like, fuck you. I was into them, whatever. <laughs> no. As far as my social group, everybody – they had already retired. The band had been broken up. But everyone started getting into them. They were like that band that – and then they eventually did do a reunion tour, which was a big deal because they had this long time of people discovering them. Anyway, we're getting like way into the weeds. What I wanted to ask you was – so Final Fantasy X came out a little bit earlier. But I wanted uh, – what – when you listen – think of Kid A, what game connects to that? What were you playing? Because I think that's an interesting way to look at things. Yeah, that is it's how like, I'm in the height of like nerding out about Kid A. What were you playing at that time? Yeah, so the interconnectedness between different media yeah. and because they'll and trigger each other. And you might remember a game you actually wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was Kid A. I mean, here's the problem. Kid A just reminds me of being really emotional <laughs> and parking my car near the high school and just listening to that entire album. Life. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Be the That's teenager. what Kid A reminds me of. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an album though. I mean, Kid A, um, I, I think I just – what I, I was playing StarCraft still. Okay. That was still um, – the the core of my friends was, was – they they were still playing that game religiously, and I would say StarCraft and Kid A probably they go together. They go together. Um, there was a particular game though 
that I play to an album and <laughs> this is going to be really embarrassing. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. So this is PS2 era. The game was called Disgaea. Oh, those are that's not too embarrassing. It's it a, is pretty nerdy. They're very anime trope laden SRPGs. But people love tactics. Yes. And so well the thing about that is it's a smart it's a pretty smart type of game. It is. It, it's fun. I Combined mean, Combined with some – if you hate anime, you hate that game, yeah. which is unfortunate because the actual game is super fun. The core gameplay yeah. of that is so addicting and I listened <laughs> – I think this is the embarrassing <laughs> oh, part. So I don't think it was this guy. I think – yeah. I think it was the album that was – that's embarrassing. It was I think the second album from the band Silverstein – <laughs> you remember them? Yeah. Just emo trash. You were going e- deep. I was going deep. Deep down. I was hey, going deep. Teenagers but, love emo for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was at the tail end though of my high school. I think that was senior year that I listened to that album. I listened to all of the Silverstein and then played Disgaea like nonstop. Yeah. That 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 if if we're talking album paired with game. Yeah. I think that's the only one that I could say I had a – there was a real relationship between the two. Was there any relationship with Heartbeats since that was such a big album for you? Can If you think about that, what game comes to mind? Yeah, so Heartbeats. I mean that game – that the game that comes to mind with that album is uh, – so I have a confession to make. There, I hope it's. I've been hoping for someone to admit they play one of those anime sex games on Steam. Yeah. Yeah. Please tell me it was one of those. I wish I could say that. <laughs> Damn it. I wish I could say that. Not to say I didn't try to seek those out online. Uh, Wait, when you're young looking for it, yeah, I get it. Right. I get it. Um, but I, I could never get a hold of one of those games. But there is a period of time that it, during high school in which I only played one game for probably three years straight, and I did not play any other video games. Ooh, this you is my attention. This is where 808 comes in because 808 uh, was was part of this. So, not to say that 808 came out when I was playing this game, but I was listening to, to 808. 808. This yeah. is just to show you how long this game lasted in my life. Three years, no other game. Is it a multiplayer game? It is. Okay, that's it's what I figured. An, it's an MMO. It's an oh, MMO. You, so that that uh, it's either got to be is it Final Fantasy Online. It is. Yes, it is. People love that Shadow something just came out. Yeah, and I've had people tell me that, hey, you need to try Final Fantasy Online. I'm like, this game is still going. Yeah, it's still going. So Shadowbringers, which is the newest one that it's you're referencing, one, yeah. is. For Final Fantasy XIV, it's an expansion for Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, this is the PS2. This is the, the PS2 before, PC. Yes, Final Fantasy XI. Yes. So this came out after Final Fantasy X, which is really strange because it was just an MMO game, and on the PS2, you actually the game came in this giant box. I remember Kevin Howard, who's going to come on the show. Had that okay, and he had to get he had to get like a special modem. You had it, yeah. yes, yep. 
So you could buy Final Fantasy XI. It came in this giant box, and it had this modem that you could plug into the back of the PS2. You yes. remember how it had that docking bay yes. behind? So this is where that broadband connector came in. Uh, and I, th- it was dial-up and broadband, I think. I could be wrong. Um, but the first game to really use that was SOCOM so for PS2. That I was do a, remember right? that. Yes. That was the first online like PS2 wow, game that you could get. Yeah. But then Final Fantasy XI came around and they sold the game as a bundle and I think it was like 100 bucks. And you, it, it was just – and this was – it came out before World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft came out in 2004. I did not know that. So this, this came out in 2002 and that game was my life. I stopped all everything. I didn't play any other games. Final Fantasy XI was the game. How many hours do you think in that two to three years? If you could take a guess, how many hours do you think so, you put in? So I – this is another memory. We're talking about <laughs> game memories. I was – this was in 2009 was the last log off that I had from Final Fantasy XI. I wow. went – I rode my chocobo. That makes sense because I just looked up Heartbeats. It was 2008. In 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So 2009, I rode my chocobo <laughs> to a to an area of Final Fantasy XI, well, Sanctuary a, of Zeta. Like, you had a death plan. This I was did. a funeral ceremony. This was it. Oh, this was it. Yes. I mean this was my persona. For were, for six seven on. years, this yeah, I and I had to do it, and I had to emotionally disconnect, and so I took my chocobo out, and I went to this this area, and if anyone's ever played Final Fantasy Eleven, you know that the the area in that game that had the best music was an area called Sanctuary of Zeta. And it was this ancient forest. It was one of the ways you got to this giant tree, which housed one of the one of the most difficult quests, m- quest yeah. mobs in the game, uh, Fafnir. And so I went to Zeta and I got off my chocobo for the last time, and I logged off Final Fantasy XI. And that game was my life. That game. I had a good friend of mine and we would – we stopped having a social life. We would disappear together. So you were all – you were unhealthily into this. Unhealthily. And yeah. that was – that was probably the apogee of my video game addiction in, in my life. I you mean, never went deeper than I that. I never went deeper than that. Yeah. And – and I would, and because of that, I had steeled myself against games like World of Warcraft, which easily could have consumed could have more years like of my life. Like it did life. many, like it did many, many people. Yes, but Final Fantasy XI taught me that I didn't want to play MMOs ever again. But Final Fantasy XI is a really interesting game, and if you talk to anyone who played that game, like to the point where they were taking part in the Link Shell system. Which was like took the it guild the system, the highest yeah. tiers. Yeah, that game was so archaic in its design. In a lot of ways, it would harken back to games like EverQuest, which in the design it was so difficult. And World of Warcraft made the MMO 
RPG. Way more accessible. So much more accessible. And you could solo and you yeah. could – right? It was easy to level up by yourself. I mean not terribly easy but it was possible. Final Fantasy XI was all class-based. So you had to have the right classes in order to level up. And you had to form parties of five. And so ma- the majority of your time in that game you was spent – You were looking to find somebody. Yes. You would sit in the city and you would spam the chat channels and you would try to create your party and you'd be looking for a healer or a tank for sometimes hours. And That's then you would finally it, – It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. And it, But because it was so difficult – it made, reward. Yeah. It yeah. was such a rewarding game. And the other thing that was really interesting about the game, and this is the last thing I'll say about Final Fantasy XI, is that modern games, when you when you f- go out and try to level up your character and get the new gear, all the dungeons are in instances, right? So they are generated for your party. You go into the dungeon, you fight through the bosses, and you get your gear, and then you can come back out. And you can run the same dungeon over again if you want. And have a chance because everything is based on percentages. Percentages. You have that whole RNG system thing built in. Final Fantasy XI was different. There weren't any instance dungeons. All of the monsters were in the world. So anyone could grab the monsters, fight it, and get the loot. Now, this was really interesting because – Oh, shit. Yes. This is what made Final Fantasy XI an insanely difficult game. So how it would work is all of the highest level mobs in that game would were running off of these 24-hour clocks. So every time the mob was killed – You had to wait 24, 24 hours. hours from that point, it could appear. But here's the problem. Final Fantasy XI was both a Japanese game – and an American game, and the servers were located in Japan. So they would get a huge head start. Right. So this is how it worked. 24 hours from the time you killed the monster, you would have, I think it was four what they called windows. The mob could spawn any time during these four windows, and they were 25-minute intervals. So what you would have to do is you would have to have someone Go to the spawn point of that monster and write down, notate the exact time that that monster was killed. Then you would tell that to your guild. Then you would have to assemble the 20 some odd people that it would take to take down these monsters. You would go and you would all sit and just wait to see if the monster would pop in the window. You don't know. Yeah. And whoever touched it first – would claim it. <laughs> so the Japanese players always had a leg up because the servers were like milliseconds off yeah. for us, right? We were always just a little bit behind. And so if the Japanese guilds would show up, they would claim it every single time. And the monster would just appear and it would be claimed. And you, everyone would scramble and figure out, do we have it claimed? Do we have it claimed? And if yeah. you did, you would have to initiate the combat right then and there. Yeah, yeah. And you could wipe easily. And that's how that game was structured is all of the monsters that would drop the high-end gear were all based on this time system. But because of that, I could see it's like if you met another Final Fantasy Eleven player that took it to the same level as you, you'd be homies immediately. Homies immediately. We've been through the same yeah. fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like a Dark Souls, but even more 
That's terrible. It was, I would have not stuck through that. <clears throat> no, it was intense. It was a very um, complex game in terms of its mechanics. It wasn't uh, – and this gets into Dark Souls, but it didn't give you any tutorial. It didn't yeah. give you any – you just had to figure this out on your own or from other players. Um, and Final Fantasy XI, I guess in some ways, prepped me for games like Dark Souls. Dang. All right, so let's do – Let's talk about some um, RPGs that you remember, and then we're going to go into Dark Souls, and I'm sure that will wrap it up because we can. I know we can talk about Dark Souls all day. <laughs> but uh, I, I've been wanting to stop a little bit earlier than – I wanted to stop around 360 time. I don't want to get into like later games because I want to be able to have repeat guests. I want to be able to have you come back on Great. and maybe talk about more recent memories. Great. And so let's do some more RPGs than Dark Souls and wrap yeah. it up. So I want to know – so 10 got you. I want to know, did you play 12? And then from there, all the way back to no matter what RPG, whether it's all the way back to Chrono Trigger, like a handful of your favorite RPGs and best memories with them. Let's do that. Sounds great. You know, and going back to Final Fantasy XI, everything's kind of tied into that. So but I, you weren't doing anything but that game. Right. I, I was picking up some games here and so there. So you had a backlog sort of building? I had a massive backlog. Yeah. I mean, people complain about their Steam backlog. <laughs> Which I have one. You should have seen my PS2 backlog. I had games and games just sitting in a box that I never got to. And that's when I got into buying used games on eBay. And so I'd go on and buy the old PlayStation 1 games, the old PlayStation 1 so RPGs. What was the first retro ps1 game you decided to get final fantasy tactics yes final fantasy yes! tactics i'm glad i'm glad because and i'm almost glad you did that as an older kid in because i think you would have appreciated it more and we can talk about a one because the story the religious and political themes was something that really i think that's one of the best stories of any final fantasy game agreed best world agreed yeah. the best world uh the best written final fantasy I, I think. I would say, yeah. And uh, is that Matsuo? Is that Matsuo that did Final I don't know. It's uh, whatever. If that's his name, he's in charge of all the Ivalis or Ivalis games. Uh huh. Which is Vagrant Story, Tactics, Final Fantasy twelve. I think that's his, that world is his brainchild. Which to me is the the best world in the all best of, world yeah. the the most artistically realized of yeah. all the final fantasy worlds too um so i went back and got tactics totally agree with you that game is well written it's um it is in it, it, it really it's the only final fantasy game at that point that really brought me back because of how it was written yeah and and i and i was at this time, I loved Final Fantasy XI. I invested a lot of time, but I was also a very big book reader. So I wasn't interested in playing JRPGs as much anymore because I would much rather go read a book as those had better written characters, better yeah. stories. Um, they were just f – they were more fun to engage with than a JRPG game. But um, but that that's not to say that I wasn't involved with JRPGs. So – uh, you had Final Fantasy XII, PS2. I love Final Fantasy XII. It's a good one. It, it's a great one. And so I went from Final Fantasy Tactics to Final Fantasy XII. Did you do, um, do all the hunts? 
I did all the hunts, yes, except for the very last one. I can't remember what the big he's out right, he's is. Out at the entrance in the stadium. Yeah, that I actually did the same thing. He, he was so grindy that you could leave and save, and it wouldn't reset his HP. Uh huh. I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm almost positive. But when you were talking about Final Fantasy XI, that reminded me a tiny bit. I could resonate with the pain of some of the hunts at the end of Final Fantasy XII was you didn't know where it was. You had to go to a certain point in the map at a certain time. And then there was only a – it wouldn't always spawn. It yeah. was a percentage thing. And to reset it, it wasn't a 24-hour thing. But he had to like run all the way back. And I remember you memorized like it wouldn't reset the respawn possibility until it was like you had to either go to the world map or go far enough out of the – I can't remember how far. But it was annoying. It was like you'd go, time uh, – I got to go back like 15, 20 minutes, come back and see if I can try to get this fucking thing to spawn again. <laughs> so that could kind of remind me. But the Final Fantasy XI thing just sounds like that on on just steroids. Yeah, and quick thing. If, if you enjoy reading stories about the – insanity of eve online yes and, i do right yes go read about final fantasy 11's <gasps> takedown of the ultimate baddie in chains of prometheus expansion chains of prometheus expansion expansion go and read the drama around what it took for a group of people to take down the ultimate baddie in that dlc it is on par with any drama that I've read about Eve, Eve Online, yes, it is. It is insane the level that people had to get to in terms of planning and meticulously figuring out how the game would populate these particular mobs in this area in order to defeat this last boss. Uh, and spoilers, <laughs> it took years. Really? Years. That does sound like an Eve. For people to figure out how you defeat this last boss. It's insane. That it, reminds – it's hard to cut you off, but are you getting that from that semi-recent story on Eve where it was some sort of space station that had never been destroyed and it was hidden in like a black hole and it took years <laughs> yeah. of planning? Yeah. Yeah, that reminds yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is Eve level shit. It, it's it's yeah. Eve level shit, and Final Fantasy XI had that same drama because the designers of Final Fantasy XI, they it was it was all I mean, dude, it was like it was esoteric. The rules had made no sense, and they didn't help you. And mobs would be on timers, and as I was saying, this whole timer system. There was this world that they had introduced that would open up when you got to the very end of the DLC, but there were there was like nothing there. And there was this extremely convoluted system how you spawn these endgame bosses in the area and this last boss, I mean, it, it was he was invincible. And for years people thought you can't actually beat the last guy. And link shells from Japan um, to the United oh, States, so to Europe. We're all trying to figure out how do you kill this guy? How many years did it take before someone figured it out? Do you years. Remember? Years. Years. It was years. Wow. I'm going to have to definitely look this up. It was up. crazy. Yeah. It, it's a crazy story. I mean, people, you, you read articles about World of Warcraft and these new mobs that they'll introduce in these DLCs. And it's yeah. like, well, this Link Shell took it down in the first week or, yeah. right? Final Fantasy XI had a boss that 
it it took years for anyone to figure out how you take this thing down. Dang. I'm going to have to read about that. It's that fascinating. It's fascinating. So you did tactics. Tactics. 12. What 12, happened 12? And then I got Vagrant Story. Ooh. Yeah. Talk about convoluted yes. game mechanics. Now that is convoluted. <laughs> yeah. That game was – High barrier to entry. Game was wicked. It it was so unforgiving and it did not help you to figure out how the system and I went online and I tried to figure out the whole percentage system and the affinity system and it was just too much, but I loved the art style yes. so much that I just stuck with it and I beat Vagrant Story and I loved that game. I think to this day that is easily in my top ten because Vagrant Story is a hell of a game and I would recommend and I wish I knew the guide but there was a guide that I found online that r- explained the game system in a really easy way hmm. um, that helped out quite a bit. I remember thinking like, well, obviously go for their head. Yeah, like, right. That makes the most sense but that did not really work it, out that it way. It didn't. And no. there was this whole thing around how you actually craft the weapons yes. and like what set you need to have. And if you have that, the game is much more enjoyable. Um, and I had a, I had a few false starts with that game. I would try. I would quit. Yeah. I would go back. Um, so, I mean, obviously those three games, right, shows you I loved Tactics and I loved Final Fantasy twelve, and I thought Vagrant Story was a hell of a game. And um, what's unfortunate is Final Fantasy XII, when you go back and read the original ideas around Final Fantasy XII, it was much better. It was a much better game. About that. Um, I thought twelve was decent. D- yeah, twelve was decent, but when you read what they want, what, what the they, writer, the scope was. Yes. Yeah. So originally, with Final Fantasy twelve, and I know you're going to agree with this, is that the main character was Balthier, not. Oh Ron. my god! Yeah. That would have been so much better. So much. He's better. the best character. He's the best character. So that was what they wanted to do, and then some square execs came in and they're like no oh, you need a prepubescent boy yeah that's what we do here because our audience Ugh. are they're not going to click with balthier they're going to click with vaughn so you need to rewrite it and make vaughn the primary character rather than balthier and what was really cool and i this didn't make it was that uh like final fantasy tactics there was going to be much more of that political intrigue drama yeah that you kind of there's a little bit there was of a that. little bit of it yeah. but they cut out a ton of it i would recommend there is there is a lot of stuff on what final fantasy 12 was supposed to be uh because final fantasy 12 had a very problematic development um which i didn't know but I don't, yeah you, you did ring a bell about the Balthier thing that I think about it, but I don't remember reading about – wow, what have I – yeah, I don't know about the development. Yeah, Final Fantasy XII had a very problematic development and Matsuo was supposed to do it all. Matsuo was pulled off of the project. And someone else finished it. And someone else finished Who it. Who finished it? Do you remember? I can't remember. It wasn't anyone that I recognized. Okay. Um, like it wasn't like Nomura or – Have you played the – like the Zodiac edition on PC or Switch? Um, here's another nerdy confession. I actually had a friend who had the Japanese edition of Zodiac Age, and I played it on PS2 in Japanese. Originally. When you first yes. played it, you played Zodiac Age. Yes. Because that had a fixed job system. The one thing, I don't know if it had the same quality of life improvements, 
But the new version, I went through. I didn't end up re-beating it, but I made it through more than half the game. You could fast forward like different, like two, four, or six X, I believe. You could immediately unlock. Remember how you had the job system, but then you also had like the checkerboard. Yes. And you could buy a weapon, but if you had to unlock the skill to use that weapon, you couldn't use it, which was just like an extra grind for no real reason. Yeah. Like yeah. A, just a step in between what used to be one step. We just turned it into two steps, but there's no real depth to it. You can just unlock all that immediately from the start of the game. Yeah. They just let you like – they recognize – that's kind of bullshit. So dang it. But the Zodiac Age had it already improved some of those things. I remember when that came out wanting – like, man – I wish I would have played that, but it was a, wasn't it Japanese only initially? Yeah, it was Japanese only, and I I don't think it was called Zodiac Age. I think it was called like International Edition or International. It, it wasn't called Zo. I maybe it was called Zodiac Age. It had a really maybe it was like Final Fantasy twelve International Edition Zodiac Age. You know, how Japanese games tend yes. to have that like those really <laughs> superfluous titles, and yeah. it's like why name it that? Yeah. Um, it may have had Zodiac Age. I, I don't remember. But he had – he spoke Japanese and so he would import all these games. Um, he Like he imported Final Fantasy XIII when it came out in Japan and then and then he, he lent me – this was before all that. But he lent me his PS2, his Japanese PS2 to and, play and Zodiac and I played through that and um, it was fantastic and I, I I thought it was a much better game. You know what I liked about that version more was that the classes were restricted. So in Final Fantasy XII, the original version, you could, you could just make anyone – Exactly. Yes. And this kind of forced you to say, OK, Penelope is a white mage yes. and Balthier is you know whatever. But I, I thought that was actually a, a wonderful change. I can't believe they didn't do Balthier because – that actually sort of makes sense now because I remember distinctly th- thinking it was kind of a cool writing trick. But when the game ended, I was like, that was really more about Balthier yeah. than it was about Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. Because the the biggest payoff in sort of the grand scheme of the plot and he was actually royalty and how it all connected, it was really more about him. Yeah. That makes total sense now. Yeah, yeah, it does. And and you can see it once you play through the game and you read about how, you know, the original idea behind it, you can see the 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 genetic code of his original vision in So would you play after that and tactics? Tactics, vagrant story, and then uh huh, and then I uh, that that was around the same time that I started to get into the uh, NIS games. Ooh, yeah. So I went back and I purchased uh, a lot of these just weird niche, yeah, JRPG, SRPG. So out of all those weird Xseed and NIS, yeah, which one? Because I know we're going to eventually hit to a mining for one. I know I, I want to talk about. Okay, but uh, okay, uh, it's Dis- a little more mainstream though. Uh, Disgaea, Disgaea, Disgaea okay. just blew me away. It was it was so fun. But you just oh that makes sense because you had just played Tactics retroactively. Yes, itching for more of that. Disgaea's like upgraded visuals, more classes, deeper. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and so Disgaea really now the story sucked. The story was awful. Yeah, it wasn't cool like tactics. No, no. Uh, but the but the gameplay on that was was just fantastic. I mean, I even to this day, I would say if you like SRPGs, play Disgaea One. It, it is 
it is peerless. I have never played it, and I and I played a lot of SRPGs. Yeah, that one is it, it just it it's it's fun to this day. I even played it on the Switch. It came out on the Switch, and I I think it's still a fantastic game. It's one of those games that you can just turn on a podcast or an album or just your playlist on Spotify or Apple Music and just l- listen to music, listen to podcasts and play and you just love it. It yeah. just it just feels that I want to earn points and do lots of damage and <laughs> I want that white number to get bigger. Exactly. I, yeah. Exactly. I, I do know that about like builds. Okay, if I do this build and this armor and then like this weakness yeah, I, I played this guy a little bit, but I never beat it. it okay. was, it's, it's I long. remember thinking it was considerably longer than Tactics. It's like I went deep into it and couldn't believe there's still a lot of game left. There's a lot of game left and there's a lot of uh, like post-game stuff. Okay, yeah. This guy really opens up in the post-game um, rather than in the story um, like the just the forty hour story or whatever they have for you. Once you beat the story, then like everything opens up, and then and they they have really weird oh, so it's, systems. It's more like a destiny. Like the the real game is the post game. The real game is the post game in all the disguise games. That. Yeah, you you have the the story, but then the post game is really when you get into like the nitty gritty of the systems and yeah. they, and they have weird systems in there. Like there's like a court system where you go before like a tribunal and you try to get votes from like different characters and you can like bribe certain NPCs and get certain items or like level up your characters in certain ways and you do it in front of this tribunal. How did that connect to cuz it has to connect ultimately to your performance in battle somehow, right? Yeah, so, it is. Okay. Yeah, so Disgaea just has these really in-depth systems where everything is based around you have like a hub and there's all these little uh like mechanics around how you get new classes, how you level up your characters. So they're all tied to They're okay, all tied yeah. into your core like I don't want to say army, but it's but it's like your set of characters yeah. um, in the SRPG system. But then it's just it's just really strange. It's it's a really weird game that for some reason works really well. Don't expect Final Fantasy Tactics, but just it just expect one of the best SRPG gameplay loops yeah. I've ever. It's experienced more of a gameplay loop, not. Because tactics for me was a gameplay loop and a story. And a story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy is good. This guy is good. I don't think any of the other ones ever got to the level. I, I played this guy 5, which I think is the most recent one, and the one that came out in HD. Um, and it was just – it. I, it, it was just awful. Just didn't get you. It just didn't get me. Yeah, I, I think – and I, I still think this guy one's the best He's one. the best one. Yeah. All right, what's after that? I, I know we're getting eventually to another Japanese game. On PS2? Is it PS2? I think originally PS2. Okay, yeah. So there was a there was a game that came out, and I already had a PlayStation 3, but it came out on PlayStation 2. And speaking of backwards compatibility, this game I actually played on PlayStation 3 because I bought a Metal Gear you, Solid 5 yes. 80 gigabyte edition which was the last PlayStation 3 that they ever they manufactured the, in the yes. United States that had PS2 backwards so compatibility. So I bought a launch PS3 
and it ended up dying eventually. And I was bummed because at the time I didn't have emulators. I could play PS. I had that big PS One and at that point a big PS Two library. They were all and a PS Three library, and they were all playable on one machine. Yeah, which was awesome. I mean, I guess they needed to cut costs, but that was a blow. That was a that was a blow, and yeah. So that Metal Gear Solid Five, or sorry, Metal Gear Solid Four, Guns of the Patriots, Guns of the Patriots, yes, uh, had backwards compatibility, and it was. Christmas of 20, gosh, I can't even remember, but it was a follow-up to a game that I had previously tried to play and just didn't really feel it, and that game was Persona 3 FBS. I feel so relieved. Now, we had the same experience. Persona 3 did not get me, but Persona 4... Woo. Yeah, yeah. And that this is was, a magical game. It was a magical game, and I, you know, I look back at the PS2, and I really can say it started off with Final Fantasy X, and it ended uh, ultimately with Persona Four. Yeah. Um, but in between there, it was the NIS games. It was Final Fantasy Twelve. It was. Um, uh, I mean, you had some weird ones like Dark, the Dark Cloud games. Yeah, I remember Dark Cloud. I Dark tried Cloud. it, and it didn't get me. Yeah, so you had Dark Cloud. You remember Summoner? It was a almost launch or maybe yeah. launched. Yeah, only that was an RPG. early game. Yeah, it sucked. Did it? Yeah. W- was it a turn-based game? I don't think it was. I think it was more of an ARPG. I could be wrong, but I do remember like PS One and PS Two. I was every console. I was always starved for a JRPG because they usually weren't launched with them. But Summoner was like an early PS2 game that I thought looked like maybe RPG or had RPG elements. I remember being it didn't scratch the itch. Mm. It was it was it kind of like folklore for PS3. Do you remember folklore? Yes, yeah, same experience with folklore. Okay, a lot okay. of people loved that game, but it. And I had already started moving away. Like JR, I just had a less of a success rate when it came to RPGs and JRPGs. And initially, it was PS One. I couldn't wait for it. And Beyond the Beyond was the first JRPG that I remember on PS One. Most people don't know that it was really, really, really early. Yeah, and it I was don't. okay. Okay. Then you had the Sevens and all the 3D RPGs on PS Two. The first JRPG that I remember getting my hands on, it might have been Dark Cloud. That's more okay. like a Zelda. That was pretty early. Dark Cloud One was fairly early. I want to say Dark Cloud was a launch title. It might have been a launch title. PS2. Yeah, yeah. I that was a game that I picked up as well um, because I thought it was going to be more of like a RPG style yeah. game, and it was more like a survival game. Yes, yes. It was so, it was so odd. It was weird. Dark Cloud Two had more of like a cell shaded. Yeah, Art style. I think it did better, but I never played it. Dark Cloud Two uh, was, I think, level five did that, and level oh, that makes sense. I think level five came in and did Dark Dark Cloud Two, and they were kind of like doing well in that RPG world. I mean, they were respected. Level five, like, oh yeah, level five, yeah, they're gonna. Did you play No Nikuni Two? Uh, no, I, I did not. Me neither. I did. I want, not. People say it's good. But. I heard, I heard, yeah, I heard that too. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think they also did Rogue Galaxy. I did play Rogue. Did you play it? That was fun. I beat Rogue Galaxy. That was like really good. It didn't blow me away, uh, but 
but it was also I remember being pretty much enjoyed the whole time I played it. Yeah, it was decent. I I remember thinking it was the follow up to Skies of Arcadia that I never got uh, was Rogue Galaxy. Um, Skies of who made Skies of Arcadia? It was uh, it was Sega. It was oh, was it a first party game? Smiley Bit. Yeah, it was an internal studio at Sega that did okay. Skies of Arcadia. But then Level Five did Rogue. Broke Galaxy, yeah, they're not connected. And Broke Galaxy was good. It re, um, I think the battle system is what sticks out to me more. The, yeah, yeah, I think so too. The battle system in Rogue Galaxy was good. Um, All right, so it. but then we end up inevitably getting to the silver inevitably the gorilla. Yeah, and it's funny because when I think about Persona, it's sort of the the confluence of Final Fantasy and then the niche. Uh, the NIS, NIS Exceed Games. It's a melding. It is. And uh, Persona 3 FES I got and I was – I liked it but I didn't really get into it. Um, I didn't really understand the whole day cycle yep. and I wasn't really sold on that. Completely new concept Completely probably, new yeah. concept for me. I mean <laughs> there was Animal Crossing in the real time whole thing but – this whole like you would go to bed and then you would be in a new day, but there was a a, calendric, uh, a calendar system yeah. in it, and I was just like, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sold on this. <laughs> then Persona Four. So what about Persona Four? Why do you think that? Because it's really the same structure. Yeah, but w- why did it catch you over Persona Three? So I think what felt different with Persona 4 is okay, one, the art style just hooked me. And I'm I'm I geek out with art style obviously. I have a background um and and do design currently and I you know, fine art and and art it, it yeah, just yeah. and I'm such a sucker for art design in games. And Persona 3 FES felt like generic uh anime just anime i know what i'm gonna get yeah Yeah. none of this excites me persona 4 had a very unique style um the menu system was was very uh uh, unique in how they stylized it the clothing that the kids would wear just like uh what's her name with the green coat yep um what was her name dang it i i just i just have them like the character like the goofy, outspoken girl. Yes. The, the bully brooder that hates himself. The tall yes. guy with the gray hair. Yeah. I can't. It's hard for me to remember Japanese names. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the green jacket and and just the style, and then um, the dumb the dumb friend with the headphones, like the the goofy dumb yes. kid. Like they had each their kind of like character. That's how yeah. I remember them. Yeah. I don't remember any of their names now. That I think about it. I can't remember the main character's name. What is his name? I I. And, and the problem is I don't know if I'm thinking of Persona 5 or if I'm thinking of Persona 4 right now in terms of the, the names. Yeah, I don't remember. I didn't even beat 5, which yeah. we talked we, – we'll probably talk about it. But yeah. We so, both got at launch and then didn't get us. Yeah. You eventually played it. I never never played it. Yeah, 4, four – four so, Four is the best. And here's, and here's, here's what made 4 better right off the bat. Okay. You can control – all the characters when you're fighting. When you're in battle. Yes. That was huge. That for me was like this is already better than Persona 3. Yep. Automatically. I hated that aspect of Persona 3. Uh, Persona 4 uh, changed that. 
you could control all the characters. It was just a fantastic game. I mean, Persona 4 was the perfect send-off to PlayStation 2 and RPGs and also sort of signaled the shift where I wanted to play games that, especially after Persona 4, weren't as lengthy Yeah, and weren't JRPGs. I was sort of getting out of that. I was getting into PC gaming and Persona 4 was just an excellent tribute in for, in my opinion of just JRPGs from PS1 to PS2 and that it was the game, close of that phase for yes, you. Yes, it it that was the culmination of everything I loved about video games from that first time I turned on Final Fantasy 7 on my mom's PC to when I purchased the PS3 to play Metal Gear Solid 4. And then that's the end of the era. It's the end of the era. It's the end of the era. And then you get into – okay, we can wrap it up pretty soon. But I want to know – so when that ends, what is the next – after that era closed, what – well, I want to ask a couple of things. Did you play any of the Onimushas? I did. On PS2? I did. I played the first one, the second one. And then that one that had the French actor in it. Oh, you remember yes, that's that number one? three. Yeah. The guy that's Leon the Professional. Yeah. Yes. Whatever, Jean Jacques Vavard or something. Yes. That one sucked. That one was terrible. But did you but you probably didn't play four. No one's played four, and that's my favorite one. I did not play four. I have some deep memories with yeah. I did, did not. Did you play, play um I'm trying to think of some that I know were missing. You had to have played we've talked about Metal Gear. Yeah, Metal Gear, um but, uh, but did you do it retroactively on your PS three? No, like? no, no, no. So we kinda got in this whole JRPG thing and then Final so we Fantasy eleven. We those. we yeah. did skip over a lot of things when it comes to my history with PS two. So obviously Metal Gear Solid Two Sons of Liberty blew every blew single person your, away. Yes, that tanker scene was just like the closest a video game has ever felt to a movie. Yes, and that blew me away. They what they did such a good job about. It. I was watching a, like a, I think it's called gaming retrospective on YouTube, where they they just sort of do like mini documentaries on games, and they went into depth on how much effort. Kojima put into keeping the bait and switch from Snake to uh, Raiden under wraps and and how, just how much effort he put into that and then also how divisive it was later. And I remember I ended up being kind of pissed about it because <laughs> at first you didn't know. I was like, they're just switching. Like I know these games have crazy stories. I'm probably going to end up, ooh, this is cool. Maybe it will be one of those stories where I'm going back and forth between Snake and this new guy. And as you kept going, and then eventually Pliskin comes in, which I don't know, I didn't figure it out immediately, but I remember realizing Pliskin was Snake before it was revealed, and just knowing at that point, like, oh, this whole game, I'm this this kind of bitch, dude. Snake is, <laughs> I want to pretend like I'm this alpha male badass. I, I have this long history of all these missions I've completed. I'm the same guy from Metal Gear Solid 1, which we didn't touch on, but I don't know when you played that. But I played it on PS1 around the time when it came out. And the same thing. Like, I could not believe a game could be a movie. Both of them have that in, in, uh, in common. God damn, that game. How do you feel about the bait and switch but from Snake to Raiden? Oh, I was furious. You were furious. Okay, Just good. like you. Yeah, I was furious that we did not play as uh, Solid Snake. Yeah. Uh, Solid Snake was incredible. He was the man. 
and to be forced to play this character that looked like he was ripped out of a Japanese anime. Which you were just kind of like on your way out of getting right. over. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just so. Was not cool. I was so he angry. Was not cool. No, he wasn't cool. And they, I know that in later games, they try to make him into this like super ninja guy and he, right. And he's all bionic and amazing, but nothing. Solid Snake is so iconic. And his voice uh, by David Hayter. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great character. And to have that, him only last, I mean, you only play through the tanker. That's it. That's it. So um, Metal Gear Solid 2 was an incredible game. Now, I have to say this. There is a video on YouTube, and I wish I knew the guy who did this video, but Metal Gear Solid 2, this is when I knew Hideo Kojima is an absolute genius. Okay. There is a philosophical breakdown and political commentary on the last scene or one of the last scenes in Metal Gear Solid 2. And if any of you have played Metal Gear Solid 2, which I'm sure most is people have played that Solidus game. Is the ending when like has his monologue? No. It's when the colonel is talking to you over – And he gets glitched out? Yes. That was the most – I definitely didn't follow it, but that was creepy and I didn't know what was going it on. It is so it, – it, it's so prescient to our current age. It is Fascinating. I need to go. It compl- like a breakdown of that scene yes, on it, YouTube. Okay, I, I I can't stress this enough. It is one of the most fascinating video game videos I've seen on YouTube ever, because this this individual goes through what hit what Kojima is trying to say in that scene about the Patriots and the AI and the control of media and how human beings are unable to digest the plethora of information out there and how the AI serves the better need to human beings by basically limiting their knowledge and stopping people from basically becoming insane and having no opinions but then all opinions and how how he talks about it and how Kojima was presenting this is still relevant. Is so relevant, yes. especially today. And it is the most fascinating political, philosophical talk of, that's based around a scene in a video game. And I recommend all of you to go and find this what video. Would you search? Like breakdown of break kernel scene in Metal Gear Two or something. Yes, breakdown. It is a famous scene people talk about. Yes, because I remember playing it as a as how I was pretty young. Like I had, I think I'd seen The Matrix, and I remember thinking, like, is this whole thing a simulation? I was ready for something weird. And I was trying to make sense, but then it never really played into the story later. Like, and I remember the end, and I'm like, wait, well, what about the kernel glitch? Is that the real kernel? What was going on at the kernel? And I was looking at it more of like, just how does this fit into the story? I wasn't thinking any sort of meta or symbolism at all. And it right over my head. But it was creepy. Likewise. Yeah. And uh, this video? It's it, going to – I you, need to watch it. You, you will finish the video and think to yourself, Hideo Kojima – is a genius. I already sort of do think that. Uh, right. Okay. But that's fair. This really solidifies, solidifies the fact it. that this man is writing games that 
seem ridiculous at times. This is how I feel about Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid Five, but uh, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid Two. Well, was, that's a that's his own thing. I don't know how much of that game actually ended up what he wanted it to be. Yeah, I agreed. Um, anyways, Metal Gear Solid Two was impactful as Grand Theft Auto Three for me. My my um, I guess past critique of Hideo Kojima would be. Sort of how I feel about this, this will make sense. You've seen the you've seen the Donnie Darko, right? Yes. And everyone talks about Donnie Darko, and there's this weird cult thing where it's a kind of a cult movie. Then there's kids who are into movies that hate kids that like Donnie Darko, and I've sort of switched from one camp to the other. I, I still love the movie, but it, my impression of that movie is a lot of the really deep symbolism and things that people extracted from it wasn't intended. I think there was an element of artistic luck to that movie. And sometimes when I would see the wacky things from Kojima, I would think like he's going for that. Like maybe he's like, – maybe it's not fleshed. It didn't seem like fleshed out because I didn't get it. And that would be one of those scenes. So now I need to go back and watch it and be like, no, this isn't him sort of just being wacky for the sake of being wacky. Sounds like it's all very meticulously thought out and fleshed out. It is. It is. And Metal Gear Solid 2 is uh – uh, the, especially the ending really uh, is something else. It, it's something else. And the whole AI and Patriots and La Le Lu Le Lo and, you know, yeah. all these crazy ass things as a kid, you're just like, what the hell is happening? Do you think he was just ha- having a little bit of artistic foresight, could see where things were headed? Uh, yeah, I think so. He, think so? he had to have because yeah. the way that he wrote that scene with the colonel and then um, with Naomi. I, I can't remember the – Naomi's the girl who's like your medical who's kind person. of like a scientist, yeah. medical. Yeah. Um, and that whole scene with them and Raiden is just – or Raiden, how you pronounce it. It, <laughs> it. it is fascinating because basically it really does call into question like, you know, what if there was an AI system that was built to basically – make sure that the truth was told but then is very selective in the news because human beings can't handle Handle. so much information it basically creates this division between people and these uh this enmity between cultures and nations and people and what Hideo Kojima is saying in Metal Gear Solid 2 is there's an AI system that can come in and basically act like an autocratic dictator and make sure that things are taken care of. And maybe this is and a maybe better that is alternative. Actually a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Or else human beings will tear themselves apart with the just the plethora of information that's out there. And Hiro Kojima does a that really That is really relevant right now. It's that's int- impressive. Yes. Highly recommend going on YouTube. The breakdown of the colonel scene and and Raiden. It is a hell of a video. Okay, if you could think of one more PS2, PS3, not JRPG, but just greatest moment, and then we're probably going to move into Dark Souls. Great. Uh, PS2, another game that... uh, (sighs) So Metal Gear Solid 2 was excellent. I didn't play Metal Gear Solid 3. Me neither. Until years later, yeah. Um, so I don't think it's fair that I talk about that one, but I would say that, uh, (laughs) here's the thing. Grand Theft Auto three, 
I really didn't get into. But Grand Theft Auto Vice City yes. was I that's the one I played the most. Yes. I think I didn't beat three. I didn't beat San Andreas, but Vice City I did. Something about the eighties neon vibe just, just was clicked. awesome. It clicked. It clicked and Tommy Veretti, whatever his name is. <laughs> Tommy something. Tommy, yeah. It it was man, Grand Theft Auto Vice City was uh, excellent. And I could really appreciate the open world aspect of it. And a lot of the mechanics that were found in Grand Theft Auto 3 uh, and just how that game was designed felt really clunky when Vice City came out. Like mm. Vice City just felt more refined and more polished. refined and polished. Even though if you look at it now, it's like eh, it doesn't seem – It's pretty clunky, yeah. Yeah, it's still clunky. Um, so Vice City was excellent. Uh, uh Honestly, Jack and Daxter. Those are good games, yeah. The first one was excellent. I love that game. Did you do Ratchet and Clank? I didn't do Ratchet and Clank okay. until PS3. Okay. Um, but yeah, PS2. Did you do Okami? I did Okami. Okay, that's I a good did one. Okami. Did that was one it? of the last games that I played on PS2 was Okami. Okay. Yeah, I beat it. That's a long game. It's a very, very long very game. Very long game. And you couldn't skip those cutscenes. <sighs> and with the little your bird not bird uh, little cricket? bug, the little cricket. That was rough. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was rough. rough. But that game was uh, a beautiful reimagining of like Zelda core mechanics yeah. and it worked excellent because the art style was so great. That Japanese watercolor brought to life, and it had that like paper filter the kind paper of paper filter. Yeah, cell shaded. It was one of a kind. Speaking of art style, this game you told me to buy the remaster on PSN for PS4. Oh, and, what was that? And I just I bought it like years ago when we talked, and I just barely actually started playing it. It's so good, Odin Sphere. Oh. But the, the new one's less than sphere or something where it's yes. quality of life's been improved. Yes. HD. That yes. game. Like you, what game were you talking about? It's good for podcasts and kind of grinding. Disgaea. Disgaea. Like this is the same thing. Same like, thing. I, yeah. That's a good game. And it's weird how it comes down to the gameplay loop. Like that's the same thing. It's just a bunch of – it's really the same thing. All I do is just swap out the background. Yeah. Like now you're in a forest. Now you're in a castle. Yeah. But really it's just this – gameplay loop of battle and loot and planting i at first i hated planting the seeds and getting experience and cooking but now i like it get all excited it's pretty <laughs> awesome uh and the art style that's what people first notice isn't it great it's an it's so good and i think that's the first vanillaware game i remember because i first um, it was like odin sphere then muramasa then the Dragon's Crown or something that didn't mm, do very well. That was a little rough. I bought that one and played it for like 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. The art – and honestly, it was the it was the character design. Yeah. that The character design in Dragon's Crown was just awful. I mean you have that Viking woman who just looks ridiculous. It's I, almost embarrassing. I felt embarrassed looking at yeah, those character so models. I would say I liked the exaggerated – really exaggerated things – in some sense, I thought the fighter looked pretty cool. Yeah. And I thought the Amazon woman looked – I know she, like the legs were hype, but it's like – but I like that she had small boobs because in my mind, it was like, oh, this chick's like an actual warrior. Yeah. She's not built to be hot. I mean they, she was with the legs if you're an ass guy. But it was like she – she's like she could kick my ass. Right. Now, the 
which girl was just pure. That's where it was like people are going to think I'm playing an anime sex game yes. if they see me playing yes. this. Yeah, that was just too much. I don't. I don't even remember anything about that character other than just she was a giant boob. It's just boob and waist. Boob like, and waist. It's hourglass maximized it, to the most it was insane levels. Yeah, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. And the jiggle was like – you thought uh, SNK. What's that girl with the red? The ninja girl with the red that's famous for oh, the boob yeah. jiggle in all the fighting games? May or uh, – <clears throat> You think that jiggle's gratuitous. Yeah. The jiggle in Dragon's Crown is like what is – It's awful. It's, it's so, awful. It's so bad. It is bad. Uh, but Odin Sphere, yeah, I'm glad you played that's that. That's good. That, did you I, play it on PS2 I, originally? Uh, I did play it on PS2 yeah. originally and then I did play it again remastered on the PS4 uh, and still thought it was an excellent game. Um, and the quality of life changes for the PS4 yeah. version. Oh, game thank changer. God. Yeah. First of all, the frame rate on the PS2 was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, but yeah, the PS4, that's an excellent game. That's a really underrated game. Did you play Muramasa? I did. Yeah, they yeah, need, they need did. to remaster that one and put it on PS4 because that was a Wii game. That was I a think. Wii game. And the only reason I was able to play that because I never owned a Wii, but I downloaded the Dolphin emulator, uh, emulator yeah. and was able to play it on that. Obviously, Piracy not that great. But it was awesome and I love that game. Um, so, yeah, Odin Sphere, uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Personas – uh yeah i i think that was probably it what's funny <laughs> what's funny now actually persona 4 was not the last game that i played the last game that i played <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> this is going to show how much of a nerd i am for japanese games i played so going back to the dreamcast there was this series that sega produced called sakura tyson or sakura wars and it was this story about these this all female mech team uh, i kind of know what i'm getting into now okay yeah. yeah and and you would date the girls yeah and then based off your relationship it improved their <laughs> stats um very similar to persona actually oh, Catherine, kind of kind of like Catherine. dating yeah yeah uh and they're actually re they're making another one i was shocked but uh sega's making another sakura wars game and bring it local but the very end of PlayStation 2, I think it may have been almost one of the last games that was published on PS2, was Sakura Wars like 6 or 7 or something like that. Okay. And I bought that because there was – they had, I mean, seven Sakura War games. This was the very first one that had ever been localized. And I thought, man, I would love to play one of those games in English and just see how ridiculous of a game it is. And I played it for about 20 minutes and was done. (laughs) No, this is not. This has surprised me. Yeah. What about Silent Hill 2? That's a big one, I think. Played Silent Hill 2? Uh, Scared me shitless. Yes. Uh, To this day, I always see uh, Pyramid Head. Pyramid Head. Yeah. That's one of the few things I remember from that game. Pyramid Head and the film grain texture thing was – that game was creepy. That game was creepy and as a – uh man, when did that come out? I must have been a teen, early teen when that game came out. Well, there's there's only those there's only those two on PS2. So it must have been like first half Silent Hill 2 and Silent Hill 
Silent Hill was on PlayStation. PS1, but Silent yeah. Hill 2 was early PS2, and then there was Silent Hill 3 where you're like in the carnival at the beginning. Okay, and I never I played that. Oh, but then there's The Room. Yeah, and I never played that. I played The Room, but I think I played that on Xbox. Okay. But, uh, dang. Then there's Shattered Memories, which is like the remake of one on Wii, which is actually really good. It's like a reimagining of Silent Hill 1, but it's on the Wii. Interesting. Yeah. If you like Silent I mean, I'm sure Silent Hill fans already know. That's probably, I would say, play that over. If you wanted to go back and play Silent Hill 1 on Emulator, which I've tried, it's just so clunky. Like you said, early PS1 games, they don't age well. They don't. They don't. And they, because they were so limited when you look at them, they, most of them were 3D models on two dimensional backdrops. Yeah. Which I th- think is Silent No, Silent Hill. One has it has pre-rendered backgrounds, yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. It's in the same vein as the Resident Evil. Yep, 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 you're right. All right, what, how did I want to get into Dark Souls? But I think you played Demon Souls first. I did. So you went through the right order. I did. Now I want to ask one question. So my brother, he was actually technically the first episode I recorded. I lost the audio, but we're gonna try to do it again. He brought up something on PS1. So, is it Miyazaki? Is that how you pronounce Miyazaki. Yeah. Yeah. Same name as also Animation Miyazaki, right? Studio Ghibli. Yeah. So, Miyazaki made a game on PS1, which you you haven't brought up. You might have played called Kingsfield. Yeah. One and two. Yeah. And so, my brother got way into those, and he made a good point. I didn't realize, but I was getting prepped. For Dark Souls, because you and him and I all have a convergence of Dark Souls being a. Almost, it's almost. Would you say Dark Souls? Would you say that Final Fantasy Eleven is as deep as you went, as far as obviously time, but as far as commitment and love and being into a game, did you get into Dark Souls as much as you got into Final Fantasy Eleven? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought so. Definitely. Yeah. Did uh, you play Kingsfield at all? I didn't play Kingsfield, and the reason I didn't play Kingsfield was because it was a first-person game. Yes. And it just turned me off. I didn't I, – I remember thinking I wanted to play it because I would always see it, you know, going back and talking about Blockbuster. Uh, I would I would go on Friday nights. It has and cool cover art. Cover it art. has cool cover art, but yeah. then I would flip it around and, be, and think – First person game? I don't like that idea. What a magical thing, by the way, for liking art, is you go to the place and you physically look at these cover arts. You look at the back. You get the messaging. I had another guest talk about just reading, like reading the pamphlets. It used to be when you get a game. Before I fired it up, I'd go through the whole art book. I look at the character design. Read the, if it was a JRPG, read the lore. And I'm, a big part of picking out games was is the cover art dope. It's a big deal. <laughs> now it's not really – there is cover art, but it's more based off reviews and media. Yeah. But when you were younger, that's kind of – you had the cover art and in the back, some screenshots. That's all you had. Yeah. Uh, man, those manuals were, were like books. Yeah. And you know who had the best books? Uh, Blizzard. Blizzard games oh, had some sense. of the best books, especially the Warcraft. They had oh, Blizzard. Blizzard had some of the, of the best, best artists yeah. in in the industry easily, uh, and and their booklets that they would that they would package in those big old PC uh, boxes were just magical. I mean that. I mean, you want to talk about toilet reading, man? Those things were like <laughs> the only thing I read. 
yeah. when I wasn't playing Diablo 2 or Warcraft 2 When or did Diablo 2 fit in chronologically? Was uh, it played on PC? Uh, yeah, PC, that would be uh, end of middle school, beginning of high school. Okay. And then uh, Diablo 2 Lords of Destruction was uh, like all I played for a while uh, during high school, like freshman year. And that was a magical experience. Diablo 2. Did you do Diablo 3? God, yes. I was there from the beginning when it was awful. When it was apparently terrible. And they had a real money auction house. <laughs> Which is a crazy idea that ever happened in the first place. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I still cannot believe that was a thing. And I remember the game was designed around that where you would not. They were would... going to make it. Rain, baby. Yes. They were going to make it rain. Yes. And it was the outcry from that game. And to be fair with you, all of the criticisms of Diablo 3 in that first like year and a half, absolutely true. It, they, it was a terrible game. It was a terrible, terrible experience. And coming from something like Diablo 2, Diablo 3 was such a step in the wrong direction and the real money auction house was I think the primary reason why that game was terrible. They built that game for that auction house. Yeah. It was god awful. I tried it on Switch recently with like the you know, now all the patches and things and it's been redone and ported to console. And I've never played Diablo. A kid at Jiu Jitsu actually told me I'm playing it wrong. I put it just I just select normal. I didn't select like hard or difficulty. I picked a sorcerer and so far, I've just basically steamrolled through the whole game. Like I, it's not. There's been a few bosses where I kind of had to dodge and maybe do some cooldowns and switch over. It's just mindless. But he said apparently there's like hundreds of difficulty levels. Yeah, I don't know how that game works, but yeah, they have. So I have played Diablo three recently. I have to say Diablo three now is a much better game. I, I would easily recommend it to somebody if they wanted to play a really fun ARPG on PC. It's it's awesome. It's a great game. But what they've done in that game is they they have like a, an endless system where you can kind of continue through different levels until you die. And the higher you go, the better loot you can potentially find um, as drops. And so it's it's a really to be honest with you, it's really addicting gameplay loop because you go in and it ramps up in difficulty. That's what he said. He said he's like 300 hours into Diablo on the Switch. Yeah. Like, how is this possible? Yeah, yeah, because of that. Because okay. because there is this um, system in play that allows you to kind of move up. It's really fun. Diablo 3 is a great game. Blizzard brought that thing from disaster. So they they came back and saved it, redeemed themselves. They came back and saved it, similar to the story of Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, which apparently we could – yeah, that's – and I got those conflated too um, when we first talked about Final Fantasy XI. I've never played that, but I have been recently recommended by a lot of people. And I remember the fiasco of that launch and all the bad press. Yeah. And then, then like – didn't they shut it off for a year, a year and a half? Yeah. And rebuild it from scratch yeah. or something along those lines? Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, so I loved Final Fantasy XI, so I got in on the beta of Final Fantasy XIV. It was terrible. It was, it was, it felt just like this giant empty world. And they actually 
that to me is probably one of the greatest comebacks of a video game ever because Final Fantasy 14 when it launched was a disaster and they actually built in the so the Final Fantasy 14 was there it's terrible people think it's the worst game and then they bring in a new director and he builds into the story that the world is obliterated and this is why we can have a reborn. Yeah, and yeah. comes back. And so the ending of Final Fantasy fourteen, they actually had an ending where you could look up into the sky and there was a giant meteor falling from the sky. And once the meteor hit, that's when a cinematic – they actually created an entire cinematic for when this meteor hit the earth. All the servers were shut down. That's pretty badass. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, like six months or twelve months—I can't remember what what how long it took. It, then the game came back as Final Fantasy XIV: Realm, Realm Reborn, and it was a completely different game that, to this day, is probably one of the best MMO games on the market right now. So people keep saying better than World of Warcraft, yeah. better than World of Warcraft, which is insane because that is—I mean, that's the gold know, standard. That's the gold standard for a long time. Yeah. So you. Demon Souls is PS3, which means you were you playing? You play, did you was Final Fantasy 14 on PS3 or PS4 only? Uh, Final Fantasy 14 was, was PC. for PC and PS4. Four, okay, yeah. So that would have been before. Okay, that makes sense. You played Demon Souls first. Yes. Did you know anything about it or did the cover art get you or something like that? No. In fact, I hated that game. So so let me rewind here. So uh, PS3 comes out. I purchased it shortly after coming back from a visit to Tokyo. And so I was just all in on video games. I purchased the Japanese Dreamcast and Japanese games and I was going to relive the glory days, right? I went to um, uh, Akihabara. And went to all those video game shops. Yeah. Uh, you you know what I'm talking about. There, you, yeah, you've yeah. been there. One of my favorite vacations ever. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a great place, a wonderful place for anyone who's interested in video games. I mean, it's the Mecca. And I got a Dreamcast. And at the time, they had advertisements all over Shibuya of Metal Gear Solid 4. And it looked so impressive. The graphics were great. And so as, the minute I got back from Japan... I uh, bought the Metal Gear Solid 4 Sons of Liberty PS3 edition and and uh, realized that PS3 had no games. <laughs> so I had Metal Gear Solid 4 and Pixel Junk Monsters. I remember that. And and that was it. I mean those were those were the only games that I was genuinely interested. Everything else felt almost like uh, you mentioned folklore, which means you tried it. I I tried folklore. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um. And then you know this was this was a dark this was a dark time for Final Fantasy fans because uh <sighs> short yeah so we had the introduction of the Fabula Novalis Crystallis series. Which had the beginnings of what Final Fantasy four or fifteen ended up being. Yeah. So they showed <sighs> up. It was gonna be originally when it was first shown, it was Final Fantasy thirteen. 
and they have that cinematic with lightning yes. in the train. S- in the train. Yes. And it was unreal. Unreal. And then they had the cinematic of Noctis, who, of, like who in came to be Noctis in Final Fantasy Thirteen, and they were like all 13. a trilogy or something. They were not separate games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had Final Fantasy versus Thirteen, which was like in supposedly modern times, but with fantasy elements. Yeah, and then you had uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy Agito. I forgot about Remember that. Remember that? Yes. So you had Final Fantasy 13, Final Fantasy Versus 13, and Final Fantasy Agito. And Agito ended up becoming like this ridiculous PSP game that was just god awful. What ha- Oh man, how did this all happen? I have no idea. I remember you talking to me about Final Fantasy 15 and you pointed me to some forum post or a blog post. That went into deep what was originally planned oh, and, it and was what ended great. up happening. And it was one of the most heartbreaking pieces of journalism yeah. I have ever read. I think I called you or we talked later and it's like, I'm so sad. Yeah, yeah. We we watched an old trailer of Final Fantasy oh, XV and, I, and just as like a mourning process. Yes. Like just to – just to fantasize of, of what could have been. What could have been. What was supposed to have been. Yeah. Dang. So that was a really No dark, redemption for that. No redemption. And, and that PlayStation 3 set off in motion what I would say is probably one of the darkest moments in JRPG history. <laughs> because that was a very Definitely. sad time. And so as a result, it sounds like you turned to Demon Souls. Yeah. So what had happened was I was looking for a JRPG, but there was nothing. Folklore didn't fit it. And there was a video of this game. Uh, and it looked so stupid. It looked like a Japanese version of a Western game. Have like a a knight in yeah. armor, yep, yep. and the graphics looked super they bland. They were super dark shitty, dark brown, and bleh. yeah. And I I just I hated it. And what was interesting is there was a game on the Dreamcast that I played and I actually really loved called Draconis, and it was this third person game that that honestly reminded me a lot of Demon Souls. I, it was probably only played by a handful of people, but it had a very similar um, gameplay setup where you would go in and you was third person and you would fight monsters in this area and you try to get to the very end and like kill the boss. But it was it was kind of difficult. It was a difficult game to play, um, and it it this 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 Demon Souls game reminded me of that, and I think that's that's the only reason why I was forgiving of the art style was because mm. I thought, Oh, maybe it's like that Draconis game that I played on dreamcast. But I mean, I was scraping the barrel with demon souls. I was just like, you know, pure what? desperation. It was pure desperation. And then I read this review of demon souls in, it may have been Kotaku or one of these online sites. And they just said, demon souls is a freaking amazing game. And I thought, okay, cool. So there's finally a game on PS3 that I might enjoy. And, um, I mean, I played Uncharted, and Uncharted was fine. It's not a 
Yeah. It was okay. I bought Demon's Souls for the same reason. I just gave up pretty quickly and was yeah. like, I don't know what this is, but it's not a dope RPG. Fuck that game. But how did you – Yeah. What kept you to break through the threshold to realize that it's actually magical? Um. Yeah. So I, um, I really – resonated with the dark gothic style i didn't understand that it was the trailer if you go back and watch that original trailer it's not as dark as the demon souls was like if you go back it looks like uh, a very basic just japanese generic generic western fantasy yes yeah the game was so dark and that and honestly, this is what sold me. That first enemy you fight, the blob with the shield yes. and the and the spears coming, coming out of it. Out of it yeah. I mean, I was just like, what the hell is this game? This is unri- this is so strange and odd. And at that point when you get to that boss, you kind of understand how unforgiving the game is yeah. and how it really relies on this you die, you repeat, you learn how the how the environments are, the, where the traps are. Inch by inch. Inch by inch. inch. Yeah. And by the time I got to that first boss and just how surreal the game felt, I was just thinking, this is not what I thought this game was going to be. And I was so bought in. I mean, I was, I was in love with that game. I... I mean, this is just to show you how how great this game was to me. I was, uh, I, I had a girlfriend at the time, uh, and surprise, but surprise. you're playing Demon Souls somehow. <laughs> Are those two compatible? Right. And I vividly remember she came over because we were supposed to hang out, and I was playing <laughs> Demon Souls, and it was the it was the first time you encounter. One of those like really fat demons with like the little wings on its back. You know I'm talking pictures, about. But I have not gotten to that. But okay. I know what enemy you're talking about. So it's the it, yeah. So you get to that guy, and it's so brutal how you get to that guy because you encounter these skeletons that roll. They're like wheels. They like fight you like skeletons, but then they also can if they see you from uh they turn into a wheel. They turn into a wheel and they go after you, and it's the most frustrating like first encounter i've ever had in any of the demon dark souls well actually that's a lie uh there are more frustrating (laughs) but but it was frustrating and 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 i remember she came over and i had died like 10 times on that fat demon boss and and i just remember like looking at her (laughs) and looking at the television screen and demon souls and i just thought yeah i need you to go I need you to go. I need to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> How does she feel about that? She hated it. Of yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, she's yeah. like, what? Duh. Wait, this is, de- this is demon. So like, what is this? I mean, you know, and I, I mean, obviously I told her what the game was, but she, she was just, she was just so infuriated by it. She was, and, and I just remember thinking this game gives me such elation. Like I have <laughs> never felt joy from a game like what demon souls gives me. It was it was cra- it was a crazy experience because Demon Souls in a lot of ways was the culmination of decades of gaming and it felt like I had finally come back to the original gameplay mechanics 
that so fascinated me going back to Tiny Toons, going back to Mega Man, going back to Donkey Kong. It had that special challenge that when you overcame it, you felt like you genuinely accomplished something. And that was such an addicting feeling. And the other thing is, is it also played up on the feeling of exploring the unknown that Final Fantasy VII presented. Yeah, you did both. Yeah, right. And and it really was for me. Demon Souls was in many ways just the amalgamation of everything that I loved in video games, and it just came together in such an odd. Well, yeah, what's magical way. about that is I didn't. I got. I could say the same thing about Dark Souls. I had the same feeling, but it was just one game later. I got stuck. I couldn't even. I remember there's like a portal world, like a sort of central hub where there's portals. Yeah. And I remember it took me hours just to like figure out how to get into a portal and go to the first area. And by that point, I'm like, eh, I want to move on. But Dark Souls, <laughs> I think they use the term grinding in RPGs for a reason. It's not a skill thing. It's sort of a patience. Yeah, it's a patience. You can sit and farm. I can sit and farm and I can sit and grind. And yes, you feel rewarded, but it wasn't hard. It was just grueling. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't get better at the game. You're already good at the, you already know exactly what to do, But, but the way the game is designed, it's almost like those mobile games now that make you wait a day you know how the, like the timer, mm-hmm. the yeah. free to play, and they they buffer you, and then they then hey, if you don't want to be so patient, you can pay us real money yeah. and get upgrades faster. The gotcha it's, game model, yeah, yeah. That's how a lot of RPGs were. It's like, you're not really getting better at the game. There was some strategy, some tactics. If the boss is really hard, but the gameplay wasn't. I'm not going to get better. It's I'm going to grind, get better gear, get better stats, and then I can beat the boss easier. Yeah. Dark Souls says, no, you have to get good. That's what the, the get good sort of <laughs> meme or saying comes from. Yeah. It's you, when you progress, it's like you are actually – it's a worthless skill. It's a playing Dark Souls. But it's a skill. It's yeah. a very like unique skill that has depth to it. And that's what gives you that feeling. I accomplished something. I actually earned something because you are getting better yeah. throughout the whole game yeah. at the game. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. It, it reminds me in a lot of ways of how people talk about, and obviously we're we're too young for this, but how it felt to go to the arcades, and yeah, how that it, makes sense, right? And I mean, if you look back at the old arcade games, Metal Slug, and I mean, even going farther back, Pac Man and Galaga, you're you're playing there, especially with Metal Slug, or even any of the the top down shooter games. There's only like six levels in those games, right? Yeah. But the gameplay loop is so addicting because you die so often. Yeah. And you just learn the patterns and you become better. And for some reason, that mechanic is is addicting. You, you, you're playing the same thing over and over again, but you feel like you're progressing. Yeah. You feel like you're doing better. And with Pac-Man, I mean you're playing the same levels over again. You can play the same level hundreds of times, but you love it. You love it and, and Dark Souls, it, it's like the perfect marriage between that arcadey, I'm going to do the same thing over and over again. Um, but instead of 
to get a higher score or to uh, you know beat this level. It's like just to overcome this one mob. Yeah. Like a- every mob is is terrifying, right? Because you just like anything can kill me. Any sometimes normal the one fucking spot in ah uh, undead berg, the bridge. And yeah. then there's a few skeletons, that one bridge. Yeah. You get good at it, but every once in a while you're like lazy. You kind of just – you'll get killed. Yeah. So even – yeah, you can't get lazy. Everything can kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, that spot's so annoying. That is a, that is an annoying spot. And then on uh, PS3 with Dark Souls, you have – Frame rate problems? You have the frame rate problems. Yeah. And, Big and down. that was in – oh my gosh. But yeah, Dark Dark Demon Souls was easily my favorite game. And do you like it more than all the other Dark Souls uh, now still? No. No. I still think Dark Souls is th- is the best. Okay. Um the other ones are good. Uh you know what? I lie. Dark Souls is not the best one. If we're talking from software uh, Miyazaki. Bloodborne. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree. Just the aesthetic alone. Oh my god, that game. Speaking of art styles, yeah. (sighs) That game and and with Demon Souls though, it started that whole you know uh, genre game, I guess you could say. But no one really ever successfully captured what Miyazaki was able to do. And Miyazaki, he have you read about his like artistic? mind and how he goes about creating these games no, i've and only read his ascension to demon souls i see and it was quick too he was like he went from like qa to like some other low level to something technical and it was a weird turn of events and he ended up i think he came in t- to save demon souls actually and he redesigned it yes yeah yeah i right. think that's what happened yeah yeah no you're right on that but no how does how does he make these worlds? Does he? So I know George R. R. Martin, whatever Game of Thrones guy, talks about architects versus gardeners when it comes to writing. Yeah, and he's like, I'm a little bit of a mix. I have like a vague architect, and then as I'm writing a character, I kind of figure out where it's going to go and how it's going to fit into the over. And some people meticulously plan out. Yeah, what is? And that's Miyazaki. That's, that's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's Miyazaki, and he he has such a singular vision. That you don't often see in game developers. I mean, you you obviously have people like Kojima and um, Miyamoto. Um, you know, even in the United States, you have people uh, that are pretty Peter, Peter monologues. <laughs> we talked about Fable in the other podcasts and just that marketing campaign oh and how much God. of a letdown basically every Lionhead game has been. He's not one of those people. Who would be an American contemporary to Hideo Kojima? Uh, Barak, God of War. F- God, he's in. He's in four. He's, he's a more newer. He's a newcomer, but my God, yeah, that guy has a vision, and he's unafraid. God of War, yeah. You know what I like about Corey is he is such a genuine person. We had people like Cliff Blazinski and. Uh, yeah, you know, true. just They're, these kind of outrageous logging. Yeah, I mean, when 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 God of War came out and he got on, I I think it was Twitter or Facebook. The or new, something. We're talking the new God of War, right? New God of War. You're talking his reaction video. His reaction video, that, and you're just like, yeah, and you're just like, 
God damn, this guy loves what he does and he's so humble about it. And let's be honest, God of War. Oh, is my God, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit more. I'm actually not to go in the Dark Souls. I think it's enough. We could talk about God of War because there's a few moments that some of the best. I talked a little bit about this with Todd from Kuma Films. I what I loved about God of War, all in hindsight, I loved everything. But what stuck out to me the most was two things: its ability to tell a story without words. And an example of that would be early on the game when I think you kind of leave the first tutorial area and you go up to a hillside and you see the mountain and you see the ring of trees that you had to pick for the mother, like the boundary your mother has sent. And Atreyu or Atreus? Atreus Atreus. is like, oh, we really going to go to that mountain? And they had this moment after all this death. It's like, ah, they're taking in the view. And Kratos goes to touch his hand on his shoulder, but he can't do it. And the boy doesn't see that he had a moment of trying to like connect and he didn't know how to connect and he puts his – and you can see him like the anxiety and the uncomfort and the body language. And and I had just had a kid and I had that same problem but just – man, that scene alone was like – and it's pretty early in the game. It's like, oh, I know everything I need to know about their relationship just from that five-second scene yeah. to understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God of War is, uh, I mean, that, God, that, that is the apex of just gaming, gaming right now. I, I don't know if I've, I mean, there, there have been some very impressive games and, and we can go on this later, but, you know, cause you have games like Breath of the Wild that, aren't God of War, but they're also doing some really interesting things that I think we're going to be seeing in gaming for Different direction. years to come. Yeah. Um, but but God of War, just in terms of the where games can go as a medium, is just it, – it blew me away. I mean just the potential. What, when I saw God of War, it was the first time as an adult that I thought – Games can touch people that don't often play video games. Like these can yes. be real emotional stories um, where we don't really we, – we oftentimes don't see those in games. And God of War, I mean the gameplay was tight as hell. So tight. And so tight. So tight. And, mm. and the story was fantastic. The art direction was phenomenal. Unreal. The armor design. The armor That's design. That's one thing. It's like you always liked looking at Kratos because everything looked so fucking badass so and good. So badass. Yeah. And and the music yeah. was great. The voice acting was phenomenal. I mean it, just like on a technical level, that game is very impressive what they were able to do. And you played it on PS4 Pro, right? I, I Later. So I basically La- beat it. And I did some of the end game stuff on okay. Pro. Okay, yeah. And so you know what that game can look like. Yeah. Uh, it, it's phenomenal. It's like when I saw uh, Horizon for the first time on Pro on a 4K TV. Yeah. I was shocked that they could get that out of out a of PS4. A, yeah. And then, and then you read about how they accomplished that on a technical level where they would only render out like a, like the a field, field of view. Of view and then it was just fun. I mean, you. And like the grass was uh, – in Horizon, the grass is not actually placed. It's an algorithm. Yes. And all the grass is like – Yes. It's almost like a roguelite. Yes. Like where it's randomly generated, generated. Procedurally generated. Parts of it. They would like hand build some of it. 
the rest was because there'd be no memory. It would just yeah. procedurally generate it when it amazing. Yeah. So, and speaking of Hideo Kojima in that game, I'm super stoked that Death Stranding oh. is on that engine. Yes. Uh, I don't know what, what he, I mean, we're going to keep getting sidetracked. The Decima engine. The Decima the engine. Decima engine. What do you think about Death Stranding? I know we're getting sidetracked. We'll get back to God of War. Yeah, and I want to touch up one last thing oh. uh, that tied Dark Souls and God of War together. Okay. Um, just from like a, a game design perspective. But uh, yeah, Death Stranding, I mean, come on. It's Hideo Kojima and he's being given like – Completely free reign. The question is, is that too much freedom? <sighs> because so far what we see is – an amazing walking simulator <laughs> with a little bit of action in a really intriguing world. Yeah. That's like definitely so creative. It's there, you, you can't put so far what we've seen about the story and the world and into any trope other than smi- like a little bit of sci-fi and horror, but it's its own thing. Yeah. Already you can tell. Yeah. Uh, my prediction is that Death Stranding is going to be – phenomenal and it's going to change the gaming landscape uh that's what i think i think why why are you feeling so confident so partially because i have so hideo kojima has shown the game to people right so i i I mean yeah some people have played some people have actually played this game and their developers have gone to kojima Productions or Kojima Studio. What is his new studio called? Is it called? Foxhound? No, it's Kojima Studios. I think it's Kojima Studios. Yeah. Kojima Studios. And they have played the game and they have said it, it's not what you're thinking. It is – but it is phenomenal. But it's different. It's so uh, yeah, different. There's some, like the, I know that there's a lot of mystery around the online mechanic. Yeah. Which makes me – I do think he's done something like out of left field. You think it's going to be like this walking simulator, maybe some third-person action shooting, but it's almost like, look, is this another write-in? Yeah. Where this game actually doesn't play like anything what we're seeing? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think so too. And you could kind of see some interesting things in the last gameplay, the public uh, trailer that they released at uh, shortly before E3. And you you see that like he has the ladder. There's there's a yeah. lot of interaction with the environment that you don't see in a lot of games that look like that, right? I mean, you have a Minecraft, yeah. which has unlimited possibilities around how you interact with that environment, but it's literally uh, pixel blocks, yeah. right? And so when you look at Death Stranding and the graphics and just like the fidelity of everything in that game. It's at such a high level, and but then he's building in this really interesting uh, – how you interact with the environment is fascinating. Like it feels like he, it's going to be very different. Uh, kind of like what I thought Red Dead Redemption was going to be was doing. So, two, you mean? Yeah, two. That didn't – I – yeah. Uh, I tried it and made it like four hours and was eh. I'm uh, over it. Yeah, that game is not – what I wanted it to be, but I think I want it to be a lot more um, realistic in how you could interact with that environment. Yeah. Felt very much like a Grand Theft Auto five with just like reskinned uh, hmm. with 19th century. It's American. so slow and like bloated is how it felt to me. Yeah. And it was more like, yes, it's, you can interact with everything, but it, it's like a, Bigger version of a PS3 game. Yes. Like the way it's structured and everything's like tiny little mini games and it's – Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would say that's what Red Dead Redemption 2 felt like. And speaking of open world, and this is what I'm excited about, is I think uh, Breath of the Wild showed a new form of open world game that is going to be the standard moving forward. Like, if, if you can't get to that, then I don't think people are really going to like your what open about world it? games. Breath of the Wild lost me after, like, and I made it, like, a 12 hours. I yeah. Went, pretty far and i'm just kind of like i get it yeah i don't need to beat it (laughs) here's what's awesome about breath of the wild uh breath of the wild is designed for you to break the game and it rewards you for breaking the game and the way that they're able to accomplish that is they have a really intricate physics system in that game and you um like, for instance, uh, this just happened because I'm replaying it right now. Okay. Uh, and there's this puzzle that you get to where there's a ball that's dropping from the ceiling and there's a maze and you – I've done a similar – many of the same one. There's multiples of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of those. Well, what's awesome is you can actually flip the controller over and so the puzzle actually flips upside down and then it's just a flat plane. And then the ball drops, and you can just whip the ball Go off right of it. You don't even have to skip the maze. You don't thing. have to deal with the maze. But the maze is possible to do. The maze is possible. Yes, but you can. But it feels like you're breaking the game by just mm. flipping the puzzle over and saying, "Yeah, I don't want to do that." Because I just realized I can flip it over and have the ball Bypass just jettison off of yeah. it. Right? It, it's awesome. And and uh, there's there's so many uh, aspects of Breath of the Wild that rewards you for manipulating the physics system. And so with Breath of the Wild, unlike a lot of open world games, is that most of the time it's open world in that you can go anywhere, but Breath of the Wild is a world you actually interact with and can manipulate. You can pick up items, you can throw a rock, you can climb up trees. The climbing mechanic in Breath of the Wild is awesome. I mean, what open world game allows you to just climb Climb up any structure? Yeah. Right? Uh Assassin's Creed a little bit, but it's different. It's, uh, they have preset things you, you can have, climb and preset things you can't climb. Yes. They Bre- just have a lot of things you can climb. Yes. Yeah. So Breath of the Wild is like – it almost feels like a, a sandbox. It's an open world sandbox where there's a physics system. Yeah, that's true. Whereas open world game is really an open world hub with a bunch of mini games. Yes. Yeah. And and we're beginning to see that, right? Because I think if you go back to when we were talking about Grand Theft Auto 3, I mean you go back to that now and you're just like, this is awful. Yeah, and this is not open world interactive. Yeah. 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 And but at the time it felt – Crazy. Endless. Endless. And there were so many possibilities. Breath of the Wild introduces an aspect of open world games that I don't think has ever really been explored. That makes sense. I never thought about it that way. That makes a little more sense why a lot of people think that game is, yeah, the best open world game. People are already wanting it to uh, get a sequel. There is a sequel in development. I think they Yeah, Nintendo just announced one. At uh, E3 this year, they they announced that it was in, in production. So out of so Breath of Wild and God of War are kind of the two contemporary greats. Yeah, if easily. you had to give the hat, do you agree with God of War over Game of the Year? Because I think they had that the same year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think so. Okay, I think God of War just hit a peak 
of game design overall. That's because- almost like they're opposites. God of War is the peak of sort of an older school game design. Yeah. Where Breath of Wild 2 is like this is a fresh new take. Fresh new take. Yeah. Fresh new take in mechanics that I've ne- you just don't do not see in games. Like the level of freedom that Ze- that Breath of the Wild gives you is is peerless. You you can't find another game that does that with that polish of a Nintendo game. Um, I know that there's several games on Steam that you can download and I'm they sure, give you unlimited yeah. control, but not things. to the polished, acceptable level of Breath of the exactly. Wild. Exactly, yeah. Breath of the Wild, in my opinion, is just masterclass in game design. And I mean, I'm not a game developer. Uh, I don't create games, but I will say that when you look at how difficult it is to design games around players. And you look at a game like Zelda and you un- you realize how much they afford players. It's it's just uh, – I mean it, it's – You're creating mo- – the more freedom you give the player, the more problems you're exactly. creating to, to try to solve. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I, w- I wanted to um, – back to God of War, I wanted to bring up the second thing that made me love that game, which you've mentioned a couple of times in A Realm Reborn, is they built it sort of what happened in the game, the game being redesigned into the lore of the game. What I loved about God of War – and you may have reali- realized this earlier than me, but you know how a lot of games – so God of War borrows some gameplay elements from like Tomb Raider and um, – What's a Uncharted? Mm-hmm. There's certain things you can climb, and a lot of games like that, or Mirror's Edge, where they'll have some sort of visual cue. Speaking of Breath of the Wild, you can't climb on almost anything in God of War, but the areas you can climb, there's a visual cue in the form of these like rusted out runes, like old Viking writing that's kind of like yellow, and it's like looks like it's been there for a long time. And when I first started playing, I'm like, that's just they're just letting me know where I can go. Uh-huh. They're just letting you know, and that's like in every game, like Uncharted or Tomb Raider. It's white paint. Uh-huh. Everything has like you know, if it's a wood ledge, yeah, they'll have like a little bit of white yeah. paint, letting you know, hey, this is a climbable ledge. And and that speaking of the opposite of Breath of the Wild, because you can't touch everything, we have to let you know, so you know where to go and what you can do. We have to give you some sort of cue. Hey, this is a cl- this is interactive. You can climb this ledge. You can blow this barrel up. This has physics. This doesn't has physics. So when I first started playing God of War, I thought, like, that's cool. They're doing it. But instead of a color, they're adding some runes to it, like old runes. And they're just taking a little bit further. Spoiler alert, you get to the end of the game and you realize the mom has foreseen everything when they, when they pull it back. And the, the last ledge has that same thing, but there's a handprint. I don't know if it's the kid. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And he's like, that's mom. And you're already, like, emotional about the mom and the kids and – like mom saw this and she led the way. She put – and they tied in this gameplay command, you know, element, letting people know how to play the game, where to go into an already emotionally packed and it all came together. And I just thought that's such a small little de- – they didn't have to do that. Yeah. That's a small little detail. Yeah. It blew my mind. Yeah, I found out about that uh, a while after I finished that game and uh, I was I was blown away by that too. It's amazing. It is. It, it is it, that that game is, yeah. I don't. I don't. I mean, Horizon was a technically impressive game, and the I thought the the the, the gameplay, story was cool. The, the the story was really cool, but the open world just did not feel like I I wasn't incentivized to go and explore. 
that world. The same thing. I be I went straight through the story and, and stopped playing. Yeah. Horizon. I didn't really do anything. I did kind of cheat the game. So do, there's that one. Uh, I don't know. It's called the biggest one. He's in the he's he's in the like desert area. He's later in the game. He has the two like disc launchers on his on his side. It's one of the bigger enemies, and there happens to be one that's right next to a campfire. And if you just rest at the campfire, he won't respawn. But if you quick save, quit, and reload, mm. then he'll respawn. Okay. And if you steal his, I kind of broke the game. I saw it on YouTube. So if you kill one of them the hard way, which took me forever, he'll drop the disc launchers if you don't destroy them. You can take both the disc launchers, set them next to the fire, quick save and reload. He will respawn, but the disc launchers from the old one will still be there. You can just pick it up and kill the next one and you get purple augs and you just kill him over and over and over again. So I think that kind of – like there, I tried to cheat God of War that way. And I always try to get ahead. I couldn't. And that kind of breaks the game because that's like, well, I just want to – like the last few levels on Horizon, I was so sick of the game. I just wanted the story. I don't know why. You can, you can stealth and just run by. As you climb the mountain to the final facility, there's like three or four sections where you yeah. go through an area. Yeah. Then you climb and kind of is a new area. I didn't kill any of those dinosaurs. Yeah. I just like sprinted along the edge, cheesed the game and passed it. <laughs> <clears throat> Did you ever play Frozen Wilds? No, I heard it's good though. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, <coughs> oh, I did one extra thing. I got the shield armor. I did all the. To get, I did like, too. I did I too. Where, where you're almost like in, you're like invulnerable. You have a shield for a while. Yeah, it's like a ha- traditional Halo. Then it has to recharge after it takes a certain amount of damage. Yeah, I got that too. Um, yeah, so with God of War, I actually played through that game on uh, Give Me God of War mode. From the beginning? Yeah, from the very beginning. Oh, you signed up for a rough go. Yeah, Because that game is hard already. Well, and it's really hard at the beginning because if you remember, a lot of the beginning fights are multiple enemies. Yes. And that game – so that's the only downside. Like if we're talking what part of God of War showed a little – some cracks, it's definitely in how they designed that game for the most difficult level because that game – does not do well with multiple enemies. So when you're in tight quarters with multiple people, well, yeah, you have to be the camera control. The camera, has to be perfect. So yeah. I, you had, I had to go in and I had to change those settings. I had to take, I had to mess around with the sensitivity. I had to take off the like the lock on mm. camera. I had to fix all these different things. I think there's a separate camera. I was reading something about like one of the combat designers had a YouTube video tips to play on God of War mode, and he said you go into the if you want you can go into the settings and change the the configuration because it allowed you to like move the camera and select sub weapons at the same time. I don't remember what the logic was, but they had built that makes sense. They had he basically said you got to go in and change some settings if you want to actually play this game at the highest level. Yeah, and I got (laughs) to tell you. You know that scene where you are on the bridge and you fall down into that pit of droggers? Yes. That was insane. I probably spent a good three hours trying to get trying early to do game because you're not you don't have a lot of special moves. You have you no have special the, moves. Yeah. You have no special moves, and you have to do that whole thing with nothing special. And our, uh, the boy is really weak. and your boy has no electricity arrows or yeah, anything. Nothing. Yeah. That was. 
a test in just pure willpower to get through that. Once you get about 10 hours into the game, though, it gets a little easier. Yeah. It still is never an easy game, but... What about... Did you beat Valkyrie on God of War? Oh, God, no. God, no. I, I Dude, on God of War mode with those Valkyries, it, it it's ridiculous. I, I don't even know... If someone can beat that last, the Valkyrie queen, queen on Shh. God of War, you are on a, God of War. You mode. are a god because I did. On you normal. are a gaming god. I think you're supposed to basically because New Game Plus. I think you're supposed to beat it and then go through on New Game Plus and play on God of War, and then it might be because you have better gear and your stats are a little bit better. But I had bought the Valkyrie Queen. I don't know if I texted you this. I remember. I think I texted. Yeah, I. I busted a brand new TV. I didn't rage quick. I didn't throw the controller at the – I didn't punch the TV. But I had, it was all around Christmas time. I borrowed God of War. I bought a brand new TV on Black Friday. In this room, the Valkyrie Queen was – I would say there's only been a few bosses that broke me. For whatever reason, people don't say this, but in Bloodborne, the final boss, Gurham – not Gurham. What's his name? In the field, the flowers. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I had the hardest time with him. And okay. I remember getting close to tears. Like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, Gwyn on Dark Souls 1, mainly because every time you tried, you had to run all the way through. You had to pass, like, five black knights, run over some weird stuff, and then go down the spiral. And then you it's just such a long way to get to him. That was rough. And then Valkyrie Queen, which is the opposite. You can immediately respawn yeah. and fight. And, sh- and it loads right back up. She is so hard. <laughs> And I, I, what happened is I got her down to like probably two or three hits left, like slivers of a life bar multiple times in a row. I want to say three to five times in a row, like one or two moves away from beating her, and I lost. And one of the times I realized I even <clears throat> had the resurrection stone and the prompt came up to resurrect me, but I, didn't, I was like so angry I lost. I didn't do it in time, and I could have resurrected with full rage bar, hit rage, and killed her. Yeah. Like, and I realized I fucked up. Yeah. And I had to try again. I was so close. I lost again, and I punched my couch. And this is my couch. That's nothing. I didn't throw it, but I had a little mini. I played drums, a little mini drum pad, and it bounced. It could have bounced 360 degrees, any direction, but it bounced straight into my TV and shattered <laughs> my TV as the game over screen was still rubbing it in that I had just lost to this bitch again. And what did I do? I went right out and bought another TV, <laughs> came home, put the busted TV in the other room and played until I beat her. I was like, no, uh, that was – I don't – that's normal. There's no way you could beat her God of War mode. No, there's no way. It, it, yeah. I mean I'm sure there's some asshole that's done it. but Yeah. Yeah. I mean, There's also kids that beat Gwyn level one naked with yeah. fists. So yeah. Well, there's that, there's that famous guy who played through the entire – uh, from software dark, catalog, yeah, catalog from. Well, I mean that's a lie because they always say make other games. I, I should say the Miyazaki Bloodborne, Soulsborne. Soulsborne. Yeah. He he went through the entire series without getting hit once. Live, 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 live. How many hours for a run? I, I can't remember. You oh, can, my god! You can look up the I need run. To look this up. Well, and it was funny because he actually made headlines because he was doing a run and he had gotten through everything. But I guess there's – I didn't even know this was a boss. But I guess there's like a secret alternative 
Uh, you know, in Dark Souls, the very first fat demon that you fight. So you, fat demon. So Dark Souls, you're like on that island in prison, and you come out of it, and there's that demon that's sitting in that oh, courtyard. The tutorial. You, the tutorial. You fall through the ceiling, like the yes, opening area. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can fight him again in like an alternate realm. And I didn't know that was a boss. I guess okay. it's like a secret hidden boss. He was like, oh, I'm going to go fight that guy so I can say I did everything. And he had done hours, like not getting hit once by anything. He goes in and he barely gets nicked by one of the stomps from this like just joke of a boss, like this side boss. Like it shouldn't even be a challenge. Yeah, couldn't even. Be, yeah, shouldn't even be a challenge. And it made headlines because I mean, obviously, he's completely devastated. But, <laughs> but then he, but then he went back and he did it. He did it. Okay. He went. He went through all of them without getting hit once. Can you? Can you believe that? He didn't get hit once. He nothing hit him. No boss. He wasn't even nicked. He got good. He got. He good. got good. He got. Good. That's insane. I can't believe. I wonder how many hours. Do speed? Uh, this actually came up. We're talking about skills, and, and Todd was saying for Kuma Films, they film people doing really. I was like, you do, you film people who do like really random skills and take them to world class levels, like someone who spent ten thousand hours practicing stacking cups. That's what you guys film. And he said a lot of them make money, and uh, you can actually make money even though you don't think about it. And we were talking about speed running. Do speed runners or guys who do that? Are, do they just making money off Twitch views or are they getting sponsorship? Is he going to get any value out of that other than maybe a week of news cycles on video game media? Yeah. I do mean, those guys make money? I I mean I uh, I know that you can find the stats on that in, in terms of like how much holders, people yeah. – yeah. I mean it it's like uh I mean it's like an MLM, right? I it's only like the top 1% 0.001% that actually make any and, kind yeah. of money. Everyone else makes a few thousand dollars here, a couple hundred bucks yeah. to to nothing. Um I don't know. I, I don't know. I I can't imagine they make that much. Yeah. I mean, you have to be constantly streaming. And what what would you call that? Like I guess you could stream all his hours practicing and people could follow along maybe. That's more – that's not a speedrun. That's more a, a video game feat. Yeah. Is there a – is there like a – I think there's a central organized official speedrunning body that holds records. Yes, Is yes. there something like that for video game feats? I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. I would love to know if there is. Uh, I think that's an interesting thing to look hmm. up. Because, yeah, like if that just – if there isn't one, could you – but he, he did live stream it the whole time, right? Yeah, he did. Because I think you have to. Otherwise, you could fake stuff with emulators. Right. And like yeah. our uh, – That is absolutely insane. King of Kong guy. But damn, dude, is there anything you want to – Okay, the wrap it up. If you've already mentioned it, maybe don't mention it. But something that hasn't been mentioned Yeah. that would be either your best or close to best video game memory. Now everything – Modern could be something you played yesterday all the way down to early childhood. Yeah. What's your best memory, the most magical moment? What's the goat? It is an extremely embarrassing story. Say what? It's an embarrassing story. I want to hear it. That's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) But it is one of my best gaming memories. Um... 
And it goes back to Final Fantasy XI. Okay. So I Final Fantasy XI had, as I was mentioning earlier, this really archaic drop system and the ways that the enemies appeared in the world. It was just uh, grueling. It, it was grueling. It was laborious. I mean, even to get these dropped items to increase your class level. I mean, you would spend hours upon hours. And there was this particular quest that you had to go and find this ruby that dropped from these jellies and it would be randomized. So there was like a group of five jellies and they were all placeholders for what was essentially a rare jelly spawn. And it had a chance of spawning like every 24 hours and it it would take the place of one of these five jellies. So what you had to do was you had to go out and kill all these jellies as they spawned. And hopefully you were just there at the right time during this window when the rare one would come up. Um, And you would just do that for hours on end. And I had a group of friends come over and – for some reason, they found it so fascinating that we got a couch and pulled it up next to the computer and everyone was sitting. There was like five of us and we were all just sitting there watching the grind, watching the grind of jellies. me trying to find get this rare jelly to appear. And we were there for a couple of hours and, you know, I was a little distracted. There were other people in the room. You kind of like you're grinding, but you're chatting. Yeah, you're hanging yeah, out. we're hanging yeah. out. We're yeah, I'm grinding away at these things, and the rare jelly spawns, <laughs> and I am you're not, not like, paying attention? looking at the monitor. Wait, say that again. I am not looking at the monitor oh. when this rare jelly spawns. Finally, after hours of killing these stupid spawn <laughs> mobs. And a random guy who has never been there before runs up and claims the rare jelly. And I was so overcome. (laughs) I have never felt so stressed out that I got up from the couch, opened up the back door of, of my mom's house because I was still in high school and I ran out into the snow and just dove face first into that <laughs> snow and sat there face down in this snow for probably a good two minutes. Just trying to deal with the pit in your soul yes. of realizing what happened. Yes, yes. So that's not really a favorite memory. That's a terrible memory. It is a terrible memory. But, but it sticks it's, out of but, what you went through. But what yeah. It, yeah, but what it is for me, it is, the, it is the perfect example of how much video games meant to me. That's a good point. That, That's a really good that, point. That to me it just epitomizes the level at which I got to as a teenager with video games. That I was that emotionally invested in these games that something like that could cause that much distress. He would work. So you also though you platinumed a bunch of games that were hard. I platinumed a bunch of. So you've always I platinumed all the Miyazaki games. I platinumed Demons and Dark and Dark Souls Two, Dark Souls Three. You've always been willing to go to the depths. Yeah, to truly. Get to the highest level of a game. I have. I have. Yeah. I'm a bit of a masochist when it comes to those yeah. games. 
Yeah, I love uh, platinum. 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 No, 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 no. Yeah, that's platinum. Platinum. I don't. How do you say that? <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard word. To that say. is a hard word. But yeah, I yeah. So I would say that's probably the best memory because it's so ridiculous and stupid, but it's everything that I was as a gamer growing up. And uh, after my first experience with Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy XI and the MMO world, and uh, I was never the same. I was never the same after that experience. <laughs> never the same. I've been trying and, to- no, and, and just and just to be honest, that was the first time that my mother questioned if I should actually be playing video games. Because she was so shocked by what I had just done because she she saw it so happen. She saw it, yeah. she saw it happen. And she was just like is this healthy? Is this healthy? Like, is this a healthy No, hobby? it's not, Mom. No. No, <laughs> it's flash, not. It's not healthy. It's not. <laughs> I've been trying to come up with, like, some comparable memories when people give me their favorite one. And um, not a total comparable memory, but it goes, uh, it goes back to Dark Souls, and I think you'll appreciate the twist. N- not near as much. It was, like, somewhere in Blight Town. Like, it was an area where I had been trying and trying and failing. And you know how sometimes people will um, leave messages? Yeah. And they'll be like hidden wall and there won't be really a hidden yeah. wall. Or they're yeah. like secret platform and you go off and you actually die and they're just being trolls. Look, that happened. But what had been happening, sometimes people would invade and instead of killing me, they would like lead you. And they would lead you through. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And so I, I hadn't found like the next bonfire. And this asshole, he played it perfectly. <laughs> He led me through most of the area. This is so masochistic. I love it. And I, I had a similar experience. When it happened, I had a similar – I didn't lay in the snow but like a depth in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> he led me through. It was even showing me like secret things like, oh, here. Here's a chest. And he, and he got me, which I didn't realize because at the time I hadn't got to the next bonfire. But in hindsight, he pushed me through. It was like Blighttown and down kind of where the Spider Queen is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was somewhere back – and then like back up in Blighttown and I had gone through most of the area and I had a bunch of souls and he was like walking me through oh, and showing no. me everything. And then he and then he like there's like the point over here of the edge and I'm like, oh, sweet. There's, there's like definitely going to be a hidden chest and he just walks me off the edge and I die. <laughs> I just die. I lose everything. I mean he kind of showed me where all the secrets were. But he didn't let me get to the bonfire. He let me show everything, but bitch, you're gonna have to go re-earn this all on your own. And it's a similar thing. It didn't. It's not a great memory, but it is magical in a way. But yours is way worse. Yeah, it is worse. Yours is way worse. Yeah, but the feeling of like a little bit of a parallel, like oh, just the gut. Or the same thing will happen. You probably had this happen if you're in an RPG as a young kid. And you don't save, like you get cocky and you haven't saved forever. Yeah, power goes out, or you randomly die, and you're yeah. like, and then you stop and you think, oh shit, and then you're like, oh, when's the last time I saved? And you boot it up, and it's like four hours behind. Oh my god. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I remember those. That's moments. one of the worst. Yeah, those were those were really bad. Those were really right. bad. Last question: As of right now, what's the greatest video game of all time? The greatest video game, the current of go. all 
time. Maybe replace later. <sighs> that's a hell of a question. That is a hell. That's why I asked. It's all. It's been my final one lately. So I'm just thinking of a game that if I was forced to play on a desert island the rest of my life, what would I So take? you're weighing replayability very heavily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm thinking a game – because games for me are so much of a – I like challenge in, in games. But if I was going to select a game – Maybe I should rephrase that question. If you could play only one game from now on, what would it be? That's a good way to put it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to be honest, and I and this is so. I guarantee so many people are gonna say this, but I gotta tell you the one game that I could probably play the rest of my life. Uh, Tetris. Really, I, I think Tetris is the greatest thing I've ever. I wouldn't played. have guessed that at all. Yeah. In fact, you're the first person to bring that up game up in any way shape or form yeah tetris for me is just like the the tetris is it's like the beatles man like tetris it's it's tetris yeah it's so it's so uh i mean i shouldn't say the beatles because obviously that's probably controversial but uh i would just say that that tetris have you played tetris lately not i have tried like tetris 2020 on a whim Okay. So one of the newer iterations. There's a lot of bad versions of Tetris yeah. out there. There are some excellent Tetrises though that have came out. So there's Tetris uh there's a there's a Tetris Battle Royale that came out for Switch, which is awesome. If you have a Switch and you have Switch Online, it's a free game. You can go out and download it, play it right now. It's excellent. Uh and then Tetris Effect uh for PS4, uh and I think it's coming out for PC now is fantastic it's this it's created by the same guy who did luminous and all those really fun like music style games that really popular during that like psp ps2 era ps3 era uh tetris effect man Uh, tetris tetris but if you had to choose original tetris yeah i played a lot of the game uh, game boy the game Boy version yeah that that's a classic the the game boy tetris is really really good um yeah i I'm going to have to say I think Tetris is the greatest game I think I've ever played. It is so simple and so it, – it's a master class in just game design and I mean it's so goddamn simple and so incredible. And the gameplay loop on that thing is – I've never gotten sick of Tetris. Interesting. So, I like that. You're the first person to bring it up in any way, shape, or form. And it started making me think of what ends up happening is people we, – we play a lot of games. And also why I want to have guests on multiple times is you. most people forget a lot of the things. And sometimes things will trigger your memory. You just triggered – when you talk about Tetris, you triggered a game for me, Marble Madness, that I had oh, not thought about in yes. years. It's a great game. Similar things. Yeah. Simple, but I got addicted and I, it goes just – yeah. Yeah, Marble Madness Marble is Madness. another great game. Uh, did you ever play Super Monkey Ball? Yes. Yes. That's That was pretty hard. I don't think I, I – yeah. I wasn't in the mood to grind that game out. But I would say <laughs> that's probably – that's better than Marble Madness. It's like a – Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Super Monkey Ball 2 for the Nintendo GameCube was 
fantastic. Uh, yeah, that game's great. Marble Madness is a great game. Tetris, though, I'm telling you, if if you're if you think Tetris is this old game and it is just not for you, I really really encourage you to. Uh, get a Tetris game, a good version. Go online, find which ones are good and which console you have. But uh, And if you have a PC, I think Tetris Effect is coming out soon. And PS4 Tetris Effect is unbelievably cool. And you will realize just how genius Tetris is. And it is timeless. And that's something in video games that cannot often be said is that a game is timeless. timeless. Very uh, rare. That's a good point. There's music that is timeless. There are movies that are timeless. Uh, but games don't often fall in that. And Tetris is one of the most incredible games uh, I've ever I've ever played. Sweet, man. Well, there it is, folks. Tetris is the goat or the – I guess Desert Island. Uh, Desert Island. Even then, Go. I'm going to say Go. Yeah, it's yeah, Go. From yeah, there, greatest game of all time. It would be Final Fantasy VII – Mega Man, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy XI, Persona, God of War, Disgaea, Tetris. Those are the big ones. Am I missing yeah. more of them? Uh, Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Breath, of the, Wild. Breath of the Wild. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is an incredible game. That's a truncated list. Thanks for your time. It's a wrap. And that is the end of the episode. Thanks again to John. You can't find him anywhere on social media. He likes to be a ninja, so just enjoy it. It is what it is. Coming up next on the podcast, I have Thomas Winkley, a badass semi-pro competitive Street Fighter player and uh, part of the Big Shiny Robot podcast team. Super stoked to have him on next time. Until then, see you guys later.